live stream show. How you guys doing out there? My name is Brandon King, and I do appreciate you for tuning on in. However you tune in on replay live, however you catch it, thank you as ever for doing so. It's been a fantastic off-season for us here at the Hawks Nest, and we just continue to chug right along due to you guys and all of your support. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about looking at the enemy. I know not a lot of people like to do this type of stuff, but you you have to know thy enemy. Isn't that the old way that the phrase goes? Or like Michael Corleone said back in Godfather, you know, keep your, keep your enemies close. Keep, keep them close to you. I forget how the saying goes. Keep your friend, no, I know. Keep your friends close. Keep your enemies closer. And that's what we're trying to do here today. We need to understand what it is our, our divisional foes have been doing this offseason because, after all, you do play six games against the NFC West over the course of the year. And uh, that is a little bit more than a third, according to my poor math skills. So that does mean that uh, we got to make sure that we're taking care of business here. And let's also not forget, and we shouldn't forget, since this has been kind of a bit of what we've run into in this division over recent years, is that it's probably been historically over the last 10 years, more often than not, the toughest division in football. Last year, it was not that way. On the surface of it right now, as we look forward, it doesn't appear that it's going to be that way either in the upcoming year, as both the Cardinals and Rams have already sort of raised up the white flag just a little bit in certain respects of things. But we're going to go through each of these guys' off seasons. We're going to take a look at where their depth chart is. And I'm going to do a little bit of a look at as well as what we're going to need to do from a kind of schematic um, standpoint in how we attack these teams. Because there is kind of an interesting thread that connects between all of these teams, at least and certainly on one side of the ball, um, but is also, you know, can, pertains to both sides of the ball. Meaning sort of that, you know, one way that you might be able to solve one team in a method, you can apply another team if you can find that solution because things are similar across the board in certain situations here. This offseason, in general, broad strokes terms, we've seen the 49ers go out and continue to signal that they're in full go-for-it mode. They certainly had uh, their share of free agents, but they went out and made that move for Hargrave. So, they, you know, they've certainly still signaled that they're putting chips still to the center, not pulling them back. As I just said a minute ago, you've got the Rams and the Cardinals making some moves that have been more about let's reshuffle the stack a little bit. And we all know where our Seahawks have been this offseason, which has been being fairly aggressive, definitely making moves that have continued to help them to take steps forward and get them closer to the Niners than further away. There's maybe some debate about how much closer we've gotten or how much further away we, we've certainly been gaining on them. You know, if they're looking in the rearview mirror, our car's right up on their back bumper at this point. So, we're going to go team by team through this. I'm going to try to make this a little bit of exhaustive to a degree as much as I kind of can. Um, or So bear with me if you guys can in the chat on this one. It's going to take me a little bit of time. Uh, Randall, see so you dropping a donation. Thank you for that. Um, he says, I was just wondering when you were going live. Uh, Universe oh, answered. Well, thank you for Randall for that $5 donation. I do appreciate it. And it's good to see you in the chat here tonight. Um, but I will be with you guys over there in the chat in a second. I just got some materials here kind of prepped up on this one that I want to roll through with. And so uh, it might take me just just a little bit of a, a little bit of time. Let's start though with the more of the most unknown that's out there. McVeigh's returning, Shanahan's returning. Most of you guys already kind of understand what we're up against there and what they've been doing. But it's the Arizona Cardinals and the moves that they've been making this offseason that we're we're not as sure as you know what's happening there exactly. They move on from Cliff Kingsbury. 
Kyler Murray has the ACL injury at the end of the year. So it, uh, or you know, not end of the year, but halfway, I guess, through through the year, whatever it was at. Anyway, he's not looking like he's going to be ready for the start of the season. And so this was an opportunity, especially with the Cardinals moving on from their general manager as well, to, you know, really kind of reshuffle this stuff through. They appear to be married to Kyler Murray on the surface of things, that contract they gave him last year. But at the same point in time, there have even been some early indications here, especially with that new front office, that uh, they, they'd be okay to move on if they need to. What's interesting here is when Gannon was hired, he said, if, Ky- if Kyler Murray isn't here, I don't take the job. Uh, this was something he told Peter King on the uh, Monday morning quarterback column. But, uh, you know, who knows if that's really the truth or he's just trying to throw his support in behind his quarterback and, and see if they can salvage that. Certainly that's what the Cardinals are trying to do right now at this point. Um, undoubtedly so. When it comes to his methodology and what he's going to be applying here, Gannon's going to be very similar. And this is the main thread that I was talking about that's going to connect all of these teams throughout the NFC West. Everybody's running their own iteration of Fangio's defense. There are slight differentiations to each of them and how they do it. For instance, the Niners run a wide nine variation. Um, We are running a variation that certainly has some hybridized elements to it of Coach Carroll's former defense. But it is all in itself ran, and, and basically the most, I think the most common denominator here when you look at it, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is that they're going to be more gap-centric in their nature of things. This is stuff you guys have probably heard a lot, talked about this offseason as to why the Seahawks defense failed often within this Fangio defense, moving away from maybe two gapping to more of this gap and a halfing, or some people just term it outright single gapping. And what that is, is then that means everybody's got their their department that they're responsible for. Everybody's got a lane that they've got to take care of. And in basic terms, if you don't take care of your lane, it doesn't get done. And so that's, and I'm going to show you a graph here to kind of illustrate this. This is Fangio's defense from the Denver Broncos. And there's some illustrations here. Um, It's showing you a particular play over where it was some match quarters and all that. But what's really interesting here is the concept, if you look at it, from the run-stuffing standpoint of it. It's not just go out and hunt, Right. You're a defender, you're on the defensive line, you're, you, it doesn't matter who's across from you, don't just go find the ball, get the ball. There is a degree of that here, but you first and foremost have to take care of your job, which is to man your particular gap assignment. Now, the half, the half gap thing is the part where, this is the tough part, you've got an illustrated line, you've got an illustrated gap that you're supposed to take care of, but within the gap and half scheme, the half of the gap is that you essentially are able to come back the other way if you need to. You know, start out like a bat out of hell in this one direction, but then make sure that you have a, a backdoor path to get back to that other gap if you can. It's it, this is what makes it very much a touch defense, right? Like a not in a not in a finesse way or anything, but just in a it, it's got to have guys that are very smart upstairs in order to be able to pull this defense off. But this is what all of our defenses in the NFC West, is to varying degrees, are going to be applying to us. Nobody's going to be really too gapping. So a method and style for our offense to be attacking these defenses week in and week out can be applied in roughly some of the same manner. There's different little intricacies within it. You want to attack to weaknesses of personnel and all that other stuff. But, you know, the base the base book that you would have on built, you know, beating the Fangio defense can be applied here down through the line. And I don't think that even though Gannon does say in, in doing some of my research on him, he's got a lot of his history um, going back with Coach Zimmer. So he would he spoke about Coach Zimmer and Coach Zimmer is of course the former Minnesota Vikings head coach who was also the uh, Cincinnati Bengals defensive coordinator for a very long period of time. They're, they're under Marvin Lewis. 
Uh, but he says, Coach Zimmer had a very specific vision of how he wants to play defense, and I agree with a lot of that vision. Not to say that we're going to be exactly what Mike Zimmer was, because I feel there's a lot of other good things that I've learned throughout the years that complement actually what Zim does. That would be my answer to that. That's probably part of our package, but we're not going to box ourselves into one scheme. So you're going to see, I guess, with him, where if you're looking for the hybridization, like our hybridization is Fangio plus Carroll, you've got his hybridization is Fangio plus Mike Zimmer's defense, which has a little bit more built in, if I'm not mistaken, parts to it that's just on the deeper coverages. Certainly the cover four stuff is stuff Mike would do back in the day with um, Cincinnati a lot. But a lot of this is uh, built on keeping yourself clean up over the top. Um, Though you again have with... um, with that Fangio influence now, you get yourself into some more situations where you have some single high popping along at times, even though you're showing the cover too. I think Zimmer stayed a little bit more at times into more of that pure pure shell, if I'm not mistaken. Um, though it's been a while since I've looked at Zimmer's defenses. So he's going to run a little bit of a, of a, a flip of that. Uh, having a patient defense, I'll tell you that, going against Zimmer's defense, it always seemed like if you had the patient offense, that was a way to kind of beat his defenses. Certainly the Hawks, even though they've been really good about getting the explosive plays off, will have a nice open door here as far as to be patient, just moving the ball up the football field. But you're going to see some different looks probably. You're going to see them sliding all over the place. It is going to be a 4-3 defense. So this is not the 3-4 iteration of Fangio. Maybe this is a little bit of Zimmer's Zimmer's. Um, you know, uh, influence in on, on Gannon that he's going to run this central four, four, three defense, but with the sort of Fangio back end kind of to it. Uh, he does also have, by the way, folks, a 29 year old rookie defensive coordinator by the name of Nick Rollis coming in. So I thought that was also interesting with how young Gannon's choosing to go at the position, maybe youth, bright ideas, young, you know, this is where a lot of the game's going with some of these coaching hires now. Look no further than Gannon, who he himself is not that old of a guy. But uh, I did think that was a little bit um, interesting with them as far as that goes. So we haven't really seen quite yet what this defense will mean when it really comes to bloom. I, I believe last year they had Fangio in there consulting with the Eagles defense, if I'm not mistaken, um, through the back half of the season a little bit. So, you know, what was exactly, you know, purely Gannon's addition to the play there or, or what was also kind of, you know, Fangio telling him what time it was a little bit at times. Who knows? Uh, Cardinals seem to be really blown away by this guy in his uh, interviews and they brought him in there. Certainly hasn't gotten me struck with the fear of God in my heart listening to the guy talk. He's, you know, he's kind of just, it's a little milk toast for me, just a bit. But we'll see. Maybe he's got a possibility there. He's also going to be running offensively a mix between what they ran prior, so spread concepts, and they're going to try to run uh, some other things, including having Kyler Murray under center, which should be fun to watch. Uh, Gannon uh, noted that it, that his idea on offense is to live out of 11, 12, and 13 personnel with more tight ends on the field than one running back. As an overall philosophy, Gannon said he wants an offense that generates explosive plays, protects the ball, and thrives in situational football. So not exactly marrying himself to any given concept, 11, 12, 13 personnel. They're looking to go after it all with it, I guess, this upcoming season. The 13 personnel in particular, I, I found uh, eye-opening because that certainly is far, far uh, 13 personnel, of course, three tight ends. That's a far cry away from um, Cliff Kingsbury in there with his three and four wide receiver sets that you would get predominantly throughout the whole course of the game. So they're going to try to be a lot of things and everything. I, I wonder a little bit with Gannon and he's coming in there is if there's not a little bit of biting off more than you can chew here. I don't feel like he's already as a, as a first-time coach walking in the door here being, being set up with an opportunity to really 
go out and shine or just on the head of this with the situation as it stands in Arizona and them having to turn over so much stuff and deal with some of Kimes' failures and Kingsbury's lack of probably being a good head coach. Now you're going to try to be everything too. You know, you're oh, an 11 personnel and 12 personnel and 13 personnel. We're going to run all those spread concepts we ran last year. And we're going to run all this stuff with Kyler under, under center too. Okay. And then defensively, we're going to run a 4-3, but we're going to run the Fangio 3-4 iteration, you know, but then it's going to have a lot of parts with Zimmer, but then it's going to have a lot of parts. It, it, it's in some respects feels less of a marriaging of all, marrying of all these concepts and starts to feel like a little bit of a, you know, throw it all into a pot and see what comes out after you bake it up a bit. Uh, the Cardinals have nothing to lose by going after Gannon here. If he fails out a couple of years from now, they can move on to a different guy and, and have moved out from all their bad, bad uh, moves and uh, deals of Kime. Uh, not that Kime was horrible, but he certainly was way more bad at the end there than good for the Cardinals. And that um, probably puts them in a position of feeling like they've got to reset their process a little bit. Uh, so that's kind of what they're doing schematically wise according to them on offense we'll see how far that that goes um gannon believes being under center takes pressure off the quarterback and the offensive line that's the missing piece i thought they had with kyler he said they were in gun all the time when you're in gun all the time you don't make the defense defend certain play types now when you get them under center the defense has to defend a lot more type of plays so there's really two offenses i see us using so again you're saying again, two, two offenses, not one, but two, you know, not one defense, but two defenses. I'm a little bit skeptical on this one. I'm certainly going to be open to seeing how it plays out. Maybe where he just finds that right balance between it all. And, you know, he's kind of able to be everything everywhere. Uh, there's a lot of reason they didn't run the under center stuff with Kyler Murray. If that was something that was Kyler did well, or that was within his wheelhouse of his abilities and his size limitations that he deals with, I think the Cardinals would have been much more active in that respect of, of doing it in the past rather than being so married to the shotgun looks as they were with with Kyler. Certainly quarterbacks don't like going under center. I, I think we see even with Russell in Denver last year that he showed some reticence with wanting to get back under there. But once he did, he found a lot of success. So maybe too, Kyler can also find a level of uh, hope within that. When we look at the stats last year for the Cardinals, these are the overall PFF grades that they got as a team kind of down the line. Just some interesting numbers here. Nothing surprising as well, of course. But again, I want to be a little exhaustive with this and this approach. That's why it's going to go a little bit long on this in this first opening bit with me. So in, anybody in the questions, please hold those off here for a moment. It's going to take me a bit of time to get back over to you guys in the chat. So we got overall 65.9. No shocker there. Bad team last year. Offensively, 63.2 understandable couldn't throw couldn't really run the ball just nothing working really offensively last year injuries were mounting of course too uh passing the ball 58.5 some of that's kyler some of that's going to be other people pass block 71.6 maybe this gives them a little bit of uh, hope here as we move forward now they are kind of starting to put this offense back together here a little bit they went out and got paris johnson will be going to their draft in a second uh, but they might be able to slowly this be a little bit of where they they start to create their strength from um offensively where in recent years it's been more based on the skill position players as they've really tried to just load up on wide receivers uh running the ball 76.5 another very good grade for them uh, some of this is that teams are spread out and you're just taking advantage of them being spread out towards a numbers game up around the line of the scrimmage uh, we'll see if this is another number that continues to bode well or maybe this is another number indicative of the offensive line. Certainly, uh, Connor, James Connor, there's okay, and, and he's all right. But uh, that does tell me that maybe there's a little bit here with you guys on that offensive line to work with more than we thought, especially with how there were so many bad parts last year and so many parts of guys that were just 
finishing up in their career, kind of. Justin Pugh, Rodney Hudson. Uh, defensively, 60.8. Another no shocker there. J.J. Watt was out for a lot of the year. No Chandler Jones for the first time. Uh, just not, not a lot to work with on the defensive side of the ball, along with neither of the two real young defenders. Their linebackers there, Collins and uh, Simmons, really developing. Simmons, by the way, I'm hearing they're going to move him to the will linebacker role. Then we got the uh, run D at 50, which is bad, 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 bad. Kenneth Walker had did, did his share of running around that D when uh, he was playing. The tackling, 53.4. Again, no shocker. Not, not a lot of build on here. Defensively, the pass rush was actually respectable. But then this is where even that takes a ding because J.J. Watt now retires. Marcus Golden moves on. And then uh, you've got Zach Allen moving on in free agency as well. So probably three of the best parts of their pass rush are out the door as uh, we go forward here with it. So that one's actually going to probably take a, a bit of a ding uh, this upcoming season rather than an increase. And then they've got a 66 coverage grade, which is fair for them considering how, I think, bereft of talent they have um, going on much back there. Uh, let's take a look at a little bit of their plus and minus this offseason, uh, what they gained, what they lost, so to speak, here. Um, here we go. I'm going to bring it up over here on my side and I'll move out of the way as I do. So you guys can try to get a, try to get this, um, in as closely as I can. So you guys can see this as well. I'll make this a little bit bigger. So you, I'll just kind of go down it as, as we kind of read some of these off. So DeAndre Hopkins is gone now. He's still out there in free agency. By all accounts at this point, the New England Patriots are the front runners to claim his duties. But J.J. Watt is currently retired. We'll see if it remains that. But all our indications are that he is going to be, and if he came back, he's not coming back for the Cardinals. Rodney uh, Hudson, really good longtime center in this league, remains unsigned, very older player, struggled with injuries in recent years. Justin Pugh, apply the very same thing. Both of these guys are two starters for them that they've got to replace here. A.J. Green, I don't think anybody's going to sign him unless it's like a later on signing. There's an injury or something. He remains on the open market. They brought back Matt Prater. Uh, Kazir White, a linebacker um, that they signed over from the Eagles. One of their big, I guess, big signings in free agency, along with that huge monster splash of a signing that's LJ Collier. Yeah, they went big time on that one, didn't they? Broke that, broke the Cardinal piggy bank on that one. Uh, Byron Murphy, cornerback for them, moved on to the Vikings. That's a loss for them. Pretty tough in that respect. They did bring back Kelvin Beecham which I think gives them just a little bit of insurance there with, uh, with Paris Campbell, especially if initially they want to move Paris Campbell into guard and uh, you know continue to kind of strengthen out that line as a whole, which certainly seems to be a possibility at this point. Uh, Dennis Daly, right guard from the Cardinals, brought in as well. So my guess here is he's going to compete in their right guard. Ideally, they'd love to have probably Paris Johnson in a left guard. And then they got that other kid, what is it, uh, Humphreys or whatever, um, out at right tackle. We'll be looking at their depth chart in a second. But uh, I think some of this is kind of a moving vessel for them as far as their offensive line goes. Uh, Josh Woods, uh, that's a backup linebacker. Nothing nothing big as far as the signing there. Um, some of these are just camp bodies. Zach Pascal's a guy that's a pretty, I like him. He's a good all-around receiver. He's not going to be your one, not going to be your two, not even going to be your slot. But as a four and a five on your roster, not too, not too shabby. And this guy may even be able to start a few games for you and have some impact. Um, he's a real good blocker in addition to being uh, just a good receiver. Um, just a little underrated for me always, that guy a bit. Uh, they brought back uh, Will Hernandez. He'll be in there fighting, though Will's not the best. So I think as much as anything, that's just kind of competition in there. They lost Trinston Hill inside defensive lineman to the Browns. 
I brought in Elijah Wilkinson, right tackle. That's camp, it's the body. Jeff Driscoll uh, left on to, is come over the Cardinals from the Texans as a backup quarterback, potentially for them. And then uh, they got themselves a punter and a couple other bottom moves here, but nothing really, to be honest with you, significant here. So we're not going to go too much into it as they just kind of had a off season here. We're not a lot. You're looking at these names as I go down them. There, there's not a lot here, right? Carlos Watkins, Corey Clement, uh, Billy Price centers un, unsigned. I don't think he's going to come back. Trace McSorley went to the Patriots. Their, their other quarterback they had in their roster. Not a huge loss to them. So nothing other really as far as any big losses or gains at this point as I go through this list. All these guys are just camp bodies, fringe roster guys. You know, they're doing a little bit of what the Texans did last year. They know they're going into rebuild here. So you're getting a lot of guys signed in here that are just to be bodies to brought in. Just kind of competed out a little bit. Bobby Price, cornerback for the Lions, just coming here for some competition. Probably not going to actually set, stay, not many not even make the roster, so not really worth breaking into it because of that. But this is what rebuilding teams do. They bring in a lot of these types of guys. Looking at the draft, the Cardinals had uh, Paris Johnson with that first-round pick. Really, to me, the Cardinals made one of the great moves in the first round. I've got to tip my cap to them in getting that future first-round pick from the Texans. It's what I want our Seahawks to find a way to do. Tells you the difference between that that Texan team winning or not, or us having the one less game, or the Broncos not winning that one more game and we being dropped back, that might have been the difference between us being able to flip a future first-round pick and still come away with a Devin Witherspoon in the draft or something like that. So they pulled off a great trade to get a future first-round pick from the Texans and still found their way to getting Paris Johnson as their trade back up once they moved back to 12 to move back up to 6 to get Paris Johnson. It wasn't a great cost because the Lions were licking their wounds over the fact that we had just snake them on uh, Devin Witherspoon. So they were pissed off about that. And they were like, well, the hell with it. Let's just move back for the sake of moving it. You know, it's part of why people kind of bang on the Lions draft a little bit. Second round, they went for a very talented, twitchy edge in BJ Ojolari. Love this pick for them. He'll be a really good player for them. They needed to start to address their edge, especially with Marcus Golden now leaving. Uh, this guy, this kid will fit into that defense into the future. And I, I think you, I've got a lot more uh, solid feelings about his future as a player and at least being a, a a functioning league player than I would like a guy like Anthony Simmons even coming out where you just weren't sure about what exactly you're getting him, what position you're going to move him to. How do you play him? How do you use him? Uh, cornerback Garrett Williams from Syracuse, good functional corner that will fit in. Michael Wilson, a guy a lot of people felt like was one of the underrated receivers in this draft, just dealt with injuries at Stanford, couldn't stay on the field, but uh, still none, still a guy twitchy. Um, and, and some of his really good on t- good tape on college was really impressive. So guy will, he'll make that roster, no doubt, in the third round. That's a no, no doubter. But a guy that I think is going to find his way on the football field this year, even over the top of um, some other guys. Hollywood Brown coming back from injury. Uh, this guy could be a guy I could eventually see even bumping him a little bit um, just with his physical pride. And he blocks, whereas Hollywood Brown's like a stick figure. He's not blocking nobody. Fourth round pick, uh, John Gaines. Pure, great zone blocking guard in this draft out of UCLA. Just love this kid. Would have loved this kid for our Seahawks um, just because of his mobility and fit to the scheme. Um, He should fit really well there. And I think that he's going to, my bold prediction is that he very well could end up sliding in, pushing Paris Johnson to right guard, and then he just takes left guard. Or maybe vice versa, but I wouldn't be shocked. I would not be shocked if this kid's ready to go 
day one. It's a little hard with him coming out of that UCLA offense. It makes it tougher, I think, for some of the evaluations on those offensive linemen because it's all spread and quick and tiring defenses out, but good player. Clayton Toon, quarterback flyer in the fifth round for them. No doubt they're starting to already look for some uh, backup insurance plans here for Kyler Murray and certainly would love to find some cheap ones. They're going to pay him that price. Owen Popoe in the fifth round, 4-3-9-40. Amazing combine. The, The tape is great. Got an absolute highlight where he blows up a Penn State quarterback on some of his film. One of my favorite players in this draft as far as just not a guy I would have taken high, but just a guy you really liked even later on in the draft. Really like this pick a lot. Kittrell, Clark, and Dante Stills, good players. Both will be functional players. I don't think you're getting a lot out of either. For me, it's really the Johnson, Ojolari, Wilson, Gaines, Papoe picks that are the, the best of their crop, but they had a good draft. On top of getting that future first-round pick, which makes it kind of an A draft, it's like it's sort of a B, B plus-ish, maybe, you know, B, yeah, about right in there. And then you, you, you probably bump them up into A minus when you really factor in they got that future first round pick moving around as they did. So the Cardinals moved in the right direction for the first, what I would consider the start of a rebuild now. Uh, feel good about what they're doing here and uh, how, they're, how they're going about their business. Let's look at a bottom line depth chart for this team, if we can. And uh, I'm going to make this as big as I can here for you folks to try to see if you can... So slide here next to my cat. So we got uh, Kyler Murray. Certainly he's not going back day one. You're looking at Colt McCoy as your day one starter for them. Colt, the Seahawks, Slayer, McCoy. Uh, What is it with certain guys that just kill certain franchises? So he's going to be starting day one for them. We'll see when Kyler actually does get back. Certainly they're going to take their time with him, especially considering this is a rebuild year and it's kind of in the Cardinals' best interest as kind of semi- tank isn't it i mean this is definitely a team that if they're looking at caleb williams or drake may there's they're salivating they're thinking well, what if we were just a couple games worse this next year what's the big deal like what does anybody really we're not going to playoffs so uh you got colt starting day one for you there james connor who's been a pretty good free agent signing for them coming over from pittsburgh he's been a strong runner behind that it gets very thin at running back keontae ingram Corey clement Ugh, it's it's kind of thin there uh running back wise Marquise Brown coming back from his major injury. Remember where Tariq Woolen intercepted that ball against the Cardinals at home and ended up landing on Marquise Brown's leg. I told you he's a stick figure. It's easy, easily broken. Michael Wilson right behind him. He's going to be pushing him. You got Rondell Moore, who I think this team is still trying to kind of wait for him to ascend outside of just sort of a gadgety slot receiver kind of guy. Zach Pascal, I think, probably, in fact, pushes Rondell still into that third receiver role at this point. So it'll be between Pascal and Wilson, probably, as wide receiver number two as we look at this now that A.J. Green's moved on and, and whatnot. Behind him, not much else there at receiver beyond those, really, you look at it, those few guys. They've got some guys, but compared to where they've been in recent years, the wide receiver core and how deeply they've tried to stack it, it's a far cry, isn't it? Now, they're going to try to do a little bit more balance, a little bit more running, but uh, certainly they're not looking strong as we go into this upcoming year. Spoke about the offensive line. They've got Humphreys in a left tackle. He's been pretty good for them. Paris Johnson at left guard makes a complete makes complete sense. Uh, they've they've got. I guess they're they're trying to say that they're going to put potentially John Gaines in at center. There is that where they're going to try to put him? Wow, that'd be an interesting way to use him. He's a hyper athletic guy, I guess, in that respect. But uh, I can't pronounce even the guy's name who they have in the starting role right now. Hajalti for yeah, we got uh, Will Val, Will Hernandez, a right guard. Eh, uh, Lectus Smith behind him, not anything special there. And then Kelvin Beecham, who certainly, if he takes a step backwards, they'll just slide old 
Uh, Humphrey's probably over into right tackle if it breaks down that way. But no, there's really no strength here offensively. I don't have to dress this up. You folks can see it. This should be a pretty easy thing to overtake uh, for our Seahawks. This is not a line that's going to run the ball down, though I did show you in the stats that they ran the ball pretty well last year. And we'll see with this commitment by Gannon to go to more under center stuff if uh, they have even more success with those kind of those kind of runs. But it's certainly outside of Humphreys, there's nobody that really kind of scares you on that offensive line or, or makes you kind of nervous, makes you nervous. Let's go take a look at the, let's look at the uh, defense here now, what they got said here. So base uh, will be 4-3 as I was speaking about before on that. Uh, you've got, I guess they're, they're writing in here that they're going to have Zayvon Collins as a left defensive end. That, that's got to be wrong. ESPN's got to be smoking crack on this one. He's got to be your middle linebacker. And then, well, maybe not. Maybe they've already done some advanced stuff with this. Wow. That would be very interesting. I'm not going to go through all these players because this doesn't need to get overstated much more further than this. It's a bad defense. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, they drafted a couple years ago. They were hoping could be the Mr. Do-It-All. He's yet to really find a role. He's now going to move to the will linebacker role in a 4-3 defense, which historically speaking is one of the tougher places for a, a real impactful guy. I mean, I just made this Chad Brown video and um, a lot of people would talk about the fact that on some of the videos, like, well, he's not a Hall of Famer. It's like, and it's kind of my point a little bit with Chad and, and what I point out to those when looking at the will, it's we have a hard time evaluating the will linebacker position for what its contributions are to the team a little bit. And then what happens is that people just end up erring in the side of kind of just going, ah, it's, they were okay. They were a fine player, but they didn't, because they don't have any stats to kind of fall back on with it. But some of the impact of those guys and what they're doing is sometimes dirty work and sometimes it's stuff that doesn't show up uh, from a statistical standpoint on uh, on the tape. But not a lot here. Um, not a lot here as far as the strong, strong safety, Jalen Thompson's okay. Buda Baker's certainly still very strong. He wants to out of town, so I think there's still an open trade request as far as he's concerned. Uh, Rashad Fenton, Marco Wilson, DK and Tyler are eating up that all day long. Uh, Garrett Wilson, Williams, they got out of the, the kid out of Syracuse. Maybe he's able to be a day one starter for him. He was not one of my higher rated cornerbacks in this draft. I think that was probably one of the picks that they probably went a little bit high on and reached for because the position is in such a desperate, needy state. Uh, middle linebacker, Kazir White, that they brought in from the Eagles is where I guess they're going to try to fit him in. But if they're then moving Zayvon Collins, who they drafted as an inside middle linebacker in the 3-4 to an outside left defensive end, that would not be a good good sign for Zayvon Collins' career. Another first rounder that they took in recent years that just didn't work out. As we saw with our Seahawks, when you have these kind of moves over the years in the draft that have so many misses and you just compound it year after year, you may not feel the pain initially, but you will feel the pain of that. You, your roster will feel the pain of that. And uh, when it breaks down to the final rung here on this Cardinal team, as we're going to move on now here to the Rams, is that that's, that, that's the bottom line here, is that they're, they're, they're paying the price, like the Rams are paying the price, but these, this team's paying the price for bad decision-making. Rams are paying the price for having go, gone for it in the prior year. But this upcoming season, there's no reason the Seahawks team shouldn't take two wins right off the stack from this Cardinal team. They have an offense that can attack everything in this Cardinal. They can go after those weak corners. They can attack a defensive line that's untested. They they can hold on for, for a long time for long developing routes because they don't feel like they're under a lot of stress. I, I don't think Gannon's going to you know have a myriad of blitzes in his defense to where he's going to be able to create pressure against you. These should be two wins. Put it down. I'm putting it down right there. Let's move on. 
I can't see how this team gets us even in a place of um, being competitive against us. Both those two games should be 10 plus point wins. This team is, I look at it with their roster. We're there this year making the decision with Kime, making the decision with Kingsbury. I think already setting the process in motion for moving on from Kyler, moving on from DeAndre Hopkins, having the J.J. Watt retire. Signs are, like, eh, let's, let's turn this thing over. It didn't work. And that's all the better for our Seahawks team. So two wins should be right there on the board going up against this upcoming year. Let's get on to the next one. And the next one's going to be the Los Angeles Rams. Now, the Rams... I'm not going to spend as much time doing breakdowns here on, on schemes and stuff because you guys are well acquainted with it. We got the Fangio defense kind of run maybe the most pure, I guess, of any of the Fangio running defenses in this division. This one probably is. They certainly are uh, offensively going to run 11 personnel, three wide receivers as much or the most of any team in the entire National Football League. So that sits as something from a schematic base you want to take a look at. No surprises there. They've run the ball very well traditionally out of three wide receiver sets. So it's a lot of times it's about you know, testing your linebackers and their gap integrity, testing your slot corners and how well they can tackle these type of things. Um, so there's all of that still is going to exist. And I think we kind of all know what we're up against in the McVay scheme as to how Coach Carroll can, can solve the scheme. And it went a little bit better last year, of course, but it was a tough year. For the Rams, they sustained a lot of injuries. People are really knocking them for having gone for it like they did, but they got a chip. They got their ring out of it. I can't knock the Rams for pulling that off. I've long said that I would make that same devil, I would make that same deal sort of with the, the NFL devil, so to speak, is saying, okay, you know, you, you want this for that. Okay, if I, I got to pay this price to get this is on the other side, then that's, that's worth it for me. For, and what they've done and what stood out to me and the thing I've got to give the Rams credit for in this respect I'm not going to try to praise the enemy too much here, but you got to give them some credit here, is that they've pivoted very quickly. Cardinals pivoted faster too, props to them. I think that they're going to get through this rebuild period that much faster because they did it. Um, and especially if they can move from Kyler, the quicker, the better. The Rams did very much the same thing this offseason, where they went in the offseason, they went, oh, okay, Stafford's getting older. I don't know if he can make it through a full year. Donald's getting older. I don't know if he can make it through a full year. We got Bobby older. Cooper Cup's coming off this major injury. Whew, a cap situation is getting tight. We're going to have to make some, and they just decided let's cut it out. Let's snip it, trim it. Let's re let's return this thing all the way through. And they went, they went heavy. Jalen Ramsey moved in a trade. Leonard Floyd moved off. They, they just basically cut bait where there was bait to be cut. And uh, you, I think again, like, like with the Cardinals is going to help them to turn this thing around where we've been talking about all this bleeding and pain. They're going to have to go through for having this go for it period as they did, they're going to bleed through this very quickly. They're going to bleed off the books of this very quickly. But the good news for our Hawks, as we start to look at this team, is that they are very susceptible this upcoming year because of it. Because like the Cardinals, they're in a obvious, we're not trying to hide it. We're not trying to, you know, give you a bunch of backwards talk about it. We are in tank mode. Wouldn't surprise me in the least if we come to find Stafford basically after week one has the magical back injuries flare back up on him. He shuts himself down and retires after the year, gets another year of pay out of it. Donald then retires after the season as well. And then bingo, bango, they turn around with like the number one overall pick and just about having cleared most of their bad money off the books. Be pretty tough to see, but I think it's likely the way that this direction is going to go at this point. Now the Rams team's grade. This is the PFF team grades, by the way. And what stood out to me that I found interesting off the top was an 80 overall grade. 
Come back to when McVay and Shanahan, there's some Seahawks fans that love to kind of ding and go back and forth with either of those two guys. But they do come back round and round to me when I, not just stats like this, but when you have just general markers that come around over and over again that just show you time and again that they're just really good coaches, that they're going to do a good job. And he was decimated by injuries last year was McVay's team. That was nowhere near close to the Super Bowl team that had just won. I mean, it was really tough. And to get that team up to an 80 grade by PFF standards, I think just speaks to a little bit of um, McVay's ability in the coach in that respect of things. Uh, the offense was bad, 68 and a half. Um, probably one of the worst offensive runs in McVay's whole time period. Probably the worst, not probably the worst well, offensive run in McVay's whole time there with the Rams. 58.6 passing grade. Pass block was 62. Uh, you had Whitworth, of course, retire the previous year at left tackle. You moved your other right tackle then um, in in over to left tackle. And that hurt. Your, then he wasn't as good as Whitworth. Then you took a hit to your right tackle because you moved that over too. It was kind of an S show at that point, but they found a little bit of a way to, to somewhat muster through, I guess. Uh, the, the real impressive part to me is uh, the 74.5 grade, I think, very impressive. A lot of that on the back of the fly sweep, which we're going to talk about in a second with a couple of the real key things on McFay and how he's gone at Coach Carroll's defenses that we've got to kind of tighten up especially. But that's one of the places that really helped their run, their uh, ability to run last year. In addition to finally getting Cam Akers, finding his way back around here after the Achilles injury, after getting into the doghouse of McVay, finally getting his way back on the field a little bit and showing some productivity. So a 74.5 grade, pretty impressive for a team that couldn't really pass last year. You know, defenses could kind of just lock in on that run at that point, knowing the quarterback wasn't going to hit him over the top, knowing the skill position players on the outside weren't good enough to beat him, but they were able to still at least run. A defense even more impressive to me that McVay was able to get this kind of defensive performance out of them, 77.4 grade, a run D with a 87 run D. Shows you how strong... We talk about the the difference in our players understanding that that gap integrity stuff, right? And the, the seeing the gap and a half stuff I was talking about at the top of the show with this with this Fangio model I was showing you here, right? And you talk about a team that's kind of mastered it in the way that they're teaching it and showing these defenders how to to play this in the right way. I think this is definitely indicative of that, where you have a, a run D high, you've got the tackling high. And this is at a time where you don't have the most stacked defense out there. Having Bobby Wagner back there, certainly, this is where we can feel a little bit of his impact in this grade, can't we? But it also was that you had all those players, I think, just synced up in how they've trained that defense in Fangio. And a lot of those defenses that failed last year, be it the Seahawks or the Vikings or a number of these other teams that just suddenly over overnight, over an offseason, decided to implement the Fangio scheme, taught it right. I don't know if we're exactly like last year have taught it correctly. Some of it is maybe the players just not getting it. Some of it may just the players aren't the right players to put them into the scheme. Some of it could have also been just not being taught correctly as well. Hard to say, but I think those grades do kind of indicate a little bit of that. Uh, pass rush 67.1. No surprise here. That's without Aaron Donald for the majority of the season. No Von Miller from the prior year. I think even Leonard Floyd was out for a good time period. Ashawn Robinson. I mean, they had nobody basically by the end of the season rushing the passer. And the 65.5 grade is only propped up really by Jalen Ramsey last year, I think, as much as anything, even though I think he had kind of a down year last year. But that's where they stacked up on that element of things. Uh, looking at their... Looking at the um, grade here. Sorry, let me get this up. Back up to the top here. Let's look at some of the players they've added and subtracted this offseason as it's been substantial. 
We've got uh, Jalen Ramsey being traded to the Dolphins. Leonard Floyd moved on to the Bills as their edge. Allen Robinson is now a Steeler. Baker Mayfield is now a Buccaneer. Bobby Wagner is back where he belongs with the Seattle Seahawks. Brian Allen was able to come back for the uh, Rams. That's their starting center there. Uh, Ashawn Robinson uh, is gone to the Giants. He was out for a lot of the year, but their interior defensive line takes a further hit there. Troy Hill still remains a free agent, longtime slot for them. Matt Gay signed back over with the Colts. Their kicker, right guard uh, Coleman Shelton. I think it's more of a backup guy there. Hunter Long has gone to the Rams, a tight end for them, kind of a backup tight end. Taylor Rapp, safety, a pretty decent player for them, has gone to the Bills. Bills really liking the Rams players, I guess, huh? Um, Brandon Powell was a good fly sweep guy for them last year. Has gone to the Vikings. Demarcus Robinson has has gone from the Ravens to the Rams. So that was actually a free agent pickup for them. I think he was a second term of service there for them. Uh, Riley Dixon punter from the Broncos was brought over. Brett Rippon, uh, or sorry, Riley Dixon was signed by the Broncos. Brett Rippon has been brought over from the Broncos. And they said, you take our punter. We take your backup quarterback. Tit for tat. And we got David Long going to the Raiders, uh, cornerback. Um, some of these guys are just kind of fringe guys, so I won't go over too many of these guys. John Wolford, quarterback, going to the Buccaneers as a backup there to to uh, to fight out to be a backup. They've got a couple. They got a few different quarterbacks over there. And uh, Greg Gaines of the Rams, former Husky, going to the Buccaneers into another interior defensive lineman like a Sean Robinson. So a couple hits there on the defensive line for them. Uh, Nick Scott, safety, going to the Bengals. So. Really losses, losses, losses across the board. No surprise here. The Rams were in a position this offseason to have no money to spend. And knowing that, that's part of what drew them to then move into a rebuild mode. Was there was no way to just make a single trade and then still go for it for a third straight season. Do another season of pushing all the chips in to compound the cost down the road. Instead, they took the pain. They took the bleeding. But you can see that it was a lot of bleeding. The interior of the defensive line, questions. Safety, question. Cornerbacks, questions. Offensive line is in development. There's some decent parts there. But uh, it's it's definitely no, uh, no set, set spot there with them. Their draft was one that was not necessarily <clears throat> one that was filled with a lot of picks absent later on. They were able to move back and gain some extra selections here. And this is as much as anything to get flyers on guys. When you go into that rebuild mode, you just start making picks. To, it's really about a numbers game. Give me the more, the merrier, right? When Carolyn Schneider first came in here and they hit rebuild mode, we churned through our roster more than anything. So it's just about getting as many names, as many guys as you can, as many looks at guys, because you have no parts and pieces really embedded. So you're just trying to find the new embeds, the, the guys that are going to stick wherever they may come from. And that opens things up a little bit more. So you can see they had a, we got one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, 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 both of them were very similar to me. I think they were both were going to be very good starters in this league. I didn't think stardom would be there for each of them, but they would be like 10-year starters in this league that were just solid. Uh, Avelia looks to have that outlook to him. Good pick for them. Uh, definitely a ne necessary one as the offensive line has been kind of going through a retooling there in recent years. Byron Young was a guy I think the Hawks were looking at as well. Edge out of Tennessee, real twitchy guy. Uh, really tested well. 
I think he'll fill in well there for Leonard Floyd. Probably gets a lot of snaps and reps, especially as a pass rusher early on. They need to address the defensive line. Kobe Turner, I didn't think he was anything special on the Wake Forest tape to me, but they need bodies at this point down there. But just the losses that they've had with where the health status might be of Aaron Donald, you just got to do it. Uh, they've got Stenson Bennett now also on the roster in the fourth round. They took the kid out of Georgia, maybe their quarterback of the future. Um, we'll have, what do we find? We got Stenson Bennett with, uh, the Rams and then Brock Purdy with the Niners. We'll have the, the weakest arms in the division. <laughs> then Colt Young rocking the Cardinals. <laughs> and meanwhile, Gino looking like he's pounding 106 mile an hour fastballs compared to those guys. Uh, in the fifth round, Warren McClendon out of Georgia. Okay. Okay. Tackle prospect. He might work there for them. Fairly, fairly uh, long athletic guy, if I'm not mistaken. Davis Allen out of Clemson. Good uh, red zone threat kind of tight end. And they're certainly going to uh, need some help with the tight end position where it's been at in recent years there. Pukanuka has been having a really good camp for them in the offseason in minicamps. A uh, kid that was fun to watch out of BYU, but he's really been lighting it up for them in minicamps, catching a lot of eyes. Uh, Nick Hampton, Appalachian State Edge. This is flyer period, kind of all these picks all the way down through beyond that. I'm not going to go through each of them because I don't know if any of those guys are really going to stick outside of Zach Evans. We'll probably get a couple carries here and there for the team. And uh, Jason Taylor has a potential of sliding into a starting role as a safety because he's got some talent there out of uh, out of Oklahoma. But I think all those guys at the end of the draft, there wasn't a, a steel guy. There's not a Kenny McIntosh from the sixth round on here in the Rams draft. But they went pretty good over the top. They didn't trade. They didn't uh, trade anything. They didn't go with any great huge reach. They didn't do anything bad for a team that's just starting into the rebuild, just starting into that rebuild without a first round pick. They did what they could do and draft getting as many picks as they could to try to build up as many bodies as they can is the first thing, first step that you want to do in a rebuild. And with both the Cardinals and the, as the Cardinals indicated with some of their signings and as the Rams are indicating with this draft, the teams are recognizing that that needs to be their first solid step and props to them. It'll help them uh, turn this thing around that much more probably quicker in that respect of things. All right, let's go to look at the depth chart here of the Rams as we come up to this upcoming year. Matt Stafford is slated to return as your starter. We'll see if that back holds up. As I understand it, it's kind of a... I mean, Jesus, if you listen to his wife talk about it, it seems like the thing is like, he's got an 80-year-old back when he walks out there almost. Um, We'll see if he can make it through a full year. Stenson Bennett, Brett Rippon, if he can't, they don't have a good backup. At least the Cardinals have a Colt, the Seahawks, Slayer McCoy as a guy that has come in and hurt our Hawks in years past. Uh, you know, they don't have that. So uh, that's at least a benefit to us. Cam Akers does return back. Kyron Williams, Zach Evans. Cam, Cam looked a little bit improved as the year went along last year. But there's nobody devastating here. You don't have a top 10 running back on this roster. You don't have a top 15 running back on this roster. Cooper Cup's coming back from his season-ending injury. We'll see how good to go he is. I believe he's also previously torn an ACL, and he's starting to get a little older, and he's had a heavy amount of use. I think he'll still have a pretty good bounce back year, and he's legitimately a really, really fine wide receiver. But um, we'll see where he's at, especially if they're not maybe going to be a little bit probably careful with him. Uh, considering this upcoming year where it's at. Van Jefferson's been a guy that's never quite taken that next step for them like I think they thought he would when they took him in the second round. And and the word on the street with him when you took him was that he was very pro-ready and that he was a guy that was going to be able to slide in and start pretty quickly. Maybe his top end was going to be limited, but that you could get him in going initially right out the gate and he could pull that off for you. Um, That 
that he's not, I think, has been probably not great for them, and they're they're probably not happy about that overall. But they're going to be hopeful this year that maybe he takes those steps forward. In, in addition to injury being a bit of the problem there with him, uh, Puka Nuka, Poo Poo Atwell. You guys know me with Tutu Atwell. In my opinion of him, long going back, he, he had some moments last year for them here and there. He still never really slid into any role with them since being taken in the second round back in the day. Much like Jefferson, I just think they look at both those two guys as weren't you. You haven't quite been what we were hoping you guys were going to be. Uh, when we took him, uh, Ben scorer reckon we'll see if uh, he can maintain that third wide receiver spot. I have a feeling probably Puka or Tutu ends up probably overtaking him one point or another, but that's been a guy that just seems to find his way on the field there for the Rams in, in recent years and doesn't find a way off. Uh, Tyler Higby has been a solid tight end for them. Uh, Bryson Hawkins kid. They took a couple years ago. It was okay. Probably waiting for him more kind of develop along a little bit. I thought they maybe had the third tight end there too. Yeah, they had the other kid they took this year out of Clemson. So they can go three tight ends deep this year. Uh, Joe, no boom. That was the guy that they moved over. Uh, not, not, yeah, then they moved him over from, yeah. So he was moved over, I think, from guard to left tackle eventually. They started out with Havenstein going to left tackle. Then they probably came to their senses and moved Havenstein back. And now I guess they've moved no boom out from guard to left tackle. I think no boom's better probably inside. But with Avili in there now, Brian Allen coming back in the fold, the offensive line actually won't be bad for them next year. Not as bad probably as it was this prior year for them. So there, there is some parts to this offense that still are decently set up for them to be functional and, and to be difficult to deal with, especially if Stafford is still playing. Because if he is still playing, he's still a pretty strong quarterback in this league. Still tough to deal with. He'll throw you a couple balls a game that you, you can intercept and have his game-changing plays. But um, it's not necessarily one where... Easy peasy on that one either. All right, so on the defensive side of the ball here for the uh, Rams, you've got Kobe Turner, um, Bobby Brown, Aaron Donald, far cry from the Super Bowl team that what they were trotting out there that could be four, five, six men deep at times um, with as far as that rotation goes. It's kind of some names here. And Donald, we'll see with where he's at. He's flirted, I think, with retirement over the past couple off seasons. Um, is, he, is he at that point where it's kind of, I'm... I'm ready to, to wind this down. I've played enough. I got my chip. I've made my money. Let's get through one more year and, and call it a day. If he plays, he's been a Seahawk killer. He's a problem. He's a problem that we've not yet found a solution to in recent years at any time, including up to the moment a couple of years ago that he actually broke Russ finally um, in breaking that finger, of course, that eventually knocked Russ out that year and kind of ended out our hopes of whatever hopes we had that season as far as things went. Uh, Byron Young, Tennessee kid that we talked about that they took in the third round. They're going to hope he can slide in there and, and be a, uh, and be, I think a strong edge for them. Um, they've got him as a will linebacker, but he's going to be in there as an edge for them. They're not going to play him as a, they got this listed a little weird, I think. Um, maybe, maybe it's just how they have it listed, but he's going to be probably their, you know, blindside pass rusher. Ernest Jones, Christian Roseboom, Michael Hecht. I mean, these guys who, who? Yeah. I, all these names you go down. Jordan Fuller's okay at strong safety. I mean, Russ Yeast, that's not even a real name. Not even a real name. And Kobe Durant, right right uh, outside cornerback. I, they're going to be holding on for dear life in that secondary. <laughs> Put that secondary and, and superimpose the Seahawks secondary over the top of that one if you want to laugh. So... Let's get down the bottom line here with the rat. And let's not belay the point. I've already probably gone too long here in the opening with this, but I've warned you guys. Uh, you're not, you're not going to scare me with either of these two teams, 
both of these two teams, you should take care of business as far as you are a much talented team. You're in a way different state as you are in the sending state. They are in an hour rebuilding state. So you're in two different places. There's no excuses for not going 4-0 against these teams next year, both on the road and at home. And I don't care if the Rams have Stafford. I don't care if they have Cup. To me, there's still a far cry from where we are as a team. And they have, just like the Cardinals, this isn't sort of a subtle NBA thing, right? Where the NBA's teams are like, yeah, no, we're really going to go for it. Hey, star player, maybe you just don't play tonight, you know? You, looks like your hammy's getting a little tight. Yeah, this is getting a little tight. Yeah, maybe just chill. Why don't you just chill tonight? You know, it ain't going to be like that. They've openly signaled, we're in rebuild mode. I, I'm not going to call it outright tanking for the number one overall pick at this point, but certainly it's in rebuild mode and moving into that direction. And can easily slide further. An injury here, an injury there. Donald goes down for the, the season and preseason, or Stafford says, I can't make it go with my back. Then, uh, you know, here you go. Here you go. The door now opens wide. And those four wins are going to be very important. Not only important in then winning this division, but if our Seahawks are going to get to a place of being elite this year and get to a place of really making some noise in the playoffs, in my opinion, it's got to kind of come through our stadium. It's got to go through a home field advantage approach for that to occur. And the only way for that to occur, the only way for that to happen is you've got to get that bye week. The problem is, is the, this is the, the bye week is not the same now as it was when we got it in 2013 or 2014 or 2005. All seasons that we got to at the Super Bowl, the bye week has now changed. There's only one of them. So you need every last little win that you can get to get that one bye that remains in a conference to then potentially get you to the Super Bowl. It's very important, especially knowing what we bring to the table when it comes to home field advantage in the playoffs. You're going to beat us at home in the playoffs? Good luck. In January, December? No, I'll take my chances. I'll take my chances at that point. Um, so we've got these two wins. Let's get, to the, let's get to the last one. Let's get to the bottom line one. Let's get to the, the team that I know you guys are all wondering about. And I know you guys already know what we're up against here with this team. So we've got four wins in the bank. I don't think a Rams fan, I don't think a Cardinals fan would even argue that against me. I don't think, Megan, your brother would answer that. I don't think he would, he would disagree with me on that. Uh, and I see the $100 donation, Megan. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. I promise I'm getting to the donos in just a sec here as I want to just get through this last nine or one and then I'll bounce over to you guys here in the chat. So uh, we got the Niners up next. Niners up next. Let's take a look at the Niners stats, shall we, from last year. First off, the gate here with PFF. 92.8 overall grade. You saw that up against, just take a look at this against the, I'm going to show you the Cardinals team, show you the Rams team with their grades. Obviously, this is where, when people give PFF no sort of centric measure of viability, and it's, ah, there's, they, they're not worth anything. As far as I say, it's not worth everything, but it's worth nothing. You can't get any kind of general uh, calculable understanding of what's at play by some of these numbers that are provided. I don't, I don't agree. Um, and I'm not saying it's an end-all be-all, but the, this is where this stuff does add up to what we see on the field as well, which is part of why I do give it a little bit more weight, I think, sometimes than others might in general terms. Offensively, 82.1. No shocker there. It was a very good offense, uh, certainly, especially when um, Purdy took over last year. Passing, 72.3. I think that's a very interesting score to pay attention to. It was a good passing last year, but it wasn't, whole, it wasn't carrying the day necessarily. Pass block, 75.6. This was a grade that surprised me because I think it's one of the areas where Niners are a little susceptible is, uh, is in pass blocking situations. But it does go to just say, I think, how strong they are about getting teams to commit to stopping the run, playing and play out. 
that that then sometimes benefits their pass blocking because they get teams so bought into that that run game. Uh, the run game in general was 83.3. Um, and looking at this, by the way, folks, diving into the deep stats on this, I didn't pre- present it here because I only had so many num- thing presents like numbers I could post there, but a lot of their run was coming from the running backs getting it done. Wasn't as much their run blocking was as good. The two numbers that surprised me about the Niners and their PFF grades was that the pass blocking was better than I thought and the run blocking was worse than I thought. Kind of interesting. Uh, defensively, they were at 84.1 last year as a PFF grade. Strong as we we saw, no doubt about that. Their run D was 79.4. Strong tackling out of this world. So something that I think that you can see between the PFF grades of, let's say, a Rams team and a Niner team. Rams team wasn't a good team, defensively speaking, last year. But the two stats that jump out to you are the run D was good and the tackling is good, which those two obviously go together. And certainly the same thing we see is true here. Run D, pretty good for the Niners, and the tackling, great. So what do you need to do in this Fangio scheme? You got to stop the run, but you got to tackle, and you got to tackle well. And when you do look at the Seahawks last year, I don't have to tell you guys, if I go present this PFF stat from the Hawks last year and what they did as far as their tackling numbers go, say nothing of the run defense, it was bad. It was bad, comparatively speaking. And that's a big part of the improvement here. And I, I don't know, frankly, how, to, how these teams have gotten so good at it. So you can't train tackling. Tackling from a player standpoint in the modern era has got to come from personal responsibility. What do I mean by that? You can't be in pads all the time anymore. There's no more two-a-days. There's no more off-season in-padded practices anymore. So it's so very, very hard to train these guys how to tackle right. How to train the hawk tackling technique to perfection. How do you do it when you only can walk through in your training method? How do you do it when you can't show them live, live fire exercises? I don't know. I don't know. But the Rams and the Niners have seemingly found a way to get it done. Uh, just two parts that do stand out with how they're making their defenses work. And it's, it's kind of no duh here. This isn't obvious, but this is where the Seahawks have got to get their part fixed, I think, is to start to turn this defense around in the right way. Pass rush, 78.3. Solid grade from them in that respect of things. And then another one that was surprising to me about the Niners last year with the 87.1 grade. What is interesting about that is that there was a little bit of a problem last year with stopping some of the big plays. I think a little bit of that has to come from the place of you're dealing with teams at times where you're up on teams, you're up by teams a lot, teams are taking more shots down the football field. Some of this though also comes from the standpoint of that's a little bit of a trapping that you can fall into with the Vic Fangio scheme because though it is a cover two shell pre-snap and what it shows you, so it, off the snap, it's telling the quarterback, hey, you don't, don't test us back here because we're going to have two bubbles back on either side of the field to protect deep. But it is, does tend to have the safeties playing a little bit closer to the line naturally in that alignment, like 12 yards of depth. And let's say that with normal safety play, you might be 15, 16 yards of depth off the line of scrimmage. So that's the one little spot that was interesting to me. Then another place that stands out here as we look about the changes they've had this offseason when it comes to the, um, when it comes to the um, Niners is that they're moving, they've moved on now to Wilkes, Steve Wilkes, the Carolina interim coach from last season that stepped in and did a really nice job with the Carolina Panthers last year. Um, and he's, I think, not looking to do a whole lot differently. They're going to stay in, in what's called the wide nine technique. So I'll show you guys this a little bit. Let me show you guys just two different things here to kind of understand in the Niners a bit. Look at the Vic Fangio scheme here with this 3-4 with the Broncos. You got the, you know, it's kind of a three, I guess it's sort of a three, three a little bit and uh, really how it's set up here with the safety coming down in the box. 
But the important part is you got the three down linemen um, and the stand and the guys standing up on either side of them. That's how it's presented a little bit. This is traditionally the Fangio scheme. Well, here's the Niners and how they're running it. Okay. And what this is called is the wide nine technique. Why is it wide nine? We'll take a look at those defensive linemen and then look back here at the Fangio defensive linemen. See how close those guys are all in inside there? See how, and it changes. This isn't the way it is always aligned every snap, right? Sometimes the, uh, they've got them in a one-tech role right now. Sometimes that nose tackle is going to be the zero-tech. But just for the purposes of this, to help you understand, you see the defensive linemen here all aligned out very wide. Uh, the defensive ends are each on the outside shoulder of the tackles. They're not heads up over the tackle. Even in Bosa's case, you might be, well, Bosa's heads up over the tackle, isn't he? No, that's a tight end that he's over the top of. So you have, you have the ends spread out. You've got the inside players between the defensive linemen. Look at that. There's almost a, a you've got one guy with, the, he's on the outside shoulder of the right guard, right? And then the number 90 there all the way over on the other side is, you know, he's tucked in now on kind of a, a inside one tech kind of a technique there, but he's still very far away from that other guy. So they've got a, a defense that stretches really far out in its basic presentation to you pre-snap. And we're going to come back to this and being a little bit in how, you know, you've got to attack them and go after them. But that's the real keynote difference when you look about what, what's the difference between Fangio's defense, the Niners, the Broncos, to the, to the Rams. This is really the key part is those front four guys in their alignment. Wilk's not looking to stop any of that. Uh, he says, well, number one, one of our goals, and this is Steve Wilkes, we talked about was trying to lead the league in the least explosive plays, said Wilkes. I think we gave up too many last year, so hopefully you don't see that. The fastest and quickest way to win a game is through the air. As great as those guys may be playing up front, we have to make sure we secure things on the back end. We don't want to give up explosive plays. That's number one. And two, we have to make more plays on the football, interceptions, and then find a way to get it in the end zone with those. So he's really much in his talk about this. It's a guy coming in that feels like we've got our P's and Q's, our ABC's handled defensively, our, our, our foundations. We're going to try a little bit more of the advanced stuff. And this is where, to me, some of the door opens up from a, a, not a schematic, but just on a tactical standpoint and how you can go about them. Because defense has got to make its, its pick of what it wants to be one or the other. And let's say last year you ended up in more situations as a Niner defense in cover three or cover one, which is the single high safety over the top. Well, I would say in just the guessing game here a bit, that there's going to be more instances here with Wilkes in wanting to protect against those deep balls of now sticking into more cover two situations. And he seems a little bit more predetermined with wanting to see them stop the pass than he is the run. I don't know if this is a mistake necessarily for him. Maybe it's the smart way for them to go, but I do think it's a little bit of a, uh, it's a little bit of him trying to find a refinement here to what's already working great for the Niners, right? Like this is a little bit of a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it thing for me a bit with Wilkes coming in. I think he's a great defensive coach. I don't think he's going to mess up the Niners defense in any respect of things. But at the same point in time, why do you get the deep plays? Why do you get hit with those chunk plays? Well, why did we get hit with the chunk plays through the first half of the 2020 season at the high degree that we did? Was it because we just got bad defensively of stopping the big plays when Coach Carroll throughout his whole time period here has been great at stopping the big play and how he coaches and instructs his defenses? No, no. What happened was is your offense went into super ham mode 
Every time you touch the ball, you're throwing 65-yard bombs down. the. You're, you're putting up 30, 40, 35 points. Your quarterback's through like seven games on pace to throw 70 touchdowns for the season. And opposing offenses know it. And so they're trying to score every time. They're dialing up their aggression with that. Now, with their dialing of that aggression will come some other game-changing turnover plays for you defensively where you can tilt the field even better in that game to get, get yourself even more secured into getting the win. Also, what comes with that, though, is at times your defense is going to fail with that because when teams are going to prove to be that aggressive without fear of what could go wrong because it's already gone wrong for them, they're down by 20 points. They're down by 17 points. Um, that's a little bit of what I think he might be losing there a little bit within that. Um, if he starts to get them into a little bit more of a conservative nature in their approach defensively versus being in a little bit more of that attack method that they win. I thought last year they were humming. I wouldn't mess at all with that Niner defense if I was Steve Wilkes coming in there. Um, but it does seem like he's got stuff that he wants to concentrate on that might not be the same stuff that Sala was concentrating on when he was in there prior or anybody else. Not that all defensive-minded coaches are going to lock in on limiting big plays and turnovers, but uh, I would keep, I don't know if that's been at the forefront of that Niner defense necessarily and how they've run. They've been suffocating. They've been, we're just going to shut you down completely kind of defense. And sometimes to get to that stylings of things, it's, it's with a defense that's a little bit more willing to play with a little bit, a little bit more of a reckless abandoned nature to it, a little bit more willing to pay the price um, if you do happen to hit us, but you're not going to hit us. Or if you do, it's going to be very rare. Looking at uh, the Niners statistically in the breakdown here of them for the off season. They had 25 free agents coming into this offseason and quite a bit of work to be done because not only that, they also then were going to have to eventually deal with Nick Bosa's deal. I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know how they've been able to get him so patient in getting that deal done. Um, I'm sure they're still working on it right now in the background. Probably will be announced right before the start of training camp or right in training camp. Um, but that's also a deal that still does remain that does need to get done, um, signed and finished up. The big signing for them was Javon Hargrave. So no major defensive lineman lost here. This is all just really adding to what is already there. Hardgrave coming over from the Eagles, signed him to a huge deal, did a little bit differently than the deal that we did for Jermont Jones, where we paid sort of the cost of Jermont Jones evenly over the course of the contract. The Niners squeezed this Hardgrave deal in so they could still get the Bosa deal signed. He's only costing them, I think, about $5.5 on this year's cap in order to get that deal done. He provides them with an inside presence that can give them some pass rush that's been missing. They've been hoping for years that Javon Kinlaw would be that guy that could develop into that role, and he's just not quite gotten there. He's shown some flashes more last year. I think he he showed much more last year than what he had shown any, any year prior, but it's still not enough for what they want from that interior of the line. They're a little bit on they're a little edge heavy um, in where they're trying to generate their pressure on that on that Niner defensive line. So a guy that will slide in and help them out. He is a guy that's changed as a player coming over to the Eagles from the Steelers. He was more of a run-stuffing guy that might occasionally give you a little bit of pass rush. And then he had a little bit of like what happened with Jaron Reed when he walked in from Alabama, where then he started to sort of transition now more into more of a pass rusher. And some of that has, in looking at Hargrave as a potential free agent or Hawks might sign, some of that has come at the cost of his uh, stop run-stuffing ability. He has sacrificed a little bit of that to become a better pass rusher. And that might be a place that the Hawks can kind of hammer here because I'm going to give you a real specific way that the Seahawks can get after this Niner team this upcoming season, in my opinion, um, with how this some of this is structured up. Jimmy Ward's been a very good safety for the Niners. They've been able at times to move him up into the box, almost like a linebacker in that gap fill role that I was showing you guys um, with that Fangio overhead shot and, and guys coming downhill. He comes down in there and fills that gap like a linebacker. He can still play like a safety on the back end. 
a real useful player that doesn't have maybe one shining trait to his game. But I do think that this is going to be a tough loss for that Niner secondary overall. They just couldn't really afford him within that. Um, but he's been a solid, solid player for them. He's been a bit of a thorn in the Hawks' back as far as on that defense in recent years. Glad to see him move on. Uh, Cleland Farrell, an edge they got from the Raiders, former uh, first-round bust that they're hoping that they can recoup something from. Um, it's not really developed in anything all that special at the pro level. Sam Darnold, the Panthers quarterback, was brought in after they lost Jimmy Garoppolo. Many Niner fans really are hyped up on Sam Darnold right now. There's three different camps of Niner fans all just kind of almost carved up, it seems like, evenly between the Lance, Purdy, and uh, uh, Darnold camp. But uh, he was brought in as well for that competition in there, not knowing if Lance was going to be ready, not knowing where Purdy was going to be ready. They needed the extra quarterback. Samson Ekubon was a good edge for them that they had brought over from the Rams and played really well for them. He moved on to the Colts. Uh, Matt Pryor, left tackle from the Colts. They bring in to, to give them a little bit of depth there for Trent Williams, who's going to be like 35 years old when the season starts next year. Emmanuel Mosley, was been a, who's been a good quarterback, cornerback for the Niners. They lose in free agency to the Lions. Mike McGlinchey, a solid right tackle for them. That was a real pure fit for their scheme and what they want to do, especially in the run game. Uh, moved on to the Broncos and a big free agent signing there. So that was a loss. Aziz Al-Asharir, Moved on from the Niners to the Titans. So another very useful linebacker for this team that did move on as well. Uh, Robbie Gold kicker remains unsigned, but they, of course, draft a guy, so he probably will remain unsigned. John Feliciano from the Giants came over to the 49ers. Gives them a little bit of competition there for Brooks. I don't know if they're completely sold. And they might also just want Buford over as their right guard. So they're maybe looking a little bit at him as well on this that they're not sure on either of those two guys. Just I think they feel a little bit better about Brooks, but... Buford, certainly a bit of a question mark. Uh, Brunskill, Daniel Brunskill um, signed with the Titans. So they got quite a few free agent losses here. Isaiah Oliver, not a great cornerback, but another, but a guy they brought in uh, from the Falcons. Uh, Zane Gonzalez from uh, the Panthers is going to be kicking it out with the guy that they drafted. So it's not even for sure that he makes the team. Um, Asan Ridgeway moved on from the Niners to the Texans inside defensive lineman. Uh, so it's another little, little loss there, not a big one. Brandon Allen brought in from the, uh, from he'll not make the roster. So probably not worth speaking about with him. Uh, Chris Connolly, a wide receiver. He'll be a fringe guy from the Titans. No real other big signings there outside of that. These guys that were most of these free agents were guys that uh, Mike Jason Barrett, they're not going to really be signed by anybody out there. You know, they were, there were no real big, huge free agent losses outside the ones I've already kind of mentioned. I wouldn't say any of those are major, major free agent losses. Uh, Charles Menihu, uh, edge, that one hurts a little bit going to the Chiefs. But other than that, it's it's really Ebicon, Mosley, Ward, Alshire, McGlinchey. Those are your losses if you're the Niners, really. Um, and they and net, it's it's really not monstrous loss overall, especially with onboarding Javon Hargrave. So they they hurt. It's it's definitely lessened a little bit. I don't think they've gained and they've certainly lost ground here to our Hawks. Um, but there weren't real major losses either on the other side of it. They did enough to, to kind of uh, abstain to a degree. There's some worries I would have for their teams. And I think there's some vulnerabilities here that weren't there necessarily even last year. So maybe in that respect, um, they took steps back. But uh, certainly starting to get squeezed, I think, a little bit from the cap standpoint of things coming into this offseason where they're looking at um, with some of these losses. I think they would have liked to have brought back some of these guys. Looking at their draft, I, I was not... Um, real fan of the Niners draft at all. Um, 
Not, not really at all. I, there's a couple guys I do like. Uh, for instance, Jair Brown was a phenomenal pick to move in for, J, for Jimmy Ward. I, I love this selection for them. He was another one of my guys that's one of my favorite players in this draft. Just didn't test well, didn't run very fast. But on the tape, he's lighting it up. And I think he's going to start day one there for the Niners. Love that pick for them. Great. Uh, Jake Moody in the third round. I mean, okay. I, I, I'll take a kicker or a punter fourth round on, but you start taking him in the third round, that guy better be leg kick magic. Uh, Cameron Latu out of Alabama, underwhelming tight end on tape for me. Really underwhelming on, on it. He kind of looks the part a little bit, but and he'll make some catches here and there, but it's not a very good blocker. Hands are a little inconsistent. Not the greatest route runner. Doesn't have anything really super explosive about his game. He's just kind of a guy to me. Uh, Darren Luter, Daryl Luter, South Alabama. Good little corner. I liked his tape. He was fun. Uh, Robert Beal, Ed Jr., not a fan on that pick. D. Winters is going to be a special teams guy. Braden Willis will be a fringe tight end in this league. Ronnie Bell's a guy who's got a legit chance to make the roster as a wide receiver. His tape was fun, and he was coming back off a torn ACL last year with Michigan. So you didn't get his best tape last year, which is part of the reason that he did happen to drop in this draft, say nothing of maybe not testing out um, as well as he possibly could. But that's a guy that I could see definitely end up making the roster and, and finding his way on the football field. He's a, he's a good player. Got some, got a little, little shades of Doug to him a little at times, watching him on tape, especially when he explosively jumps up to go get a pass where he's got a high point of ball. So the draft for me was really underwhelming. Um, Jake Moody in the third, Cameron Latou in the third. Uh, you weren't picking till the third round, so some of this is that they had to pay the price on some of these trades for Lance and, and uh, Christian McCaffrey. But at the same point in time, they, they didn't do a lot of damage with what they had, in my opinion. And when you look at what the free agency with maybe slight step back and with the draft versus what we did in our draft, and we had way more ammunition. I'm not saying this is a apples for oranges kind of situation, but with what they did have, I just didn't think that they accomplished all that much that's going to add to significantly impact their team this upcoming year, especially. Um, maybe Jair Brown is the only guy um, on this list of these players. And if that is the case and it breaks down that way, that's going to help our Seattle Seahawks out a considerable, considerable degree. Let's look at their uh, final depth chart and I will finally get over to you guys here in the chat. Thank you for your patience with me. Sometimes these ones take a little bit longer when we're doing these sort of shows. So I do appreciate your understanding in that respect of things. All right. So we've got... Uh, Right now listed, Brock Purdy is the starter, but God knows who is the starter. Who's going to be ready? Who's going to be healthy? Who's not going to be healthy? It's going to be a three-man battle between Purdy, Lance, and uh, Sam Darnold this upcoming year. Let the best man win, and we shall see. Um, I'm not scared to death of Purdy at all. He just does not have an arm that can do all the NFL throws, and eventually as a defense, if you have a quarterback that's got a weak arm, a smart defensive coordinator can eventually force him into that box. Force me to force me. I'm going to force you to show me you can beat me on a nine route up the field. Show me you can do it. And there was a game a couple of years ago in San Francisco when when we were that magical game in night against the Niners where we came back the the, the Jadavian Clowney game. And there was points in that game as the game wore on where you basically said, you know what, we're just going to trust our corners on the outside and make Jimmy Garoppolo throw a nine route. And he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. And Brock Purdy, it's going to be the same way. His receivers had the most separation on their route for any quarterback and anybody in NFL last year. I don't know if he's going to get that again this year. Maybe. Maybe Debo and Brandon Ayuk and all that will be so bomb that they'll be able to pull that off and George Kittle and all that. But that's, that's going to be the, the one thing is when eventually those route separations 
squeeze up a little bit on Purdy. And now he's got to really whistle one in there. He's got to amp up the RPMs a little bit. Is he able? Is he capable? We'll see. Um, running back wise, pretty good running back room in general here. No doubt about that. Uh, I, I like what they've got set up here. Christian McCaffrey, excellent. Stepped in, stepped in that Niner offense is just a, a perfect fit for them and what they want from the running back position. Um, he took off like nobody's business last year and was great. Elijah Mitchell, though he's had some injury problems, has been good when he's been on the football field and, and called upon. Whoops. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, also, Jordan Mason last year, who had a really big run against us at the end of the second game, busted off a real big run, is still a pretty good accommodating runner as a third guy. And they have Debo Samuel. So they've got a stack of four legitimate runners there. It's not going to be a room that can get decimated, I think, like in years past in the way that they've set this up for kind of coming up this upcoming season. Uh, that's not a place of weakness, I don't think, for them. Uh, Receiver-wise, Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, excellent a tandem there. Brandon Ayuk has become one of the best route runners in all of the NFL. I mean, just fantastic at setting guys up and he can run every route in the game. Debo Samuel's Mr. Do-It-All. The guy crushed us last year on the fly sweep with Daryl Taylor and Taylor had him a half yard within his grip and it turned into an 80 yard play just about. Um, absolutely. He is still deadly as well. Even after he got paid last year, Danny Gray is a guy that they're hoping can, can, can develop along with, can Juwan Jennings give them something? Chris Conley. They're just look, they're looking for the receiving core to, I keep dripping my water. One sec. Ah, spilled something. Um, uh, then we look at their, so we've got the receiver core is a little bit to, eh, on that. Um, George Kittle, certainly excellent. Um, he's, I think still tough as ever. Um, definitely get a little bit older, I think, but still, still really tough to deal with. Uh, Kyle use fullback that they'll use all over the place, a weapon for them. Uh, it's still a problem for us to deal with at times. We've had some issues with him. Um, he does still return as well back. Trent Williams, 35 years old. 35-year-old left tackles, not a lot of them in the, in the NFL, even though he is still sensational, even though he was still the best left tackle in all of the sport last year. There does have to be a question of, is he going to be able to sustain a whole nother season at that age? A guy that's had a lot of injuries over his career. He's been remarkably healthy since he's come over the Niners versus when he was there with Washington. But there's certainly a little bit of a question mark there with him for me this year. Is, is this last year? And is he going to be able to make it through a full 17-game season here again? Um, he is what that line hinges on, though. You don't have Trent Williams, and this offensive line looks, it even looks not great even with Trent Williams, but it looks like a disaster a little bit without Trent. Um, Aaron Banks, Notre Dame left guard, is actually rounded out relatively solid for them. Not great, just solid. Uh, Jake Brendel, okay. A guy that they've had fill in there now when they had Alex Mack retire last year. Um, Spencer Buford at right guard. He had an okay first year last year. Colton McKivitz. I mean, that's it's pretty pretty weak there on the right side there. That's that's definitely a weakness there that you can attack and you can exploit. And if I'm Daryl Taylor, a guy that likes to rush off the left side, for instance, I'm licking my chops if I get Colton McKivitz, especially if we can get the Niners into situations where you can force them to have to pass third and long type situations where you, you know, they don't they can't have the threat of the running run always at the forefront a little bit. 
Uh, defensively speaking, Drake Jackson, the kid out of USC, is who they're hoping steps forward here as the left defensive end. Uh, right defensive end, you got Nick Bosa, of course, over on the other side. Then we got Hargrave Armstead. That's a solid front four you're looking at. And that's one of the best. It's probably as good a front four just about as you'll find in uh, all of football, maybe absent the Eagles or something, right? And that's a very, very, very good front four, especially if Drake Jackson can develop. He showed some flashes at times last year. He was also a very young player coming to the Niners out of USC, a guy they expected was going to take some time for them to get going. There's also notice if you do, if you can, that there's some depth here you see in the second level, right? Kerry Hyder, solid vet, knows what he's doing, can play all over that defensive line for the Niners, anywhere you need him. Javon Kinlaw, does the light bulb fully come on this year? You don't have him starting now. You're not just giving him the starter role. He's got to go earn it. Does he come in there hungry now with a, with the thought process of maybe a contract on the horizon? Uh, even Cleland Farrell um, going in there behind Bosa, another guy probably like Hyder where you can move him all over the place in that defensive line. Niners have done a good job of staying committed to keeping their defensive line strong, understanding where what's been the backbone of our success in recent years. Is it running the football? Is it Shanahan? Is it the quarterback position? No, it's it's really your defense. And beyond your defense, it's been your defensive line. And they continue to reinforce those ranks and understanding that. Know what you are. Know what makes you go. What makes you successful. And you're going to get losses through the years like DeForest Buckner or have guys like Solomon Thomas that don't round out into shape that are top 10 picks for you in the, in the first round. But you just got to keep the commitment there and you'll get the fruits from it. And uh, they definitely have continued to, to feel those benefits in that respect. And they will this upcoming year, I think. Um, it's going to be just as every bit as solid as it's been in recent years. Uh, Dre Greenlaw comes back for the Niners. Excellent tandem. Uh, him, Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner as good a tandem as you'll find at the linebacker position in this league for a, a Mike and a Will. Uh, Oren Burks isn't going to see the field a lot as a Sam linebacker. They're going to be often, you know, nickel type situations more often than not there. Cornerback, uh, it gets a little bit interesting. Chazarius, I like to grab a lot of Jersey Ward. That guy is grabby as hell. He, he might be behind Ahmad, uh, Ahmad Gardner as one of the more grabby cornerbacks in the league. Uh, then you've got on the other side, Demandre Lenore. So corner-wise, not super scary at this point as far as our standpoint is on the Niners. Uh, you've got Deshaun Gibson currently listed ahead of J.R. Brown. I think he's going to give him, J.R. Brown, I think he's going to win that out in camp, in my opinion. I could easily see that. That just, I, I think Brown's going to beat Deshaun, but Deshaun's a bet. So maybe experience wins out initially. Either way, the free safety position versus where it was with Jimmy Ward has backtracked now. Uh, Telephone, Telenoa Huafunga, who I think was a pro bowler last year, started out really strong at the beginning of the year. And he kind of came back down a little bit to earth, maybe hitting the rookie wall, whatever it was last year. I don't think it was rookie wall. He's been in the league, I think a couple of years, but um, either way, he didn't quite stay at that level of performance that he started out with at the beginning of the season. So the defense didn't have any real huge major losses, absent Ward, absent Mosley, uh, Shire, there, it wasn't anything that was huge there that's a loss on that. It's a year-older defense, that's for sure. But you don't have you don't have a lot of gray beards on this defense necessarily. Maybe it's absent Javon Hargrave at this point. Um, but it should still be a very much a strong defense going into this upcoming season. No easy ways through it. Let's get to the bottom line here with the Niners, though. The wide nine to me is where we open up the door to being able to attack this particular team. The wide nine. The wide nine will naturally get these players outstretched in a fashion in order to give them, give your athletic twitchy guys more space to work with to go up against these tackles. You have it. I mean, this is the general nature of it is I have a tackle or a guard 
who wants to stay in the phone booth, who wants to stay next to his running mate, close to the line of scrimmage, who doesn't want to have to widen himself out in his kick step and mirror me all the way out halfway to Albuquerque, right? He doesn't want to do that. He wants to just basically come out of his stance, take a couple steps back, get himself rooted up and be ready to set up and pass pro. And so with wide nine, what you do all the way around that offensive line is you get those guys widened out to where now off the snap, they're feeling pressure to get out wider than they naturally would like. And now your twitchy edgy guys can really take over and, and dominate the gap at that point because they've already got that offensive lineman so stretching to reach that point because offensive linemen have historically not been too athletic to be able to get to those spots. What happens though is that there's a price to be paid with every kind of defense, as I always say. And when you have a wide nine defense, the price to be paid is that there's some natural open gaps inside now that you can take advantage of. Certainly, you're going to have to get some good second level blocking at times on those linebackers to make this happen. Certainly, you're going to have to get some good single blocks at the point of attack on the line of scrimmage one on one on some real tough guys. I just went through the um, depth chart on that line. It's not easy to go through. But if you can accomplish that, there's some big chunk gains to be had up through that defense by the natural alignment being as wide as it is. You create those natural holes and you're susceptible to have them attack. The Niners are so good in, in, their, in their gapping and everyone doing their job and knowing what their job is supposed to be that it's easier said than done at times. But whether that exists or not doesn't mean that it isn't still there to go after them in that respect defensively. If the Seahawks can remain patient, understanding, like I said on Wilkes' uh, comment here a second ago, that he's talking a lot about how we're going to have to hold back against the, the big play. We're going to have to make that a big part of what we're going to drive forward on this defense this year. That's going to be carrying the day for us big time on top of generating turnovers. He almost sounds a little bit like Carol to me at times. And knowing with our own Seahawks defense, when we've driven that hard to prevent those big plays, it always comes at the cost of the short stuff, the halfback throws, the drag routes underneath. So this is where this is nicely set up to a guy like Geno Smith to be able to take advantage of this. Our offense is set up nicely to take advantage of this because unlike maybe some of the Russell Wilson days where we were trying a little bit more of the deep shot stuff, right? Power run to the deep shots. Now we've got the West Coast offense. You know, now we've got a running game that can, uh, you know, attack you in a variety of different ways, but certainly can attack you up the A-gap. The, the, the power gap runs from Kenneth Walker were some of his most deadly runs last year in this offense. And those are the exact type of runs, in my opinion, that can attack this wide nine defense in this way. Bosa's out lined wide or the other edge is out lined wide. He kicks off the snap. You get the tackle to kick him even further out wide. And then there's this huge natural space that can exist there, especially if you can get the inside seal on the guard. And these are the spots that when it comes to beating the Niners this year, beyond it just being on Geno's arm, Geno's going to be able to throw enough. Gino's going to be able to complete enough passes. He's not going to throw for 300 yards on this defense. He's not going to light up the scoreboard on this defense. He'll do enough. But the key on beating him, and a big part of why you weren't able to get three wins last year on this team, was the fact that you couldn't find a consistent running game against them. Your running game just was stopped instantly. And this is one of the better defenses in the league. This is one of the better run-stuffing defenses in the league. So it's an easier said than done deal. But the Seahawks have put the resources into now being able to run the ball better, I think, with an improved offensive line. They should be able to attack uh, wherever they need to attack as far as passing them against them goes, especially the corner situation with the Niners, where you've got three receivers now. You're, you win uh, on paper against the Niners at all three of your receiver positions. All three of those positions, you go, those guys should probably win more off than not pretty much every snap with that kind of matchup uh, against them. And if that's the case, that's going to just allow for that offense to be that much more, I think, effective against this defense. But it does, to me, come down to that running and whether or not you can find those holes here, whether or not you can, you know, 
challenged their gap integrity in the way the teams challenged our gap integrity last year. Find the man that's failing in his job on a particular play who failed in his gap, gap control and hammer that. Um, it'll be an easier said than done thing as far as that goes offensively to get that done. And we'll see if they, if they can do it. But uh, I certainly think that we are built as a team with the talent that we have at the running back position, with how we built the offensive line, we can get it done now. When it comes to them on offense and our defense and how to stop them, it sort of depends a little bit on who the quarterback is. If it's Brock, if it's Brock Purdy or it's um, Sam Darnold, I think that's very similar, even though those, those guys have two different arm strengths and two different skill sets. I think with both of them, it remains the same, is that you can't allow the game to be made easy for those guys. How do you make the game hard for them? That's really a key there with both of those two guys. There's this play sequence with Purdy last year. I've gone to a couple different times when we're playing them at home, the Niners in that second game at home, and Purdy lights it up. He goes 11 for 11 against you to start that game. Two, two, two. Just, just throwing little, just little dots all over the field. Not dropping dimes, just bink, 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 just distributing the ball. And you don't bring any blitzes. You just dip back in your soft coverages and you just let them pick away. Pick, 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 pick. Then when you actually bring a blitz for the first time in the game, you cause an incompletion. Then the next play after that, you bring a mock blitz up. You bring a stack front up. You show him a blitz look. Then you drop out of it. Again, getting him confused. And then again, getting another incompletion. I would offer the same would be exactly true when it comes to Sam Darnold. If you go back and watch that game last year against Carolina, look and see how are we playing it. Are we trying to bring a lot of guys up in the line of scrimmage? Are we trying to do much blitzing? Are we trying to make Sam Darnold uncomfortable? Or are we just allowing Sam Darnold to sit back there and pick us apart? In those times he threw, because I know they ran the ball more than they threw, but in the moments where he did pass, which one of it was he doing? And it's about making those guys that, they don't want to play the quarterback position or be forced to have to play it traditionally and everything. They're like, if you make it easy for me, you give me the easy out button, I will push that easy out button like a mouse in a cage on cocaine. So you got to take the easy button away from them. The only way to do that is to remove the simple routes, but then we get back to the risk, right? But then the risk comes to the deep plays, the deep shots. So when it comes to the Niners, there's two things I would say to you. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about this being a little different with Lance, but with these two quarterbacks and our defense dealing with them, it's, it's offensively, get the running game going, get those power gap running games going with that wide nine defense attack in that fashion hammer them from a power strength standpoint more than even just a quickness speed standpoint because that defense is quick as hell. But can they hold up over the game getting pounded, getting their ball run down their throat? If you can move the chains, if you can keep you know drives sustained in that way. But then on the defensive side of the ball, press the eight-man box to stop the run. Press those quarterbacks that don't want to throw deep or tend to get intercepted deep or tend to not have the arms to throw deep as in the case of Purdy. Press them in that manner. Go man on the outside at times in those cases to get that done. This is the, the blueprint team to do that against if it's those two quarterbacks. I think if it's Lance, you create a little bit more of a straight up aspect of things. Show me Lance that you can just operate this offense contextually in the way that Darnold and Purdy can operate it. So now maybe I'm protecting a little bit more against the deep ball against him because he's got a bit of a better, deeper arm. He's got probably an arm that can make some and more of those throws down the field to challenge you. But just show me that you can just operate the offense on time as a young guy that hasn't played a lot of football. Prove that to me if you're the guy and they're starting. So it's two different things I would do with either of those two guys. But I do think you've got to bring up, you've got to stop the run with the Niners. You can't make the game easy with them on the in offensively coming into this year because that's the way they've set this team up right now is we'll just run on you, run, 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 run. We'll throw a little dink and dunks here. 
And you know, you're, you know, you're just not going to be able to get around it because you have to constantly stay like the Eagles team does. Our running game is so good. It draws so much attention. It pulls your defense from other places. So that would be the way I would uh, go about attacking this Niner team. I went really long and deep on that, folks, and I'm sorry about uh, going so far and deep on this one, but I wanted to do it this year. And uh, last year, folks, said get a little bit more into maybe just what we got to deal with schematically, formationally-wise to go at these teams. Of course, the Niners, it's about defending the run game all the way around. Niners and Rams, similar. So defenses are similar with the Fangio stuff. Offenses are similar on the other side of it. Um, Shanahan and, and McVay are going to stretch you um, horizontally as much as they're going to stretch you vertically. They do it by different ways. McVeigh is going to do it by three three wide receiver looks. Um, Shanahan will do more of your eye formation stuff, more two tight end looks, you know, but they're both going to try to accomplish the same stuff. They'll both utilize fly sweep stuff, fly sweep elements. They'll both utilize the short passing game and, and, and they won't overthink it, you know. They're not going to try to force something to happen. If they can find susceptibility, they can find weakness, they will just continually expose it until you can fix it. It's part of what makes them so good at what they do. Um, appreciate you guys watching today. Sorry, I've been a little bit, uh, again, slow on all the donos. We had a, couple, a lot of donos coming in here. Well, I'll catch right back up on this. If you do like what you're listening to today, please do hit that like button for me. I would really appreciate it. Uh, let me catch up a little bit here on these, though. And thank you for your patience on this. Miranda McDaniel, thank you for the $5 donation as well on that. With the said, wondering when this was going live. Universe answered. Hey, you know. I did, I was, uh, yeah, I, I know I texted you a while ago and I took a bit of time to get on. I thought everything prepped and ready and then I didn't. <laughs> uh, Garden Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate you. It says, keep your, fr- keep your friends close and what? <laughs> I got some 29-year-old girl pregnant and I'm 84. <laughs> I, I just wanted one more baby. Yeah, Al, Al going strong into, into deep age, huh, Rarth? How about Al with the 84-year-old Al having a baby? Woo! Carrying it on, I guess. <laughs> keep keep your keep your wife close. Have a baby when you're 90 years old. Thank you for the five dollar donation, though, Garth. Hope you're having a good night, brother. It's good to see you in the chat. Megan Gock Roger has been a night member of the Hawks Nest for 19 long months. Thank you for that long time support, Megan. I do appreciate it. it says I'm shopping, but AM here. We'll be home after getting breakfast and doing a couple of errands. Sounds good, Megan. Sounds good. Megan coming in with a $100 donation. Thank you, Megan, for the big $100 donation. And by the way, sorry I, I didn't get uh, fully over to this on acknowledging it. I just wanted to get through the whole opening round. I didn't think it was going to take an hour and a half, but <laughs> I had a lot to get through. So I wanted to just kind of pack it all through. But Megan, thank you for the big $100 donation. You are amazing as ever. Appreciate that support. You know I do. You're awesome. So sorry I'm late. Got caught in the pouring rain shopping. Here's hoping we sweep the cards yet again so bragging rights over my brother can be maintained. Well, I think where the Cardinals are at right now, Megan, that's going to be maintained for a very long, long period of time. They are uh, just starting to turn their process over there. And while they've set the stage right for the upcoming years here to get this right, especially those two first-round picks next year, if they suck this year and then the Texans suck and... You know, that team ends up with two top five picks in next year's upcoming draft. I mean, say now we, we've felt the benefit of this. I mean, that helps to, that helps to slingshot things forward in, a, in an insanely fast fashion. But when I looked at this team and I went to the depths of it, I already thought on the surface, Megan, there's no way this team with this new coach should be able to give us any kind of problem. But looking even further in depth at it, there really is no way this team should give us any problem this upcoming year. They're going to struggle to find three wins on their schedule, in my opinion. It's, it's 
Too many losses over the year, too many bad decisions, too much bad money spent, too many bad trades like the first rounder for Hollywood Brown. It, it eventually does come due that bill, Megan. And unfortunately for your brother, this is the year that bill will come due. Um, but thank you for the $100 donation. You're awesome for that. Appreciate you. On uh, Sorry again, a little bit late on the acknowledgement of it, but you know, better late than never, you know, on it. <laughs> um, Randall with a $20 donation. Thank you, Randall, for another dono and $20. That, my goodness, you guys are awesome. I do appreciate it. He says, so I found it, I found it interesting, the praise Pete Carroll heaped on Michael Jackson. Playing shrink, was he trying to motivate Witherspoon just a bit? Was he increasing his status as a trade chip later on? No doubt he's improved. Think more to it. Uh, Randall, thank you for the $20 donation. I have been giving this some thought myself as well. I, I think, in fact, you know, there's a potential we structure a show around this here soon um, because I think that there's a couple of interesting things that turn within this a little bit with the Michael Jackson situation. My standpoint on this is that the praise being put on Michael Jackson is legitimate. And I don't think, I think that maybe it's legitimate and he's doing some other things, Randall, where it's legitimate and he's also doing some of the mind, John Lennon mind games with the secondary room, making sure he keeps Witherspoon motivated and Brown motivated. You know, some of that's maybe at play too with it. Uh, you know, an old coach like Carroll's going to, you know, theoretically do things for a variety of different reasons rather than just one. But we also did hear that Jackson picked off Geno Smith in, uh, in the minicamp. Um, we've heard reports from the reporters that he's all over the place and looks like a different player at times. Um, I, I, so that stuff going in in conjunction with Carroll's soundbite about him being the best player at camp seems more in line with what the reporters were seeing and what we were hearing about him in that respect of things. So is he trying to motivate Witherspoon? Yeah, a little bit. But I think some of this is that Michael Jackson's coming on as a player and he's getting better and he's improving and he's and he didn't have a bad year last year. PFF had him, I think, around like a, a 60 rating. Um, you know, he was a pretty good tackler overall. I am probably going to do a show around this Randall, because I think if anything, it's just a beautiful development for the Seahawks, but we don't, we don't think about this possibility of, okay, we know the rosters here. We know that guy's there. We know this particular guy's going to be starting here, but we sometimes don't think about, but what happens if this guy suddenly ascends? And I'm not talking about Jackson ascending to star, but I'm saying, what if he ascends in a way where He's just so good right now and he's refined himself so well and he's rounded his skills out so well that he's better at the moment on the outside than, than Devon Witherspoon, who is a rookie. Okay, now you have the door opened up to the competition being strengthened up now in the slot. You know, now, you, now you have the ability to move now Julian Love a little bit more around, uh, around in your, your flexibility with him, putting him back more into a strong safety role versus maybe having to have him there in the slot. There's a lot of dominoes that can fall off of the Michael Jackson scenario here, if he can ascend to that starting role over Witherspoon. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I do really feel like Randall coming back down to this, Carroll's competition is king, sliding back into that ruling the day, letting that lead over anything else. Even like, hey, we've got a top five overall pick. He has to start day one, right? He has to, right? Did he earn the job? Did he win it out? Who was the better player in camp? Who was the better player in preseason? I think the thing we've learned best about Carol's situation is that it works best when we really can, we can like, almost like you can smell it, the competition coming off the team. And it's this type of stuff that I think is indicative of that. And it's encouraging, but it'd be great if he does ascend in that place, Randall. And I do think it is legitimate. If I didn't see some of those other reports out there about the way he was playing, I might feel differently, but 
being that we are hearing those reports in that way, I don't feel differently about it. I, I, I think that he's just legitimately bawling out right now. And, and you know, it makes sense. Some That happens with these young guys that do become all about ball and are just about eye on the prize, getting better. Let me get that contract. Let me go get that money. Let me get myself to ascend as a player. You know, I got the goods. I just got to work on this thing. I just got to put that work in. And some guys do and some guys don't. But the guys that do take those steps and those leaps forward as players. And it does appear that that's exactly what has been the case here when it comes to uh, Michael Jackson, um, especially this offseason. So wonderful development, Randall. Wonderful development. Uh, Megan, thank you for another $2 donation, says B. Can you please explain what you mean by wide nine? Yeah. So I, I think you might have caught it on the other one, but just a quick refresher on this. We've got the Vic Fangio scheme in front of you folks right here on this overlay. This is when Vic Fangio was the, the head coach of the Denver Broncos. So you got a three. Uh, it's not even a three, four, really. The safety is coming down as essentially your de facto fourth linebacker here because this is a three wide receiver look by the sand, by the uh, Chargers in this situation. So rather than the slot coming up, you've got the safety coming down is like what would be essentially your, in, it's like a second inside middle linebacker at that point, right? But you can see here, Megan, you got three down defensive linemen. You have two outside linebackers on either edge of the line. You have one middle linebacker there. I think that's Josie Jewell, I think, or something. And then you've got the safety coming down. So that's what a that's a three typical three four. The only thing that makes this a little atypical is that your nose tackle, the middle defensive lineman there, is shaded a little bit outside of the center. Normally in a three four, you're going to have that guy shaded heads up over the top of the center. Um, but that's what it usually looks like. Now what the Niners are running is a four three defensive course, Megan. But they're running the wide nine, and this is the wide nine where now you've got the guys stretched out in this manner where the whole defensive line is stretched. If you want to think about it, just like Taffy. Taffy starts at one side and then you pull it apart. Well, think about the Niner defensive line like Taffy stretched. It usually comes usually comes at this size. You know, usually comes at this size, but they stretch it out to this size. There's not more Taffy, not more defensive linemen. You've just simply stretched it out a little thinner across the board. And that's that's the Niner defense that's different. This is even different, Megan, than ours, our 4-3 under defense that we ran. Because the 4-3 under defense, you know, you would have had, you would have had your, uh, you know, your weak side defensive end might have been aligned outside the shoulder, but then your defensive end would have been aligned. The other defensive end, the strong side guy would have been right up over the top of the tackle. And you would add a one tech and a three tech, you know, in, in the way you had the role set up with a defensive lineman. Um, whereas right here, you've got a, you've got kind of a, you, well, you've got a one tech with 90 and then you've got Armstead in sort of a, almost like a freaking four outside technique more than anything else. So just, it's a little bit more stretched out in the way, the manner by which they do it and how they pull it. Uh, thank you though, Megan, for the $2 donation. Appreciate you. Thank you for the $100 donation as well. In addition to that, you guys are awesome. I ran it with a $5 donation. It says you should make a short vid on your Niner breakdown, specifically on how we attack the D absolute nuggets. Oh, thank you, Randall. Appreciate the suggestion on that. I think it uh, would be a good idea. I'll try to, you know, I'm trying to get more videos out here. So I'm, uh, any, any suggestions you guys have on stuff that can be good, short, quick content I can pump out the more, the better at this point. Um, so that's a good idea. I will, um, I'll maybe see if I can clip it out and put in some, uh, maybe put in some overlays some video overlays to kind of illustrate, um, what I mean and the way we can attack in that manner. But, uh, thank you, man. Thanks for all the donos and uh, appreciate the, the suggestion. I'll see if I can implement that. You're awesome, bro. Awesome. Uh, young uh, Bido Game, how you doing, Ski Nation? 
Uh, Seahawks 12th man, let's go. D-Boy in the house. What's up, D-Boy? Mark Hoppicorn, how you doing, man? Good to see you as well. And uh, if I happen to miss, we just had kind of the chat just kind of update on me. So if I missed your question or comment or concern or anything, just let put repost it back in. Sometimes it updates if I'm a little late and getting on the, uh, on the chat in my updates. But uh, thank you guys again for watching tonight. Appreciate you. And I hope you all are having a great, great, great evening. Uh, Mark Hoppergarten says, B, did you look at uh, the UDFA linebacker from Montana? He really looks like a young Bobby, like and sub for this hard-working man. I think I added my notes, Mark, to take a look at him. I'm still working through my UDFA video. Take a look at Montana. I had it in my notes, but let me put it again in my notes, Mark, because I might have uh, slipped, it slipped through the cracks on my notes with it. But I'm just finishing up my video, so I want to get a couple more entered in, a couple more UDFAs. Um, so I'll take a look. I'll take a look at him. I can usually find Montana tape too. So thanks for the suggestion on that. Herbert says, I heard Kittle said the hardest he got hit was from KJ. I think I can remember the game. KJ could legit get, get you when he gets you. He's carrying a lot of force behind him. He ain't some undersized linebacker, you know, 6'5", six, six, and probably all of 235, 240. You know, it's a bit bigger linebacker probably hitting Kittle than he's used to. Sam, does Wilson get his number retired in Seattle? Will he be in the Seattle Ring of Honor? Should Seahawks fans forgive him after a few more years of purgatory? Good question, Samuel. I don't know if there's uh I don't think I've got anything on high as far as the end-all be-all answer on this one. It'll probably be interesting to see with time how this does turn. Um, Seattle fans in the past can get bitter at former athletes, and that bitterness doesn't always just drain away with time. It didn't with Alex Rodriguez, for instance. And I would argue that Russell Wilson left under much more auspicious circumstances than Alex Rodriguez did. And so, um, no, he's not going to get his number retired. That's not happening. Is he going to get into the ring of honor? Probably at some point, but he's going to probably have to wait for a good amount of time to get in there. I don't think it's like he retires and then a year later he's in the ring of honor. Maybe. But I, I, I tend to think there's going to be a little bit of time, especially if Schneider and Carroll are still here. Or Carroll, at least. Schneider, I mean, is still here at that point. Uh, it may take a bit of time, you know. Mike Glennon in the house. What's up, Mike Glennon? 
He says, just ran for, just for fun, I ran two scenarios through an artificial intelligence, chat GPT, Dan Mode, and got the following responses. Seahawks will have an exceptional season, winning 14 games in 2023. They will showcase their talent and dominate the field throughout the year. Get ready for some thrilling victories. Ah, nice. Mike Glennon dropping some uh, AI nuggets in here. So Jat GPT's got us winning 14 games, and that's AI, and that's distilling the totality of mankind's intelligence into an AI system. So how can it be wrong, Mike? That's my question to you. How can, how can it possibly be wrong? I love that though, man. I got to go play with that. Chat GPT on Dan mode. I was trying, I did go into chat GP the other day just to kind of play with it on some things. And I, it was kind of interesting. It is definitely going to take over. I'm sure at some point, especially as they get it right and fixed and all good. Herbicide says, I wonder what the Colts would take from Buckner. Well, you got two years ago, they gave up the 12th overall pick in the draft. Now, they're not going to get anything quite close to that. But I've thought about that too, Herbicide, and the question comes down to, is he still worth a first rounder? Is he worth a first rounder for a team that thinks they're a playoff team this next year? Maybe. You might be able to slide away with a second or a third, package those two together. You know, we give them the Broncos third and we give them our second. That might be just enough instead of having to give the pure one. But that would be kind of the question to play, Herbicide, to me. And I'm not sure I have a good answer on that one. Mike Glennon, or sorry, Mike. Uh, Robert uh, Jorgensen is defending the wide. And remember, Megan, it's not optimism. That's, that's the AI talking. That's not Mike Glennon talking. That's the chat GPT talking. Bob Roberts says defending the wide receiver screens has been a problem for the Seahawks defense. It has. It has. Um, some of this is the complicated nature on some of these offenses and your pre-snap reads and it being so tough to run, Robert. You know, like the Rams, for instance, are, you know, they're known for running out the same scheme over and over again, just running every different type of look out of it. And they're so good at not giving you any sort of indicators pre-snap about what they're doing. Um, with the Niners, I think it's a little different because you guys know there's that whole famous thing with Trent Williams last year and in, in, uh, tipping plays tipping what was going to happen on the, I would think that that would be a little bit different with that. But some of the other problems come in, Robert, I think with the tackling deficiencies and the inability to be able to bring guys to the ground consistently at times. Last year was a big, big problem for us. So I think it's a little bit of the combination of those two as the reasons for that being an issue. Um, but it's, it's a, this is the clear place where this defense can improve. Clear, clear place. The, the key comes down is how do you do it? How do you teach tackling in this day and age? You can teach them how to better read things to a degree, but how do you teach them how to tackle when you just don't have your hands on the players as long to teach that type of stuff that takes a little bit longer to, to get the, the technique right? Mike uh, says, uh, chat GPT. Oh, the Niners will have a successful season winning a total of 12 games in 2023. They will demonstrate their prowess on the field and make their fans proud. All right. Well, that chat GPT has got us at 14 wins. It's got the Niners at 12 wins. I think that's realistic considering both of these two teams are probably likely to go four and O oh, or four at least four and two minimum within their own division, if not uh, above that, depending on how they play each other. Let's say they, they split with each other. Well, that means that within the NFC West, probably both the Niners and the Hawks have gone five and one. So that's definitely a, a pathway to getting you to 12, 13, 14 wins. That's for sure.
Brian Myers in the house. What's up, man? Oh, Megan out here gifting some subs in the house. So why do why? Hawks, oh, Randall McDaniel, Ryan Ball, Eric uh, Turney, Quick, TJ Singh, Seahawks Times, Donnie Pearson. You've been gifted uh, membership to the Hawks Nest by Megan. Megan, you're awesome. Dropping $100 donies and 10 gifted memberships on the chat tonight. Appreciate you. My lady from Dan Enda. You're awesome. You're awesome. And uh, for folks with new memberships, we're doing the show consistently now. We'll be doing the Wednesday, Thursday shows. So uh, Wednesday, we've got a show set up. And Thursday, for members only, we'll, we'll keep going. That seems to be a very popular thing here with the members of the channel. So we're going to keep going with those uh, shows. So uh, if you are a new member, do get over there and check it out. We've had a couple recent vids. Jason McEward says, I believe the Niners take a step back this year. They definitely had a long run here, Jason, and so much, so many postseason games they played in recent years and getting so deep into the playoffs year after year, you do feel like that eventually does maybe uh, load up a little bit. You know that you start to, you feel that from an injury standpoint a little bit, especially the team's getting a little bit older. It could happen. I, I could see it. And they are very top heavier, Jason. An injury or two to certain key guys. An injury to Trent Williams and Fred Warner. Where does that leave that Niner team versus where they are now? So they're very also relying on those top end guys running for the full, the full uh, total of the season. Hoxo says, "Who's the third safety if Adams can't play in the season?" Uh, the third safety would be Blunt, Hoxo, Blunt, or Jarek Reed, depending on how they play Jarek Reed. One of those two guys. Would them be the guy? Megan, thank you for doing those sub, dropping those subs. Appreciate you. And the $100 dono. My God. Or was that ICS playing a lot of 335 this season? I could too. I could too. I mean, you've, you've built your secondary as the strength on your defense. That's what you, you know, lean into it, right? Might as well lean into it. Makes complete sense to me. Stanley, thank you for the $2 donation. Says ideas. How about a Marcus Trufant video? Seahawk legend. Pacific Northwest legend, Snail. Marcus Trufant. <laughs> Part of my good, not great series. No, uh, yeah, but Trufant could eventually do a video. You know? I do a video on a player. I got to tell the whole story of a player. And the problem with trying to tell the whole story of Marcus Trufant is I eventually have to get around to Larry Fitzgerald. I eventually are going to have to get around to that guy. But I would probably eventually do Trufant. The one video series I think I'm looking to eventually do snail that I, when I get enough time, it's always time, time. But uh, the one that I want, I've been thinking about is on top of doing like great Seahawks and Seahawks history, doing those ones that are, you know, not quite great. Some without sounding kind of condescending to the player, you know, almost nearly great or, you know, really good players or whatever, but like Trufant, Joe Nash, you know, Max Strong, John L. Williams, kind of guys like that in Seahawks history that were more, should be celebrated, had really good long careers. 
just maybe didn't quite get to that great status of things. You certainly would have to conclude Marcus at that point if I did that series. <laughs> Thank you for the suggestion though and the donation, man. I do appreciate you. Nagasa says, this is the easiest NBA win for my, any team. So D-Boy, I think what you got to do is uh, you got to get subbed up and then just have, an, have your alt account in here because I think it's because you're, you're, you're modded because it's not giving, I don't have any other mods that the, the subs have given to. So like it's not handed it to any of the other guys that are modded up on the channel. So I think it just doesn't do it for that, which is weird. Of course, it should just allow me D-Boy to just set the mods as members of the channel. Like give me control to open that up, you know? but it's stupid. A D boy says, Brandon, do you like players more or less the same when the one there's one team player for their whole career? I, I like them the same overall for the most part. I, I think it all depends on the reason they leave a team. You know, there's sometimes that players leave a team and it's not their fault where the team moved on. The player might have something left and he wanted to like Bobby Wagner situation. Then you have the times where those guys that just are basically gun for hires, you know, and I don't begrudge a guy if he's a gun for hire because sports is short term and your shelf life is long and you got to get while the getting's good and you're trying to create generational wealth and I'm not going to knock anybody for that going and getting everything they can. I do think though you do have a little bit of a legacy hit if you're going to be a hired gun, if you're going to be a mercenary, if you're going to be a man without an army or a man without a country, kind of so to speak, you know, there is a little bit of your legacy is looked differently. It doesn't mean you're bat worse as a player or you shouldn't be viewed as a sensational player and what you brought to the table. But um, it all depends on circumstance there a little bit, D-Boy. You know, just a little bit. D-Boy says, 2026, the Seahawks will win the Super Bowl. Mark my words. I like the confidence. Kelvin says, chat GPT, current learning timeline was cut off in 2021. It doesn't know current events. <laughs> That's not what it was telling us. That was us telling us, Kelvin. Told us we're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Brian Meyer says, I think it was fan-sided that had a proposed trade for Young yesterday. A second next year and a fifth the next. Which Young? Oh, Chase Young. That sounds about right, Brian. I don't think Washington can get a lot can get necessarily certainly can't get a first round pick for him with his injury situation where it was at. But I also think too, Brian, that there's no way Chase Young comes to Seattle. I, I think we're so deep right now at edge and we have such a more of a need at the, the defensive tackle position that I think that that just pushes it out. Uh, Brian Meyer says, y'all see James Robinson got released. What is Bill thinking? Maybe the kid's not in the same place he was a couple of years ago. Could be. 
Sometimes, especially that running back position, you know, man, it's like you, you could be riding here where everybody's got you in this place and then just two years later, look at Thomas Rawls, you know. Yeah, when it comes to to Buckner and Young, the one thing I'd say, Brian, is that they're two different. They're kind of two different players in what they bring to the defense. You know, Young comes in here, and if you're not having to f factor in one of your edges, one of your four edges, you're deep. He's the fifth edge on your team. You bring in Buckner. You know, he's day one, the number one guy for you rolling. I, I, there's, it's to me, it's not set that Uchenna's better or that Young's going to be able to beat out Uchenna or beat out um, Boye Mafe next year. You know, but I can say without without a doubt that Buckner walks in here and he's your he's starting over whoever anybody else, be it wherever you want to put him, kind of so to speak, on that defensive line. You're right though, Brian. He would probably cost more than than Young would. I don't know if it's significant increase, but it'd be around the same spot. And Mike Glenn and I would love Buckner at this point. I mean, that's the trade that if you can talk the Colts, who seem to be in a little bit of a sub state of rebuilding, young quarterback, really young quarterback roster that doesn't look ready you can clear cap space by moving on from buckner i mean that's the one for me that i'd love to see the seahawks target in on that would be a dream scenario to bring him in however says i'm thinking if jamal goes down love will be the strong safety and spoon will play nickel with mike jack and reek as cornerback love the love will be the strong safety i agree with that nickel mike jack yeah, Herbicide, I agree with you on that. I definitely think there's going to be some pull here as they're already got Spoon out there at the slot giving him reps here in minicamp. There's going to be a big pull to see if, hey, is he significantly better than Jackson in there? If he's not significantly better than Mike Jackson on this outside this year because he is a rookie and in developing, is he maybe significantly better immediately right now in the slot than what we get from Kobe? And competition will solve that out, of course, but that might be a little bit of the questions the coaches are asking. Mike Glenn, I'm the same place on the Niners, 50-50 this year. We've, we've definitely narrowed the gap, but I don't think they've gotten tremendously weak either on their side of it. We've just gotten better. 360 was the likelihood we beat out the San Francisco this year. I don't think it's very good that we beat them out. I think the goal here is to split the split the games. The goal here is come out of the NFC West 5-1 and one and do the rest of your damage through the rest of your schedule. It'd be great to beat them twice, but the only way you're beating them twice is consistently running the ball in both of those two games. And then on the other side of the ball, you're, you're consistently forcing their offense to have to try to push the ball up the football field. You're getting them into third and long situations. You're getting them out of, out of the mode of just being able to churn the chains up the football field. You do those things, you can get both of the wins. But I think splitting is really the, the more realistic. Ryan Ball says, I would actually like a Max Strong video. Yeah, I've got to do a Max Strong at some point for sure. The tough part with doing these, uh, these career retrospective videos is I got to go back and watch the old tape. And it's just the time it takes. It can take a month sometimes when you go through all the tape on these guys going through all their old games to try to find the moments that stick out, you know. But uh, Strong has got to be done. The career that he had here, I think both in the case of Strong and, for instance, even Joe Nash, you know, you, you've had a 15-year career here. You know, we've got we've to highlight you a little bit, especially because this channel is a lot about telling the story of the Seahawks and who's a guy you can't leave out of if you're going to tell the whole story of the Seahawks and, their, and all of their years of existence. And Max Strong is certainly one of those guys. 
Jonas says, do a video on the great fullbacks that we've had because we've had great fullbacks. Tukawafu, Strong, John L. Williams. That'd be cool. Yeah, there we go. I like that. Might be a better, easier way one to put put together a little bit would be doing that because then I can grab just some more of the highlights from uh, some of the stuff I've got that out there in the the general area of things. We also got the uh, the preacher guy, right? Forget his name, but we've had a couple of good, really good fullbacks. That's a great idea, man. It's a great idea. Jonas says, "What about a video on Rufus Porter? I love Rufus. That'd be another good guy to." you know, potentially feature in that way. It's a great suggestion here. All these are great suggestions. Rufus was great. Some of the best quickness I've ever seen coming off the edge of any Seahawk. Any Seahawk edge. That guy's first step quickness was phenomenal. But yeah, Rufus would be a guy. I got to go back and check where Rufus was. How many years did we get that guy here? Porter's. He's here for a bit, I thought. Oh, yeah, we had him for a good, good amount of time. Seven-year career here. Boy, he dropped off at the end. He just fell off a cliff. He's at 10 and a half sacks, five sacks, 10 sacks, nine and a half sacks. Then he went one, one and a half. I'm guessing that AstroTurf probably caught up to him. Kelton says everyone here needs to stay at the same job forever or will dislike you. How does that feel? Yeah, no, I don't think it should bring about dislike if a guy moves on from a team. I get it completely. I do. But it all it's that's where I say it's a little less about it's less about shading the guy that moves on from teams and more about celebrating those guys that are able to stay on the same team that might have sacrificed something to stay on that same team. If I could put kind of a positive spin on that. Yeah, there's no way Niners are getting Dalvin Cook. He's like Odell was when Odell was out there. It's like he's, they're wanting to get paid. They're wanting to get paid. They're not taking the discount to go to a winner type thing. Donnie Pearson says the Hawks Nest. Hello, Brandon and all, and happy Superman Day. Hope everyone's weekend was well. Also, happy Independence Day to the Philippines. Happy to all those. That's awesome. Happy Superman Day. D-Boy, Brandon, do you think Apple, do you think Apple a bum now? Or wide receivers just figured out his game? What do you think? Please break him down. And should the Bengals keep or trade him? Um, He's a guy that's terribly inconsistent for me, D-Boy, snap to snap. There's been a reason that he's bounced around the league a little bit. Um, he talks a lot of game for a guy that doesn't produce to what his talk equivalents out equals out to. Um, he was a really guy, young guy that came into this league, so he was a guy that you were hoping was going to grow up and take time to find his way. And I think he he kind of started to find a little bit of that maturity as he went to the Bengals, which allowed him to be a bit better player than what he had been at his other couple stops, which I think are the Giants and the Saints. Um, I don't have a real in-depth look at his game too much. I don't re- remember a whole lot of it with him coming out. I think it was Ohio State cornerback coming out. There's been some of those guys that have fa- flamed out in recent years, but some of those guys that have done well. Um, but he he seems to get burnt every bit as much as whatever he gives good on the other side of it. So, And a guy that benefits as well, D-Boy, if you're a cornerback for the Bengals, you do kind of benefit, I think, from having a pretty good front front four that's been pretty good front four for them in generating pressure overall 
Uh, Nicholas Newton, thank you for the $2 donation. I appreciate it. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. I'm a little behind here. Yeah, but uh, goal is, uh, he says, the goal is to spank them twice, B. It's realistic. Hey, I'd love to spank them twice, man. Um, and certainly if you can go after their weaknesses in the right way, the problem is that we just couldn't force them into their weaknesses last year and any of the three times we played them. And that's the hard part for me to come away with saying, well, yeah, we're going to definitely hand it this, this team this time. It's our time now because you had three shots at them last year. And two of those, two of those games were legit boat races. And so, you know, you weren't highly competitive in two of the three matchups. You lost all three times. I do think you've taken steps forward this year. You are a little bit of a different team. They are a different team this year, a little bit, but not tremendously different either on the other side of it. So uh, to me, it's, it would be great if we could. I'd love to spank a man. It'd feel good to have that over the Niners for a whole off season, uh, especially because if you spank the Niners, Nicholas, then that means you probably also go 4-0 against the rest of the division. That means you're 6-0 and against your division. Uh, you're probably taking the number one seed at that point you've got a number one buy and that means the road to the super bowl opens up that much more wider love it man love it nicholas thank you man i'm uh, making with a two dollar donation she says i got an idea jim zorn oh wait laughing out loud <laughs> hey jimmy requires he's, he's on that one too megan i put him up there with the joe nashes or the the strongs you know a guy that had a, had a good good run here and you got to give him his uh his props for that run at some point Eventually when I can get through this, uh, what I got to eventually do is get in some help of somebody who can give me my video clips put together so I can get that part done on that end and then I can just put the script together and, you know, put together what how I want the videos to be unraveled. That's the that's the hard part though is the going through all the film is just eats up the clock, eats up the time. Thank you though, Megan. Uh, Megan with another $5 donation. Thank you for all the donos tonight, Megan and the gifted subs. You're awesome. You're amazing. Says, uh, she says, Russ burned his bridges when he left and torched Coach and John. So while I may, be, I may be called bitter, I will not forgive him for how he left. Ever. Well, I, I sit in the same camp as you on this one, Megan, overall at the end of the day. Um, and that is, I don't, have any, I don't have any shade I'm throwing at Russ. I don't mean him any ill will. Um, I hope Russ can go and find success out there in Denver. I hope he can, can, you know, find a way to recapture his career and hopefully Sean Payton provides that for him. I do really do hope for that. At the same point in time, there is a bit of, a, you know, whether you want to call it bitterness or just kind of looking at the way he left and looking at the way the circumstances broke down. Not everyone's going to agree on this. I know there's many of us pro Russ people out there that are like, you know, there was nothing wrong with how he left. So there's going to be disagreement here. And that's just going to be in, in the Seahawks fandom as we go forward. There's just no way around that. But it certainly was not a fun, fun end. And um, the longer I think we've had to kind of look at it, Megan, and think about the end and the way that he pushed his way out of town, and especially understanding the way that he's been received in Denver and the way, what we were hearing coming out of there that I think started to inform us a little bit more of what was happening here. Because I don't think that it just like a light switch flipped over. I don't think just suddenly Russell was asking for his own offices and parking spaces and da 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 da, da right? Like that was well, I, they were giving me that over in Seattle. Why wouldn't you guys give me that? You know, but as we saw, that can cause some rifts in the clubhouse. We'll see how it goes for him, Megan, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily give him a pass on the way he left here because it was all about me, 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 me. It was all about ego. It was all about, I want my brand and my star to shine bright. And that type of stuff makes me vomit in my mouth as a fan. When I hear players talk about their brand, like miss me with that. Miss me with that. Your brand 
Your star will be determined by the fans when you retire. You don't get control over that. You can, and the more you try to put the control over that, the more you try to, you know, mastercraft everything to a perfection around you so appearances are appearances, the more that you get exposed as a fake at that point. Go out there, ball out, and let the fans determine where you lie historically within history's sake. Don't try to force it. And that's what I think is a little bit of what happened there at that point in that situation, Megan. Uh, Megan with another $5 donation. Thank you, Megan, for all the donos. She says, I know I'm, I, you know I'm waiting for the Zorn video and will annoy the hell out of you until I get it. Well, I, I may eventually just do it because I know it'll finally, it'll finally put you to, to rest at least with the Zorn Craig stuff for a while <laughs> if I do. So I'll just throw it out and be like, I'll just title for Megan on the top of the video. <laughs> Okay, I'll even give you the, the bare-chested Megan uh, Zorn shot for the thumbnail. I'll even, I'll even amp up a little bit of the, of the chest hair there for you. <laughs> it's the donation, Megan. I will do it at some point. It's no, it's no empty talk. I got to get the time to do it, but um, I, uh, I, do, I certainly need to at some point put a, put a Zorn video together because um, it's, it's like the, that's going to be part of this channel's history at this point is to try to tell the whole story. It's a little bit like what I tried to do with the Chad Brown video I recently launched. You got you to tell the whole story here on these channels when you do it, I think. You know, it's covering the news of today, but it's also the covering the news of what came in yesteryear and celebrating that too. Celebrating some of these guys that get forgotten about who, uh, who were really fun, fun and special here when they were here. Uh, Nicholas Newton says, uh, with the $2 donations, says, I won't ever forgive either B. Never, ever. We're together on this one. We're of like mind on this one. And you can call me a, a bitter bill if you want, you know? You can say that I'm supposed to be the bigger man, that I'm supposed to respect everything that he did here and he brought us a Super Super Bowl championship. And, you know, it's a two-way road to me, man. You know, this whole, like, I got to revere these guys and hold them up on high. Um, I'll hold you up on high as long as it's a two-way street with that. And if I sense it's not a two-way street, and it's not that, you know, Wilson didn't have a commitment to the community or the organization when he was here, he did. But the way you ended things, the way things got driven out, trying to call for Coach Carroll and John Schneider's job, trying to ask to be moved in a trade just after you're two years removed from having signed a new monstrous contract that made you one of the highest paid quarterbacks in all of the NFL. It, it's just, it's not a good way to leave town. It's, it's burning bridges. It's outright burning bridges. And, and you can't really cover it up, especially when you get down to that whole, like trying to get a general manager and coach fired thing. Same guys that drafted you, the same guys that brought you into place to win a super, like you're getting those guys fired. I mean, the, the trains run a little bit off the rails at that point, hasn't it? It's gone a little bit, it's gone a little bit far by that point. So I, I, I'm with you, man. I'm with you, Nicholas. Nicholas. Uh, Megan says, uh, with a $2 donation, thank you, Megan. Says, brand, ego, count me out on that too, B. Yeah, I, I don't, I hate it. I hate the modern era of this, of, of this look at me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. We look at you when you're on the court. We look at you when you're on the field. We, we celebrate you as you're playing. I, this, I, I, I need to be, I, I need to be worshiped thing. I need to let's, let's, let's chill. Let's chill, right? It gets into a little bit of that icky territory of things where you go, this does, this feels like we're leaving something from sports into something else. And I, I the second I heard it too about my, my brand and I want to make sure my, my, my legacy players talking about their legacies, players are never used to talk about their legacies. 
You never used to hear Larry Bird's and Jordan's and Montana's and Elway's talking about their legacies. But these modern players say, I'm going to think about my legacy and then I'm worship like a god for the next 20 years. You know, I got to think of how I can put myself in that position. So just go play ball. You're playing a sport. Don't get, don't get caught up too far here, buddy. You know, you ain't walking on water. You ain't turning water to wine. You know, you throw a, a pigskin across the field. Let's, let's chill for a second on this, uh, my brand and legacy stuff. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Um, Nicholas with another $2 to Nicholas. Make go back on this one. Says, uh, Nicholas says he was always fake and only about himself. It's possible. We'll, we'll someday learn and, and know the whole story of Russell Wilson. And I, I don't know if it's that way, maybe, but I will say that it's possible. And the way you leave, the way he's left here has certainly opened up more of that to where how much is fake, how much is real, how much of the problems in, in the locker room and the, the clicks that grew, grew for reasons that were created partially because your quarterback was taking the stance he was taking. I don't know. I'm not saying I know the answer on all these things for sure. I don't, but I do think that these are going to be interesting questions to ask into the future when we look at this team historically. And uh, I do still maintain when I go back to it, the reason that you didn't have your dynasty in Seattle, the reason it was the dynasty that never was, it was the one that should have been that never was. The reason it did not happen was ego. Ego festered like a, like a virus to that locker room. And there were a few that were able to duck underneath it. And it wasn't just one guy. And it wasn't on just one side of the ball. But I'll also guarantee you this. Your quarterback was part of it. Your quarterback was one of the infected. And with the infection, with time, that ego only grows. Only grew on all of them. I'm the reason we're great. I'm the reason we're great. No, I'm the reason we're great. I need to be showing my respect. Show me my respect to my money. Make sure you're paying me to show me my respect. Eventually, everybody asks for that respect, and then you only pay so much respect. You only show much, so much respect, I guess. And it gets to the point where you go, okay, got to move on. But yeah, I, I get that. Uh, Snail, thank you for the $5 donation. He says, wow, wow. True was here as long as Zorn, and True retired a hawk, unlike Zorn. <laughs> I didn't tell you what order they were coming in, Snail. I just told you that they're all going to have to come at some point in time. <laughs> I promise you, brother. I promise you. At some point, there's got to be a Trufon video. You know, there'll be a Zorn video. There will be a Craig video. There'll be probably Hasebeck video. There'll be a True video, a Nash video. You know, a Porter video will be on there. I don't know if True, Rufus is like in that Clemens place, which had a really good burst there for a moment, but I don't know if it's worthy enough you know, it's quite worthy enough of getting into that spot where it's video worthy, but both of the two guys had a long enough time here to, that there's a story to say. And I will still snail. I mean, in, in Zorn's pots, you know, he, you know, got kicked out of his job. He had to go try to find a starting job somewhere at that point, you know, can't blame Jimmy. On, can't blame Jimmy on that, you know. Now, he should have known that it wasn't going to work in Green Bay at that time because Green Bay was awful. But uh, yeah, that's true. That is true, man. And I promise I will do a true video as well. I don't know which order they'll come in, you know, but we'll get a true video done too. You know, both are worthy. Both are, both are worthy. 
<laughs> uh, Megan, thank you for the $10 donation. Appreciate you, Megan. She says, uh, when Pete said he would let the 12s decide if they would boo Russ, that told me all I needed to know about how hurt Pete actually was. Uh, me, very much the same way. I, I think that that was certainly an indication at that point in time that not only is that one of those things you go, shots fired, but then you go, oh, okay. There's certainly some residual anger here with Coach Carroll and how the situation f- finished and that he still is stewing over it. And understandable. I mean, you have a guy like that under your wing for so long that you you have so many midnight conversations and so many battle strategy plans and so much talk of how to manage the game and growing him as a player and watching him grow as a player. And then, you know, that guy essentially being the one that stabs you in the back to say, I want to get this guy fired. I mean, there is kind of whether Russ was right or wrong to do it. There'll be a contingent out there that'll say, well, Russ was right to do it. Consider Carroll's recent track record. Consider his wasting of Russell Wilson's prime. I get those folks that say that. But from Carroll's standpoint of it at that point, you certainly do feel like you've been betrayed, don't you? In that standing in that circumstance of things, right? I, I don't know. I don't think Tom Brady went to Robert Kraft at any point in time and tried to get Bill Belichick fired. I, I don't think that occurred. I could be wrong, but I don't remember that story coming out. And there was a lot of contention in that situation and where that ended. But um, yeah, Megan, that was certainly one when, when he said, go ahead and boo him. You, you guys decide. <laughs> Whoa, okay. And also, Megan was a point where he talked about the armband thing. Like, well, Gino's willing to wear the armband, unlike another quarterback we used to have in here. I mean, that's literally almost how Coach Carroll said it. Oh, wow, Coach. Holy moly. That was like halfway into the year. And you're like, yeah, he's still chewing on that bone. He hasn't quite got that thing gnarled all the way down yet. You know, he's still whittling away. So uh, I don't think it's going away with Coach Carroll anytime soon. I think on the surface of this, he'll he'll play the, the he'll say the right things and and all of that. But but that was both of those two instances were big. Big moves for Coach Carroll when it comes to a former player. He will never talk about like that on former players like that. He'll always just kind of skim over the top of things if it is bad. Um, but that instance was completely willing to, wasn't he? There was no, there was no hold, there was no holding back on that one. Uh, pretentious Cameron, thank you for the five dollar donation. I do appreciate you, Cameron, on that. It says Pete Carroll's a good coach, and we all let Wilson trick us into thinking Pete was the problem. I hope Wilson bounces back, but I am glad he's gone. Well, thank you for the donation, Cameron. I think you put it very well. Um, I mean, that's that's as, as good and a succinct way of putting it, I think, to still where, you know, you capture this right um, on understanding what what was more of a problem here, what was some of the other things, because there is that narrative that was leading up to that of, oh, it was Coach Carroll holding Wilson's prime back. And I'll even be one of the people that said that there was some of my feeling on that as we were going through it of, is this what is going on? And, and presenting it of, man, this feels like this is a part of what may be going on here. Um, being that you go, okay, you know, you're not, you're not buying fully into rust. You're not going to a high volume of passing attack. You're not building up a super offense. You're still trying to make, rebuild this Legion of Boom thing two, three, four times over, and it's not working. But coming back to it was some of the, could you have complete, created a super offense there? Because to create the super offense, you were going to have to have a Russell Wilson that could play on time, that could play on script, that could simply take what the defense was giving him at times. And Russell Wilson, throughout his time here and through his first season with the Denver Broncos, 
has never really shown you the willingness to just take what the defense gives him. Not consistently. He might give you a game here. He might give you a game there. He might give you a half here. He might give you a quarter there. But he does not consistently, over a course of a season, just take what the defense gives him. That's not really his bag. If you want to be a dominant offense, though, that's a requirement. You can't, because defenses will take it away. If you're just going to be steep shot heavy, bombs away every other play, defenses will just drop into deep coverages and they'll take it away and force you to be patient. And that's, that's the part that he never was. So in a lot of ways, Carroll was doing a little bit of the advanced math on this. I could build up the super offense, but he won't get the most out of it because of the fact that he can't play on time and on script, which is the requirement to get the super offense going, even if you have the great talent there to make it happen. So we've got to counterbalance this to some degree. And uh, that's where Coach Carroll comes out of this, you know, looking way better in this respect, and rightfully so, for the reasons you do present there, Cameron. Um but yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm I am really loving Geno Smith and his approach to the position uh, as a leader, his work ethic that it's not all of this flash flash flash, let me talk to you about everything I'm doing. He's just going out there and doing it. There's so much to him that's just such a counter difference to what we dealt with before that is such a breath of fresh air. And I do hope, I do like you, hope Wilson bounces back. I, it may sound like I have hate for Wilson, but I don't. I still appreciate everything that he did here. I would love to see him find uh, a, a redemption arc here, a bounce back here, a comeback player of the year, be able to push him back, push himself forward for the next three, four, five years in this sport to be a starter still, get himself then locked into a Hall of Fame bid at that point, get that lot all put through. That'd be great. But uh, I still do feel just like the way Cameron presents here where it's, but I am, I'm happy we have moved on. I'm happy we have the quarterback game we have. I'm happy we have turned this team in the way we have. We've gone back to our foundations and it uh, shows Cameron in so many ways on this team. Megan with a $2 donation was not a big fan of Snail's true font over Jim Zorn talk. She says, the snail, them's are fighting words. <laughs> The true font Zorn battle, the, the battle you did not know was going to exist tonight on the channel, but uh, is, a, is a vibrant one. Uh, Megan with a $5 dono and Megan, thank you so much for all these donations. She says, the bitter side of me was happy to see Pete turn his back on Russ when Russ went to shake his hand after the week one game. Oh, I didn't know that he did that, Megan. I was not aware that that, I, that's the first I'd heard about that. Yeah. Well, that that definitely shows you. If Pete's not going out there to shake the hand or have a have a little quick word with him after the game, that's kind of Pete's not happy about it. Pete's not happy about it. There's not a lot of things that Pete shows you that he's upset with, or he he's a good guy about being a poker face with stuff and and not really showing you his hand. But he definitely showed us his hand a little bit on this one, and maybe purposefully so, Megan. Maybe he wants us to understand that this is a little bit of where the the nature of the relationship is here. Without saying it, right? Can't come out and just say, say it, but inferring it, so to speak. Megan, thank you for all the donations. You're awesome. Uh, Snail with a $5 donation. Uh, going back and forth, Megan. He says, Megan, Trufant was on a Super Bowl team and helped start the Legion of Boom. <laughs> That's a pretty good counterbalance there, Megan. He did make it to the Super Bowl and he was the, you know, he was the, the, he was the vet in the room teaching Cam teaching Marcus, teaching Earl, showing him how to be a pro. I mean, you know, Snail's got a good point on that one. I'm, I might have to do the true before the Zorn, 
and maybe the Zorn after the true. But uh, you know, snails snails bringing up some good points here. I can't I can't counter that. I can't really I can't really counter that. <laughs> Jonah says Rufus Porter was one of my favorite Seahawks as a kid. Big ninety seven with those big old eyes. He would come staring off that edge, screaming off that edge. I think you meant quarterbacks were scared. Yeah, he was one of those guys that was so perfectly suited to the to the astroturf of the kingdom because that astroturf would make you faster. I mean, you're, those guys would just be lightning quick first the grass. grass. There was just, it doesn't seem like to me the field turf first grass, there's as big a difference there, though I know there is a bit of a difference in speed and quickness. But on, the, on that astroturf, woo, those guys would be lightning out of their stance. And he was that. He was very close at times in quickness to a Derek Thomas. Wasn't as good, wasn't the same player, but but the first step quickness thing of those guys, very, very similar. Very similar. And Rufus was, yeah, he was he was so much fun to and then when you get the sack in the kingdom, you know, they'd you'd get the whole kingdom going, Rufus. Rufus. It was awesome. Too cool. Jack Maloney says, your brand is playing well. Shut up and play. Agreed, Jack. Agreed. That's your brand. Your brand is what you do. I don't know where they, I think these players just get too much of the agent talk in the ear and stuff and you beware your brand, beware. Like, but some guys let it sink in a little bit too deeply and it gets them a little bit lost in the forest despite the trees. You know? Debo says, Brandon, what is your NFL hot take that you have right now? Ooh. My NFL hot take, huh? Uh, a guy that I still have a lot of respect for and still think that he's still a great coach, but I, this is, it's something that's been, think I've been kind of thinking on the back of my mind for a bit with time now. I think Bill Belichick's days of coaching elite teams in the NFL are over. I, I think that part of the problem comes into play of Bill Belichick, the roster builder, Bill Belichick, the overarching head of everything in the organization versus Bill Belichick, just the coach, the X's and O's guy, the guy that can coach guys up and develop guys. I think there's a bit of a difference in the two of them at this point in time of his career and watching what they've done since Brady's left there and his movements and how he's gone about it. I think uh, that would be my hot take right now is I think Bill Belichick's kind of Kind of done putting elite teams together, especially considering D-Boy, how tough the AFC is and it's not getting any easier anytime soon, in my opinion. Three hours is pretty sure they're just moving him around and testing him at nickel because Kobe gets hurt uh, or of love, whoever's going to play back there. Yeah, three hour. I don't think they're necessarily moving Witherspoon in there as an indication they're going to start him at, at nickel, but they're just, they want to want to get a feel for him. 
And certainly if Jackson ascends, that's going to be something that probably gets him thinking about maybe a little bit more into, hey, what about if it's pretty close to what those guys' performance on the outside, what about moving Spoon a little bit more to the end on nickel? Jonah says, B, I'm not a fan of what's, uh, B, I'm not a fan of not starting a first round pick, especially when you choose him in the top five. But if MJ can start, then, uh, then Spoon at nickel, he would kill at nickel, just saying. Yeah, I'm with you on this and that this is not an ideal situation. I don't, I, I don't think that having Spoon go to nickel is what you want to do. But I do think that it's also one that's not derived of Spoon failing as an outside starter. It's more about the strength of Michael Jackson's development than it is about Spoon backtracking. And when you do think about it, when nickel defenses Jonah, that's a, that's a defense that you're going to find yourself in 60 to 65% of the time in over the course of a game. It is basically a starting position on an NFL defense in the modern era. So is he getting maybe a few less snaps than he would get on the outside? Maybe a little bit less, but I don't think it's going to be significantly so. And I do think that he would be a good fit in the nickel. Like you say, I think he would, he like, he would kill the nickel. And it goes down. It's like that. Let's take it down to like the whole Madden rating, right? Let's say Devon Witherspoon long-term can be a 95 outside corner, but no man in his rookie year is usually going to be at his best. Usually. I know Tariq Woolen lit on fire last year, but let's just say that Devon fits to historical norms. Let's say that he's an 88 next year in his first year or an 87. And it takes him a couple years to get to that 95 state. But let's say Mike Jackson next year is at an 88. He gets into training camp and he's at like an 88 level or he's at an 86. Let's go 86. And you go, okay, well, Spoon gives us 87 right now. Jackson gives us an 86 level of play out there. But if we move Spoon into the nickel, he gives us a 90, 95 in the nickel versus the 75 to 80 you get from Michael Jackson. What's more valuable for the team next year? And I'm not saying this, that I have an answer to this, or I know the right answer, but I'm just saying that's to me a little bit of, I think the, as a coaching staff, that's kind of the measure of balance you're kind of bringing into play then. Like not a great, as much an impact there with him out on the edge versus what we have Mike Jackson, much bigger impact in on the slot. Slot's kind of like a de facto starter. Hmm. You know, tip for tat, tip for tat. Megan, uh, thank you for the $5 donation. Says, uh, sorry to be dramatic, B, but Russ is truly dead to me now. I don't begrudge you on that, Megan. I think this is going to be one that I'm going to, you're going to find me landing on that. Number one, it's all right to be dramatic on this one. This is sports and um, it brings out the emotions and it's going to bring out the dramatics. You know, that's just what it does. I think that there's going to be folks when it comes to this Russell Wilson opinion. And even if you're a pro Russell person, I think that there's got to be an understanding here that in the Seahawks fan community, there's going to be a wide difference of opinion on him. And there's going to be those people, Megan, that say you have to have reverence for him and respect for him for what he did. And that just needs to be now that he's gone, who cares? Is he gone? Who cares if how he left? That needs to be the overriding factor in your mind. And I think there's going to be people that have that stance. I'm not going to be one of those people in exactly that place of things. But I think this is one of those places where everybody's got a kind of a right to stand where they stand. You're angry at Russ for leaving and burning bridges. You got, a lot of, you got a lot of evidence to back that up. You're not just sort of whipping that out of thin air. That's coming from tangible things that we can go down the list on. And if you're a person that just wants to say, look, no matter what he did, helped to bring us our first Super Bowl, was a key impactful player on that Super Bowl. He's got us back to back-to-back Super Bowl. Got us through the best 10-year run, was one of the key players through the best 10-year run in Seahawks history. I, either side has... Uh, a, viable, a valuable and a viable standpoint they're operating from, I would say on this one. But I think we're going to see it be in a variety. I think we're going to see this 
every different camp and then everything in between that, Megan. And what you see from the chat is we go into the future on this one. And it's not going to simmer down, I think, anytime soon because we are still very much on the heels of this trade. It's only was a little over a year ago that this trade went down. So it still is very fresh, you know. The wound hasn't even had time, Megan, to heal or it's barely, we barely got the stitchers out, you know. The scar's just setting in here a little bit at this point. But be dramatic away on this. I get it completely. Uh, Megan, another $5 donation. Megan, thank you for all those donos. You're awesome. It says, uh, Pete looked Russ in the eye and turned his shoulder and back to Russ to talk to Tyler Lockett. I believe he said it. If you saw it, I was doing the live stream at the time, so I wasn't as watching what was going on with the camera or locked into that stuff. But Pete's, Pete's not happy with Russ. There's no doubt about it. Certainly, I'm sure Pete's still willing to talk to Russ, but I, I would guess that those guys probably haven't had a phone conversation in quite a long period of time. And um, I think, yeah, I think that Pete, especially because I think with Pete, when it came to, that, for instance, that last contract with Russ, based on what I've ref, thought read with this, I think that John Schneider was a lot more willing to move on from Russ at that time than Pete was. And that... Pete sort of then went to bat to sign Russ back and bring him back into the fold on that contract. And then Pete's the one with egg on his face because not only does he go to bat for the guy who doesn't perform up to the contract standards, but then he's also got this guy who he went to bat for who is now asking for his head and not only his head, but also his general manager's head. You know, think about that. If you're that coach who had done that in that situation, would there be some bitterness for you towards that player afterwards? Yeah, a little bit. And is it rightful at that point? Yeah, it kind of would be, wouldn't it? You kind of would have a leg, a little bit of a leg to stand on with that and, and why you did it that way. Um, but sometimes too, this just comes down, it's just like the Belichick-Brady thing, Megan, in this sport with so many emotions and, and the stakes so high year in and year out, even when you've had ultimate success, even when you've gotten to the mountaintop a couple times over, um, things can still break apart in these situations one way or the other. Um, but then this is where Megan, we backtrack into the ego thing, ego and pride driving things through more than the, a team based kind of spirit of things. Yeah. Thank you for the donation though, Megan. I appreciate you. And Megan also the $5 donation at snail says Jim Zorn had his ankle shattered and never played again. Did he not? I thought I, maybe I'm thinking of his time. Green Bay was maybe before Seattle. Am I messing that up, Megan? He played in 85, Megan. He played in 85 and in 87 for one game. But he went to Green Bay for a year. He probably was never the same, though. Back then, once you shattered an an ankle, probably feeling that the rest of your life, the way they had it back then. Barely probably said it back then, Megan. <laughs> Thank you for all those donations. Appreciate you. And I promise at some point we will get a Zorn and Trufon video out on this channel. It must be done. Joker says, looks like Denver won a championship. Congrats to them. Congrats to Denver. Congrats to Denver. Joe Kick has been uh, a, a real fun player through this playoffs and it's uh Good that guy's getting his props. It seems like with the MVPs, he wasn't quite getting his props for how good he was. People were just like, oh, well, he's a good regular season player. But now, now you're able to see, they're seeing how you know dominant he can be even in the playoffs. And he plays the game so much differently than other guys. It's fun. 
Props to Nuggets. Jokers and sauce merchants getting overhyped like geez, he's a PI merchant. Boy, is he ever. And boy, is he ever. <laughs> Jacob Haas says, hey, B, could you explain why we play zone a lot and why we, we can't just play man to man all the time? I don't really understand the schemes that, well, I'm more of a did we more score than the other and win. Uh, first, I would say it backtracks to one first point that begins at the start of this, Jacob which is that when you're originally scouting players to bring onto your team, you're going to scout those guys that are going to fit to what you want to do from a schematic standpoint. So Jacob, we are a zone-based team naturally. And so you're going to then scout and look for players in college and in free agency that are going to come in and that are going to be zone-based players, that that's their strength. When you have a cornerback, Jacob, theoretically, you'll get a guy and go, well, you should be able to play man and zone each equally well. And and that sounds good on the surface of it, but that's not really how it works out when the rubber meets the road. You have your zone-based corners, and then you have your man-based corners. Some guys can do both. Some guys are just so good they can do both, but it's it's more of the rarity than it is the rule. So, Jacob, you've got the team already then knowing they're going to play zone. They're then going to scout to players that are only zone-based players, so now, just on the head of this, why don't you play more man just on the surface of it? Because you don't have players that you're then working towards their strengths. You'll have the guy running man and he's going to get beat like a drum because that's not what he does well. So you've got to go out there and bring those kind of players in to be able to utilize it. Guys usually can't do both of those two skill sets. To answer your question a little bit more in depth though, Jacob, as to why they run so much zone over man in general, why aren't we trying to look for more man-based guys? Why don't we want to do that? Well, you tend to run man-based coverages in the NFL when you're going to tend to blitz more often. That's something that Coach Carroll does not want to do. He has historically been one of the least blitz-heavy teams in all the NFL. I think we blitzed at 5.4% last year, which was something like 27th in the entire National Football League. So you don't like to blitz. That's number one. Number two, Coach Carroll doesn't like to give up the big play. And when you tend to play zone, one of the things at the head of playing zone is that you're going to have an ability now to more easier easily now um, restrict the deep balls and the big chunk plays down the football field because you're dropping more men deep rather than having guys just man on man across the board. And if a guy gets beat, he gets beat. Well, if you're drawn to a zone, now you're going to a spot on the field to protect a spot on the field rather than to protect towards a man. So it's all of those three kind of major things brought to bear. Coach Carroll not wanting to give up the big plays. Coach Carroll not wanting to blitz. You not wanting then to, you needing guys that can play zone over man guys do one or the other it all kind of lends into that i'm hopeful this year they're willing to play a little bit more man jacob than they have in recent years past because Tariq, they did some more man stuff with him last year and devin witherspoon that is his best stuff is when he's playing man-based concepts but uh it's we'll have to see if they're willing to make that kind of change they haven't in recent years and 1023 hawks fan i agree denver does deserve to win it even though russ is there it's good. To, that, that, that's a good basketball team out there. Jonas says, I've already said thank you for the Super Bowl, Russ. Nothing more needs to be said. We don't need him back for anything. Once you're gone, you're gone. Unless you're Bobby, then you can come back. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'm with it. Megan says, totally agree. B. Totally agree, B. I know we shared a brain on Russ, which is scary for both of us. It is scary. So you usually got a good, healthy disagreement on this kind of stuff. 
Ryan Ball says Lynch had to go through Wilson's manager to talk to him. Yeah. Another one of those bad look moments where you're like, ugh, Russ. Come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. Joker says, we need the Sonics back. I'm salivating to see all four major sports teams here just missing basketball. Me too, Joker. As I've said, if we do uh, get a basketball team back here, I, I, I've got the YouTube channel name ready to go. I know what I'm going to call it. So all they got to do is now is just get the team here. Roy Fall, like I hope we see Denver in the Super Bowl this year, then kick their butts a second time, Pern is sweet tears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy, you talk about having some post-traumatic stress if we did that to them again. Oh my goodness. We would definitely be their daddy at that point. Jonas says, but we can't do a Zorn video before we do all the other important Seahawks, like Brian Bosworth. Let's do a Brian Bosworth video and let's take it back all the way to college so they understand. <laughs> I, I think Megan would come slap me if I did a Bosworth video before, before Zorn. But Bosworth's a video you got to do at some point too. It's true. That one's an interesting one. Herbicide, are we last stop for Grassi's stadium tour? I think we are. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to catch him. I, was, I would have liked to have been over there and uh, I certainly would have gone down and said, what's up? Um, but I've got, to, uh, I got a Hawaiian trip planned. I'm going to be on a beach sipping Mai Tais. Jonas says, tell the story of Chris Warren when he broke the NFL record in the Pro Bowl, when the Pro Bowl actually meant something and then Marshall, Marshall broke it on the next play. We've never, we've had hard times here. I didn't know about the Warren story on the Pro Bowl. I've never really been super Jonah, even back in the day when it kind of mattered. I was never a big Pro Bowl guy. It always did feel like to me the players were always going like half-hearted, kind of, you know, speed. John the Wells says, Chase Young's done. I'm not saying he won't be good, but he'll never be as good as the money that he wants now. I'm, I'm agree with that. I definitely am def sketched out about going after Chase. As good as our ends, edges are right now, knowing the cost is still going to be uh, pretty decent. And then knowing that you only get him for a year before you got to decide on what you do with him. I, I don't know. Especially last year with how long it took him to bounce back after that injury. I've got some real reticence, real reticence when it comes to Chase Young right now. Especially because we got so much more bigger need inside. I think Jonah too, the tough thing with Jim Zorn, it's harder with him to track stats wise with what he did in his impact here in Seattle at the time. Um, He's coming to a franchise squad at that time, a new franchise, does not have any talent really across the board. You know, it's going to take a couple of years to get there. This was at a time when you really had to kind of slow roll those franchises. They weren't set up to be successes really fast and really quick. So, you know, with him not being able to necessarily produce during that time at a higher level, it was a time where running the ball was at its heyday. You know, teams were going to run as heavy as any time in, in National, League, National Football League history. And that was certainly the case of those Seahawks teams. Um, but then there just wasn't outside of Largent, you know, where was the rest of the, any of the other talent there on those offenses other than Jim Zorn and Largent? 
you know, especially in the late 70s. It's just there wasn't much there. Joker says, Pete only has two enemies, Jim Harbaugh and Russell Wilson. Otherwise, he keeps to himself. <laughs> that's true. That's pre- I think that's actually pretty accurate. Those are probably the only two. Those are probably the only two. Justin Goins, would you take Dalvin Cook in Seattle? No. Number one, he wants to be paid. So he still wanted to go out there and get a contract somewhere. He doesn't want to just sign a $3 million deal to go to a winner or something like that, which would be the kind of contract you'd have to take to come here. Um, we don't have the opening for him right now. We're not, we're not spending a huge amount of money on the running back position. We put the, se- the two second round picks in recent years into the position, but we're not spending a huge amount of money there, which you would now start to have to do if you took on Dalvin Cook's contract. So it's, there's not a need there. I don't, he, would, he, would help the, he would improve the position a little bit, I guess he's better than what you might have in Charbonnet as a backup to to Walker. I don't know if he's better than Walker right now. So I don't see the, it's it's a little bit like the Chase Young thing. Like, is there as much real return for what you're going to have to do to make that deal happen? And there just isn't. Jonas says, or maybe an underdog video. I like that. Underdogs is maybe a better win. Uh, Rufus Porter was an undrafted free agent. Doug Baldwin, there was many undrafted free agents that became stars for us. I think that'd be good. I like the underdogs, a, a better way of putting it, rather than almost great, you know. Some underdog is a, the underdog, underdog Seahawks stories. No, that's good. I like that. It's a great idea. I'll try to start to maybe put something together in my head here as far as the way I could put those videos together. I think the best way to do them would be to try to kind of get them in little five-minute bursts rather than have to be committed to doing like 15, 20 minute full breakdowns on them, you know? Past as walkers, year two, let's go. I'll tell you what, past, analytics tell us running backs tend to be their most productive in their NFL careers on average in the second year of their NFL career. Bodes well, bodes well. Jonas says, I modeled my college game after Rufus Porter. It's a good one to model. You better, you must have had a hell of a quick first step, man. You better have some quickness. You're modeling the game after him. Bend and lean and dip. Pretentious Cameron, do I think Tyler Van Dyke can bounce back? I mean, I feel bad for saying this, Cameron, but I do feel a little bit like Mario Cristobal is the opposite of a... What is the opposite of a quarter quarterback whisperer? Would it be a quarterback yeller? A quarterback screamer? Is that is that the opposite of a quarterback whisperer? I mean... Christopher, Cristobal has got his little like old school offense he wants to roll and he's going to run the ball. I, I don't know if he's, is it, I don't know if he's a good developer of quarterbacks and Van Dyke just, it got ugly last year. The mechanics went to hell. Especially he, he developed a, a super weird long stride habit thing. Like stride should be here and his stride on throws would end up like this where it was like he was trying to do the splits on throws. And I don't know why his base kept getting so widened out. So he's got a lot to clean up mechanically. Um, yeah, it's possible. I just wish he was in a different situation from Cristobal. And I don't think he transferred. And Cristobal, of course, was the same guy at Oregon that, you know, had a lot of people thinking Justin Herbert wasn't going to be very good in the way that he coached up Herbert. Maybe he's a hell of a college coach, but maybe not the best at developing quarterback talent. 
Joker says, uh, can Devin Witherspoon be better than the PI merchant sauce gardener? You better believe he can. Yeah. No, one of the things they'll say about Witherspoon he needs to clean up, Joker, is getting a little handsy in college. That's got to be a part of his game that you get away with in college that unless your name's Gardner, you're not getting away with in the NFL. JL says, my hot take is Aaron Rodgers and the Jets will be a dumpster fire come week six. I like that one. That's, I could see it. Feasible. Feasible. Chicken God says, Trent, Trent Dilfer could have led the Seahawks to a Super Bowl when the roster was in its prime. I'd agree with that. I, I'd probably agree with that. Ryan Ball says, I left a comment on a YouTube video before last season saying I thought Wilson could have taken four years off of his career because of leaving. It's looking like it could happen. Definitely is. I mean, as, as people are spending talking a little bit above in your comments, um, about Russell in this year. I mean, Peyton's got him right now in a place of, you better show me what you got this year. And I think Peyton's going to try to reclimate him. I think Peyton's going to try to get this stuff back with him, but I don't think Peyton is married to him. And I do think that Russ, if he comes back and plays like he did last year, where he looks shook, he looks like a shell of himself. He looks like a shot fighter. Is there going to be a lot of teams lining up at that point, Ryan, to then sign him for his services going forward? You know, maybe as a backup, maybe. But does he want to be a backup at that point, 34, 35 years old? I can't think that Russ probably would. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I do think that this is a move that certainly is not borne out well for Russ and his future, not just in Denver, or, but the, the NFL period. Joker says, I don't blame Pete. You take a chance on the third quarterback, give him everything, and then your quarterback you raised once you fired, that's messed up. It is, man. I mean, it, it, kinda, it just kind of is. There's no real way you can twist it, in my opinion. And I've had people twist it to me. They'll twist it to me where it's like, well, you wasted his prime. He was, eh. There's just bridges you don't cross. There's bridges for people that have done you right so well that you just don't cross. And, and that's life. Uh, that's the way it works. Yeah. Jonas is John L. Williams' video for sure, brother. Oh, he'd be absolute. He would be absolute. Jonas says, John Williams' little hands down, come before Jordan's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Omega says, I will know you until it is. Stubborn thing, remember, be Hawk's Nest. I know. I might have to just do the Zorn video for that reason alone, Megan. <laughs> Randy McDaniel, thank you for the $2 uh, donation. He says, love to see a Daryl Jackson video. Got to do Jackson. I think you got to do Jackson. Six, 7,000 yards receiving here in Seattle. Um, I think the thing, I'm, as I'm thinking about it now, Randall, I think it's just get him into a five-minute video set because those would be easier to kind of create with those. But I think those would be some fun videos to put together on these guys because um, there's some good tape on all of these guys. I can find some really great highlights with Jackson, John L. Williams, I mean, all of them, even Zorn. You play here somewhere six, seven years like that, and there's plenty of there to go through. So, uh, yeah, Jackson's another great suggestion and one that I think I'd have to include uh, in this series if I did it, for sure. Thanks, Randall. It's a great suggestion, man. Appreciate all the donos, too.
Brian Ball says, yeah, in Super Bowl seasons, we were ranked 31st and 30th in passing attempts. The more Wilson started passing, the less dominant the Hawks became. It's very true. And we come back to why is this the case? Because all high volume passing attacks have got, it doesn't matter who you are. There is no high volume passing attack that's just throwing it up the football field 30 yards on every play. To be a high volume passing attack or to be one of the top 15 most high volume passing attacks in the NFL, you have to have a commitment towards hitting the short throws towards just taking what the defense gives you because those openings aren't always going to be there, especially when the defenses know you're going to want to pass like that and attack in those ranges on the field. So yeah, that's, it's something that got proven true over the years, not just at the end of Russ's reign here and role here, but also through his time period here. Playing consistently on script was never his bag. He had the young athleticism early on to be able to prolong plays, extend plays, get away from danger, you know, get some rush yards on the ground when nothing was there, but then you lose that now you got to fall back on the old man skills, but you've not developed the old man skills. And uh, there's no advancement in your game at that point as you start to erode a little bit physically. Megan says, why do you think Pete is so against us using the Blitz B? Pete Carroll went and did some research before he went to USC. Um, he might've even done this right around the end of the time when he was a head coach in his first stop through the NFL. But he put like three decades of football data together. It's like, created like the, the most massive spreadsheet you could imagine, Megan, where he looked at football outcomes in the NFL and college football all the way down the line. And he tried to find a common theme for why teams won football games, breaking all of that data down and distilling it all down. And the two things that he came away with for two factors that just from a, from a defensive standpoint, help to allow you to win football games are number one, Limiting the, deep, limiting the deep plays, limiting the chunk plays, making teams earn it, essentially, and stopping the run. Those were two places that he stuck fundamentally that he took out of that data, out of all those games that he analyzed, and he walked away with saying, these are the two things that I've got to have at the forefront of my defense, and then I'll build everything else outward of that. But then that means that those being kind of fundamental, foundational parts of your defense, Megan, to do things that go against that means you're going against the foundations of your defense. And that's going to get Carroll to pull back. He's not going to want to do that naturally. And understandably so, because you're leaving your philosophy, you're leaving your identity, which that's the whole point defensively is knowing who you are, what you are, and what you want to be. But uh, that's where it came from, Megan, was it was that analyzation that he did. I think you talked about it, Megan, in his book, um, win forever, I think was the name of it, where he talked about that data that they broke down to get to that place of this is what wins you football games. When we look at or all the things we look over, is it the team that throws through the most yards? Is it the team that gets the most first downs? Is it the team that controls the time of possession? Right? Is it the team that gets this? Is it the team? These were the things that he looked at as the big common denominators for success. Jacob says it's just annoying to get beat five yards a time and can't stop it. I agree. This is also where we come down to why it's time to change this, Megan, is that he built this data off data from the 60s, 70s, 80s. And the problem is that the game's changed over this time period, where now there is more of a, there more of a drive for the short passing attack, more of a drive to protect the football. Part of having teams be patient is that the old school approach of that would be that eventually teams become impatient and they're going to test your defense and eventually they're going to throw into the teeth of your defense, throw into the teeth of those zone coverages. Teams don't do that anymore. They're not gonna overthink themselves. They're not gonna leave something. If you're gonna leave uh, you know, a free slice of pizza, 
out on the table every night, they're not going to be reaching in the oven for the full thing, right? They've got a slice every night. They'll just take the slice every night, eat it and go to bed. That's kind of a little bit of what you've got with our, our defense right now and how it's structured. It drives me a little bit crazy too. It's also why I say, Jacob, this has got to evolve a little bit in its process. I think Carol's got to get a little bit more open to being willing to give up the big play, understanding that it's coming at the benefit of creating a little bit more pressure, making things a little bit more uncomfortable for offenses, understanding as well in addition to that, that a part of why your defense has failed in recent years is an inexplicable inability to create pressure on offenses, to make them feel uncomfortable. So it's going to help the thing that's been a problem for you in, to fix the problem uh, in recent history. Uh, what does Pumpkin think of Wilson? What do you think of Russell Wilson? Do you have any thoughts on Russell Wilson? Anything? Yeah, you're glad. She said, I'm glad he left. Pumpkin's kind of cold blood about it. You're glad he left? You don't want Russ here anymore? Come on. It's the best quarterback we've ever had, isn't it? How could you not want Russ? Hmm? Huh. So she's okay with it, Ryan. She's good with the trade. She sleeps on Russ for sure. <laughs> uh, Nicholas Newton says, uh, I haven't heard much about Bruce Bruce. Did we lose him again? Uh, Bruce Irvin is currently back into retirement, Nicholas, but Bruce Irvin has indicated that if he needs to be, you need to put the bat, the bat, uh, the bat light to the sky, the Bruce bat light to the sky, then Mr. Irvin will come back off of his bench and uh, off of his bench, come off of his couch and be ready to roll. So you just don't have a need for him at this moment, but if injuries were to hit us, you could bring him back into the fold and it's a good thing to have. So he's kind of like your de facto, you know, first man off the bench reserve guy, but doesn't count on the roster and you're not having to pay him. But you know, if you have to call upon him, he can go out there and at least be workable for you. Megan says, I want a Boz video, but not before Zorn. Justin Goins, he had an overwhelming talent. Vegas uh... says, I was thinking that why did the change from his time at USC to the Hawks? So, Rod, yeah, Coach Carroll wasn't a heavy blitzer at USC either. He's been playing in the same defense at USC that he brought over to Seattle with the cover three. It was the it was the same thing there. Unless I'm misremembering it. Sales says I feel bad for Boz because his body fell apart. He really wanted to be great. It did. It did. And how much of the body falling apart was the steroid usage? It's a little bit of the question at play there, but it did. Justin says, I think Boz had to come off the roids in the NFL and his body couldn't take the punishment naturally. Yeah, that's kind of where I look at it as well. It's right about the time that I believe the NFL started testing for roids. And uh, you go off the juice, man. If you've been juicing hard, it's tough on the body.
Have yourself a great night, Nicholas. Appreciate chatting with you, man. Megan says, what if, uh, what is the cap hit for Denver if they get rid of Russ at the end of the season, B? Oh, it's pretty monstrous, Megan. Um, let's take a look. So if they moved off after this year, they would have to sustain $50 million of dead money, Megan. So to put this in context, we had to sustain a $26 million dead money hit for Russ when we moved him in a trade. If Denver played this whole season out with Russ, played all the way through and then was like, we don't like Russ. And then they waited to the next year's contractual turnover of the new league year. They would still then owe $50 million of dead money on their cap if they moved on from Russ at that point. Double what we had to eat to move him in a trade, which hurt. It'd be tough. Megan says, annoying is such a word, but totally accurate if you don't do the Zorn video, be laughing out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Bet, Megan. I'll get it done at some point. Justin says, who do I think gets picked for the hard knocks this year? How about the Bears? What about the Bears? That one feels right to me. Not the Bears. Who would it be, though? The Jets would be fun, wouldn't they? Jets would be fun to watch. I'm sure Rodgers would put the kibosh on that one, though. Stale says, True and Zorn, we're here nine years, B. Don't be hating. I thought the Jim Zorn, I, Zorn was only, oh yeah, he was here nine years. My bad. I My bad. <laughs> my dad, Jimmy Zorn. Jonas is back in the day with the play hard at the Pro Bowl. You know, I live in the Hawaii, so I went to all of them, my guy. Hell yeah. It was cooler when it was in Hawaii. There was a certain uh, ambiance to it when they would play out there. I guess I do remember playing somewhat hard. I don't know. The the, the Pro Bowls and the All-Star Games, I, I don't think they just ever have resonated with me as much as a fan as they have with other folks. Uh, Jonas says, before you get here and people go look at this tourist... Uh, B, I have to tell you something. We don't drink Mai Tais here laughing out loud. Do you want to blend in? You have to ask for a big wave Maui beer. Well, that's a not, okay, first off, Jonah, I've, I've literally lived in Hawaii. So I, I'm, I'm very well appraised of the culture. Um, and here's the thing. There's a big difference, Jonah, between living in Hawaii and what you drink and when you go to Hawaii on vacation. Um, I don't like Lay's. I don't even like Mai Tais. But... When in Rome, do as the Romans do. And when in Hawaii, you don't do as the Hawaiians do. You do as the vacation thing is supposed to tell you to do. You know, I don't like luau's. I'm probably going to get dragged to a luau. You know, it's, you just got to do what you do in that time when you're there, you know? So there's just something, there's just something about sipping on a drink like that. I'm certainly going to have more beers than I'm going to have Mai Tais, but it was more just that it sounds nice to say it, you know? 
But I'm going to have probably my tire too here and there. What you do in Hawaii when you're on vacation? When you live there, it's different, man. It's just every day is paradise for you. You get used to it. It's hard. Doing the drink a lot of beer in the heat thing is tough. That's a tough one for me. I get to the fourth beer and it's just like the head starts going. <sighs> Some of that stuff. Megan, I don't think that he was blitzing all that much at USC. I, I, I could be misremembering this, but as I understand it, he brought the scheme over from USC was the same one that he was using. He wasn't changing his ways um, when he came here. So maybe a very little bit more, but not that much more. He's definitely not, I mean, Megan, even him going back to, let's say, Bud Grant days. I mean, that's the guy that he originally learned from <clears throat> was Bud Grant. And Bud Grant was another guy that was not going to blitz a lot. He's going to bring the front four and he's going to have the front four get the work to get the job done. D-Boy says that Brandon, with the Texans getting a lot of new players, are they better than last year? And how many games will they win this year? <clears throat> uh, they're, they're a little bit better, D-Boy, I guess. Uh, a little bit better. I, I like their draft quite a bit overall. Uh, CJ Stroud's going to work for them. I don't think that they get the returns necessarily this next year, D-Boy. I think that they're still in the process of going forward. But I, what stands out is that I think Stingley is going to be a great corner for them. On the outside, I don't know if it'll be a star, but it'll be solid for them. Uh, Jalen Petrie, the kid that got out of Baylor, looks like he very well might be a star in this league. He had a, fin a phenomenal first year. Will Anderson will be definitely the alpha there. I think that defense is going to help them out considerably going into next year. How good is their offense, though? I, I, I'm still a little bit... I'm still a little bit skeptical on it. I still think they're a year away from, from really making any kind of noise, D-Boy. It's, it's also why I love the Cardinals trade so much because I think that they're locked into getting a top 10 pick next year with that, with that trade to the Texans and it very well could end up landing in a top five state. C.J. Stroud's a really young guy and though he played a lot of college football, I still think he's at least a year away from being functional as a quarterback in the NFL. In fact, he probably would be best to probably sit for a season. So they're a year out, but they're making the right moves, D-Boy. They're, they're not spending bad money. Um, they're, not, uh, they're not, you know, doing things that aren't understandable as far as in the draft goes. So they're moving in the right direction. Some of this will be as how is D'Amico Ryans too as a coach. We don't know that he's a first-time coach at this point. So, you know, how is he going to fit into that role? Jonas says, I only get Jim Zorn. I only get on Jim Zorn because he's my dad's quarterback, laughing out loud. You know how that goes in a house uh, alone, Seahawks men. <laughs> Everybody thinks their quarterback is the best. It's the way it goes, man. It's the way, it's definitely the way it goes. It, it's very true. Uh, Megan says, I've read that book several times. Believe me, B. <laughs> I bet, bet. Justin Goins says, uh, chat GPT, design me a defense in the style of Pete Carroll that can win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Justin Goins, chat GPT, trades for Russell Wilson. <laughs> Megan, that look from Pumpkin was the same one Pete gave you when he came to shake his, when Pete came to shake Russell Wilson's hand. That's for sure. She, she dipped right back to sleep and you notice that? She's like, ugh, I'm sleeping. Megan says, still waiting for the Zorn card to be center middle. I get distracted by the chest of steel. I keep forgetting to get on eBay, Megan. I keep spacing that one out. Jonas says, I actually uh, did have a quick first step B. I was a 5'10", 220 pound outside linebacker. I ran a 4'5", 40 and a 10 flat 100 yard. 
Dash, I was a track runner. That was my claim to fame. Uh, 300 pound tackles killed me. No, I bet. Well, it gets a lot of weight to give up at that point, right, Jonah? I mean, it is a ton. But I could see how you could be more reliant than on that first step quickness and that dip in that bend, that lean. You know, just try to beat them to that edge at that point. Tough thing, too, is when you get those tackles up that 300 pounds, they also got the long arms. It's like, you know, you can get past them on a, on a quickness speed basis, but then they get those go-go gadget arms out there where you're like, that guy shouldn't be able to reach me where I'm at, as low as I am to the ground. But especially when you're trying to round the arc so quickly, it just takes a glancing blow on the shoulder pad to send you off your path. But uh, those are pretty good numbers, man. It's pretty good numbers. Four or five, man. I, I never came, I would never in, never was in the vicinity of that. Right, my head out probably been lucky to run a five flat 40 at my, at my best of times. Um, Joker says, what was your rookie grades on Kendry Miller and Devon Archain? So I had on, uh, let me bring up my, let me bring up my horizontal board. And maybe. I'm bringing it up for some reason here. What's going on? Huh. Uh, it's all I have to guess here. My thing's not coming up for some weird reason. Um, so on Kenry Miller, I believe I had a third round grade on him, Joker. And Devin Archain, I had a fifth round grade. Um, Archain's got insane speed, but his insane speed comes on the back of him weighing like 180 pounds at his pro day. Very, very, very light guy. I don't know if he's really going to be able to hold up at the NFL level, being that he is so slight and so kind of slight in stature too. Um, so our chain, I just wasn't, it certainly got burst in speed and quickness, but there comes a point in time, Joker, I think where you lose so much weight on a guy, he gets down so low. I mean, the ideal is at a running back, you like a guy at 225. I got you at 180. And I know there's not a lot of these running backs that came out in this recent draft that were 225, including Kendry Miller, who probably runs out at about 205. But Kendry Miller to me has a lot of echoes to me, Joker, of Aaron Jones to his game. Um, whereas Devon Archain's just a straight line speed and quickness guy. Kendry's a guy that can press the hole and there's a lot to Kendry's game. Good open field moves, good spin move, run strong. Archain just kind of is fast. J.O. says the Mariners threw a one-hitter today. No, that's part of why I've dialed back doing some of my streams on the Mariners channel here. You know, I'm not going to watch Mariner games so that they can show me mediocrity. I've had 20 years of this. And it seems like with DePoto, there's no sense of, of urgency here on this team. And I was one that's very happy for them to take a patient approach with building this team up and taking their time. And I get all of that. But at the same point in time, when is this going to click in? You know, when, when is this going to start to, to, to bear fruits? And how long do you expect Mariner fans to watch mediocre baseball? How many decades should we sit through before we finally then earn the right to actually watch a good baseball team from the start to the finish to the end of the year? And, uh, you know, I, I, they don't seem to have a lot of answers. The team doesn't seem to be indicating one way or another what they're going to do around the trade deadline. In my opinion, at this point, um, I, I think you've got to look at trying to punt this season and offload what you can offload and then try to start spending some money. But this ownership is going to have to start to show the fan base in the local area that they want to win. Or there is going to be a cap to how many people are going to be engaged with this Mariner team going forward. You'll still fill the stadium. You'll still, you'll still sell your tickets. You'll still be a profitable franchise. But if you really want to you know, galvanize the region and bring people together to really be behind this team, show them you're trying to build a winner and you're truly committed to that. And that doesn't just mean developing the prospects within the organization. That also does mean spending the money. 
You are the most profitable team in baseball and you're not spending the money. That's bottom line. And you can make any excuse you want if you're DePoto for that. That's the bottom line. And fans are going to recognize that. And that's not a commitment to winning. Especially when you have a team like Texas in your own division that's out there spending money every which way but loose and they're at the top of the division right now. You go, oh, okay, it doesn't work, but I guess it only works for them. But, oh, but it doesn't ever work for anybody else. But, you know, excuses, excuses. There's always the excuses. Start get, finding me some solutions rather than excuses, Mariner front office. Mega says, I may need to rewatch the PC USC era. What, uh, oh, what a chore for me. I'm sure he blitzed while at USCB. He might have. I don't think he was a high blitz rate coach, though, at that point, Megan. If he did, it still was sparingly used. I, I would go back and check it out. I'd, I'd love to hear your report on it, but I don't think he was blitzing all that heavy over there either. I don't think he needed to. He had the front four guys that could get the job done, too. Megan says, how old do you know? How do you not know how long uh how do you not know how long the greatest quarterback in hawks history played for us Pete? you had one job dude <laughs> well you know it just depends on where your stance is on that one i guess uh your boy michael thank you for becoming a member again on the channel appreciate you says how would you how would we feel about daniel hunter or chase young trade if so what would it cost uh, probably pretty close to the same cost for either guy. I would imagine somewhere, give or take, it's going to be around a second round pick. Um, approximate value, Jaboy Michael, in that case of things. I don't really know what would be the impetus to make this move. Um, let's just go through this a little bit. Number one, you're four deep at the edge position. So you move Uchenna Nwosu for, you move Uchenna Nwosu, let's say, for Chase Young. And you know what you're getting from Chase, from Uchenna. You don't know what you're getting from Chase Young. You didn't play hardly at all last year. You don't know if he's anywhere close to what he was as a player. Um, and he's going to be a free agent after this year. Is that really smart to do that? No, it wouldn't. We do now know that we have Daryl Taylor for another year of club control after this year. So he's not a true free agent after this season either. So you would think that they want to maintain that control there. You're not going to move Boye Mafe. You're not going to move Derek Hall. Where is, where is, in the case of Daniel Hunter or Chase Young, the spot, Jaboy Michael, for them to actually find playing time on this team? Um, is Hunter better than Uchenna? Maybe. If Boye Mafe develops this offseason, if Taylor continues to develop this offseason, if Derek Hall is a beast walking in the door, I mean, is Hunter better than those guys? Maybe marginally a little bit. But in both of those two cases of those players, you're bringing in the guys that also have a carry huge injury risks with both of them. Daniel Hunter's got a back that very much could be as much a ticking time bomb as anything else. And he wants money too. He's sitting out OTAs right now, your boy Michael, because he wants to be paid. I don't want to pay Daniel Hunter. I'm not, I have no interest in giving him a big contract. I, I don't think either one really makes sense. On top of the fact, your boy Michael, you're trading for what's a strength on your defense. And you're also now limiting your options and your, your resources to go out and address one of the real major weaknesses on your defense, which is the interior of that defensive line. That's the other problem with making this kind of move. So I, I get the, the re, I get the presented, but I just can't see the, where it makes sense going down the line on it in a couple of different, for a couple of different reasons.
B-Boy says, uh, oh, sorry, I answered that, my bad. Big Country M's 181, best game I've seen in a few weeks. There we go, M's, get it done. Get it done. What's up, Big Country? Good to see you, man. He might have too, Megan, with USC, when he had Lofa there, he might have blitzed with Lofa a little bit more. Uh, but that was one of the things with Lofa where he was a phenomenal middle linebacker, blitzing middle linebacker. So it might have been just a used Lofa net. I'd, I'd be interested to see what you see, though. I don't think he still ended up blitzing a ton. Megan says, uh, Wow, B, no more $100 donos until you get that card, laughing out loud. <laughs> Fair enough, Megan. Well, I should at least put a little investment in the Zorn card here with the $100 dono, right? So that's on me. I long promised to get the Zorn up there. So we'll get him, we'll get him up. We'll find him a place up there. Uh, appreciate that donate all your donations though, Megan. You're awesome. A joker, uh, Mariners should make a run for Otani. Yeah, they should. I don't know if the Angels will be willing to move him, but I would love to see it. I would love to see it. Joker wasn't Derek Stingley's numbers inflated. I don't know if he had exactly a really good year last year, actually. I think he struggled a little bit in his rookie season. So he actually was graded out pretty poorly. I think he'll bounce back, but I mean, Joker, he didn't even have inflated numbers. 34 tackles, one interception, 49, 49, 49 overall grade. 43 run defense, 49.9 coverage grade. The numbers on Stingley are... And you worried about him a little bit because his best tape was like three years prior to coming out of uh, for the draft. But I do think he'll eventually settle in. Just a tough rookie year. Just had a rookie-like year on the outside. More than anything. Maze says, I don't think Zorn is the best. I know he is. <laughs> Boy Michael says, Boy A is my breakout player for this year, and I think he can be very good. I do too. I mean, I just, I, I in asking Joe Boy Michael, like you're asking on the edges, I, I get the, the thought process of maybe we could upgrade here, maybe we could, but I also have a little bit of faith here in what they've done with the edges. Uchenna Nuoso went in there and set career highs for, I think, the third straight season. Uh, Uchenna Nuoso set career highs. He has continued for the last few years as he's rounding in his, into his prime, getting better and better and better. Daryl Taylor set career highs for sacks, and he got better as the year went along. He was at his worst when the year started, better as the season wore along, seems to have at least fit himself into more of a rotational pass rushing role at that point. Then you've got Boye Mafe, who I, like you, agree. I think he's going to develop. I think he's going to get better. I think he's going to make an impact here. He gets forgotten about, and maybe people think that the Derek Hall selection is a little bit of indicative of the fact that he's, you know, this coaching staff's a little bit down on him now, you know, not quite as high. I don't think that's the case, though. I just think that they're just trying to stack up a really deep edge crew, especially having Uchen in the last year of his career, having Daryl Taylor still now two years out from free agency a little bit. So they're they're building it up with a little bit of depth and also for a little bit of the future. But Boye is naturally very talented. He was outstanding for us as a run defender last year from the jump. He gave us good run defense as an opening skill day one. Can he develop as a pass rusher? He's got the goods to do so. And I think he will. 
So I'm, I'm with you. I'm comfortable with the edge, partly because of Mafe, partly because of all these guys, partly because of the strength coming from numbers as it does. Um, I don't think that we're driven to have to go get those guys right now, even if they are made available. Um, we're just in such a good spot there in that situation. Uh, Megan says, I think it was Lofa, the PC, P. Carroll was blitzing at USC. And see, oh, that makes sense to me, Megan. You know, um, it, it's a little bit like, uh, um, it's a little bit like the Ivan Pace kid out of Cincinnati, Megan. You remember? I mean, Ivan Pace was kind of built a little bit like Lofa. And he's the same way of Lofa where they're just such good natural blitzers. They have a great timing for it. They've got great dip and bend despite being little sub six foot guys. Um, their quickness was awesome. You know, they just have a feel for how to do it. And with Lofa, he was so good at it. I, it's hard not to want to try to utilize that part of his skill set if I'm Coach Carroll, even if it does go a little bit against what I naturally tend to want to do um, as far as bringing pressure looks. And I'll tell you, even if he was blitzing, Megan, it was probably more five-man five man blitzes than it was like your casino blitzes or your seven-man blitzes. You know, he was still keeping enough protection, I would guess, on the back end to keep himself covered up on the deep chunk-like plays that, that they could try to throw out there. Joker says, it seems like every time we played the 49ers, they somehow got better the second and blew us out. Why is that? Let's go through each, let's go through each win or each loss last year, Joker. Um, the first loss of the season, the, the, we were planning for Trey Lance to that game. You ended up with Jimmy Garoppolo halfway through. I think the team had prepared for Lance. They got Garoppolo who played very differently from Lance. And the team didn't really have an adjustment on the fly to be made to kind of deal with that. That was the first issue there in that first game. The second issue in that game was that they didn't trust their rookie tackles to hold up in pass protection over the course of the game, something Coach Carroll referenced after that first 49er contest. So everything was trying to, you're trying to keep all these throws short and whatnot. It was also the game um, where you didn't, uh, you know, you, you couldn't really run the ball very successfully against them either on that in that angle of things. And so through that whole first half, the defense was holding strong, but your offense wasn't able to get anything done. Um, second half, the offense continued to have diminishing returns while their offense started to take steps forward as your defense started to wear down. The defense wearing down was a common element joker to you losing to the Niners last year. Second game at home. Um, you're in that game through a lot of it, but the offense isn't able to get anything done. Too many three and outs, too much. We just can't, we can't even threaten this Niner defense at all. And so what happens then, like the first matchup, the defense starts to get worn down over the course of the game. And then you get into that second half and it's less than, the, I think you're intimating a little bit is that the Niner adjustments that are being made. I would intimate, no, it's more about your defense getting worn down. It's more about the offense's ineptitude in those first two matchups. Then in the second matchup, second matchup, you have a defense that's starting to get tremendously undergunned. No, no more Jordan Brooks. We've got no Jamal Adams in there. You've got guys like Ryan Neal that are trying to gut it out through injury in that playoff game. Um, a lot of good soldiers that unfortunately weren't able to weren't playing it anywhere close to 100%. And so when it comes to that third game, Joker, your offense starts out by putting up some points. Your defense is kind of holding on for dear life through that whole first half. Then you get into the second half, and now your defense is still kind of just giving things up right and left and your offense starts to press and it starts to feel like it's got to score every time up the football field because the defense just can't stop the Niners at all in that day. And so the third matchup to me was a little bit of a different one for my money um, than the first two. But I think on the first two, you got wore down. And the second one was that your defense just kind of ran out of bodies. 
You didn't have the, the guys in play that could stop the team, especially a Niner team that could attack your weakness, stopping the run just so thoroughly and just hammer it. Tony Wright's in the house. What's up, Tony? Says, good evening, Brandon. Even though training camp hasn't started yet, I just received the projected starters from Anth- Anth- Anthlon's magazine, and they have your rookie fourth-round pick, defensive tackle Cameron Young, starting at nose tackle. Isn't Cameron Young the same guy you did a highlight film on that was getting beaten on every play, uh, beaten by guards, beaten by centers, and beaten by double teams? Uh, indeed, Tony. Indeed, Cameron Young is uh, is that guy. It is... Um, it's always when I go and hit the post button on, on videos where I am not being positive, there's always this, it's the same thing of when a guy's about to, on a movie, um, like drop, like, like ignite a bomb or drop a bomb or something, right? You see the hand shaking over the top of the button, like a little sweat going down the, down the temples. Um, because it's not going to, you know, you're going to get blowback. Um, and pe- people just don't, you know, want to hear it. And I, I, you'd have been with me for a while on this, Tony. I always come back to on this that, you know, I want to be honest and true on this channel. I can be wrong. And if I'm wrong, but I'm wrong having operated from the standpoint of being honest and trying to be honest and true about my thoughts on something, then I'm okay with that. If I'm wrong and I'm going with the tide and the sea and I'm, I'm going with the group think, that's when I feel a little bit worse about it because I just wasn't trusting my own instincts and what I saw. And uh, I'm not an expert. I'm not a former pro. I'm not a former scout. I didn't play professional football. I got, got right about into the edge of high school, and that was about as far as I could take it from my talent level. So admittedly, when people would come back and say, you know, you don't know everything you're seeing on tape, um, that's true. I'm, some, I'm not always going to know everything. And my point on this, Tony, is that if there are people in the comments section, including a, a, one Cameron Young who commented on the Cameron Young video. I don't know if it was that Cameron Young or a guy just created a Cameron Young YouTube account to post Cameron Young comment on the Cameron Young. Maybe it was him himself. I kind of felt like I got half of Mississippi State's coaching staff on my comment section. But um, they were coming on talking about him slanting. So they're saying a lot of that, that film, Tony, it seems like you were alignment with me and what you were saying where I can't blame it all on slanting. And that was a sort of the end-all be-all excuse that I was hearing posted in my comment section that I just wasn't really quite buying. Maybe some of the snaps were him slanting, but not all of them. Um, and yeah, Tony, I, I seem to be a little bit of a man on an island on my own on this one. Not that some of my chat doesn't agree with me, not that maybe you don't agree with me. There's certainly a lot of people in the Seahawks fandom that, that do see Cameron Young the way I kind of see him. But there seems to also be a very large contingent of folks that are very high on him, Tony. Um, a guy like Charles Nagy, senior bowl guy that had a chance to see him in person. Um, but I will say it was funny. I was listening to an interview with him talking about him. And even when he was asked about Cameron Young, it was like, He's real big. He's real long. <laughs> you know, Nagy starts talking about all these things that are that are like, you know, well, he's 6'3 and he's 320. You know, like, yeah, what does he what's he do on the field though? What what are the good parts of his game though? You know, Nagy usually goes into it like this guy's explosive. He creates first step quickness like nobody else. He creates separation like that. You know, he'll go into actual details with Cameron. He was kind of broad stroking it just a little bit, Tony, for my for my money. But um, unfortunately, even as low as I am on it, I do agree with the Anthons magazine, Tony. Um, and it's why I put a whole live stream show onto this a couple of weeks ago and did that video on him, because I think that it's something that we have to pay attention to in, from a Seahawks fan standpoint, because this could be a thing that, that does help to upend the season. The weakest part of your team last year was your defensive line. The weakest part of your defensive line was stopping the run. 
You have now gone through this offseason and you've dumped four defensive linemen. You've signed two and you've drafted Cameron Young. You're hoping those guys are going to be enough to offset those losses and be better than those losses to make that better. And that means this kid, Cameron Young, has got to start day one. So, Tony, Anthlon's right. We don't have another guy on the roster right now to be the guy that's going to start ahead of him. Jaron Reed's supposed to be a 3-4-N. Jermon Jones is a 3-4-N. They're not right. They're not wrong. But that's my real issue now, Tony, is you have bad tape, in my opinion, with him coming out of Mississippi State, and now you're just slotting him to be the starter. Why? Because he's earned that role? Because he's just played so well in minicamp? Oh, no. Because you don't have anybody else. This is, to me, a road to potential misery and ruin here for our Seahawks team. And it's one reason why, Tony, I mentioned as well, for this team to get to be elite. I mentioned four real specific things for this team to become elite next year. One, a top five scoring offense. Two, a top 15 scoring defense. Three, a top three special teams unit. The fourth item was going out and making a trade to reinforce the ranks of this defensive line. All four of those things, I think, are necessities for this team to become an elite team next year because I am very reticent to believe that Cameron Young is going to be able to go out there next year and hold the line, hold the water, especially as he's not a back-end rotation guy in his first year being asked to do that. He's going to have to carry that water, all that water, from day one. Jeb Boy Michael says, Daryl Taylor is a weird player for me. I can't always stay on board with him because at points last year, it seemed like he was just getting in some cardio and others and, he, and others he would get two to three sacks. Uh, he's a tough player to evaluate, Jeb Boy Michael, at times. Uh, first off, he's a nightmare in the run game. He can't hold the line. His awareness in space is horrible. Um, he had uh, his ability to break down and tackle in space is not good. We saw this on the Debo Samuel 70-yard fly sweep run. Think about this, folks, with Daryl Taylor. The Niners ran a fly sweep to Daryl Taylor's side of the field as an edge, and they left Daryl Taylor unblocked. That's how little they believe Daryl Taylor could handle Debo Samuel in a phone booth. The guys are essentially about a yard apart from each other, and they go, nah, he ain't gonna be able to tackle him. And he wasn't. He wasn't able to. Because in leaving Daryl Taylor unblocked, of course, now you're getting other blockers to the second level. Now you're securing those big blocks down the football field to spring the play for a big game. So uh, those worries and concerns are real there, Jaboy Michael. And I do feel like at this point, he is kind of a one-trick pony in that he's a pass rush specialist. That's what he's going to give you. That's what he is. Um, I don't think we can expect more out of him at this point. I don't think he's going to have one wondrous offseason and suddenly get decent against the run when he is so putrid against the run. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have value. And if you can get a, a rotational guy that can get you 11 or 12 sacks in a season within a rotation, you can work with that especially when you have guys like Boye Mafe, that's a good run stuffer. Derek Hall, who should be a good run stuffer off the edge. Uchenna Nwosa, who's a good run stuffer off the edge. If you've got those three elements that you're bringing to play with it, then you should be able to make it get, you, you should be able to work with Taylor in there as that rotational guy. But he's an odd player in that. It's, it's a little strange. And then when you're right, when he, would, when he would light it up, when it would, you know, when he was ready to roll and going full speed, it was like, oh my goodness, this guy's dangerous. But he does seem to be a... Uh, Streaky shooter, your boy Michael, right? Colts game two years ago where we thought initially like, oh my God, we got ourselves like a star on the rise here, right? Sack and a half, hitting guys all over, but then kind of went quiet. He kind of goes quiet at times. He does. Uh, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. It's good to see you in the chat as well, Garth. Hope you're having a good night out there, brother. And I do appreciate you. He says, uh, $100? Can't you get a 1000 <laughs> 
says, uh, can't you get a thousand Zorn cards for that price? <laughs> I suppose getting them out of the BMX spokes in the rare XFL head coach cards adds value. <laughs> I don't know if it's a thousand. I could probably get 500 of them though, Garth. <laughs> we're just waiting for the, we're just waiting for the Zorn, the Zorn value to kick in on those cards. You got to wait on it a little bit. Sometimes it's 30 years. Sometimes it's 40 years. Sometimes you just got to wait to that magical moment, you know, but the first starting quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks is eventually going to carry some dough on those cards. But I did promise Karth, I got to get Megan, especially the hundred dollar drop she did tonight. I got to get that. I got to get that Zorn card up in the background. I got to make it happen. And I might have to find the one with the chest here <laughs> just for her. Uh, Jordan uh, R14 says trade Daryl Taylor and Eskridge for Chase Young. You could do that. You are giving up the two years of club control you have on Daryl Taylor versus only the one year of club control that you have with Chase Young. Um, but you could do it that way. Where is, I guess, Jordan, just the, the question I have for me is where is Chase Young right now from an health standpoint? Are we thinking we're getting the guy that was drafted and the top five and everybody thought was going to fit in right behind the Bosa brothers as the next guy to kind of ascend out there out of Ohio State? You know? Or are you getting a guy that's been severely reduced as a player due to the injuries that he's sustained in his career? Your boy Michael says, Cameron Young getting so much praise is a curveball fit for me. It is for me too, your boy Michael. I'm not going to change my track on this or my stance on this. I, I've continually placed the call out there and I've not yet heard somebody answer the call on this, which is, okay, I'm, I'm wrong, right? Um, Cameron Young's just doing slanting 24-7 at Mississippi State. So he's just doing the role that the defense is asking him to do. It's not that he doesn't have any pass rush moves. It doesn't have that he has a lack of hand usage. It isn't that he has a lack of first step quickness. It isn't that he has a lack of dip and bend. It's simply that he's been asked to slant all these plays. Okay. I So I don't have the tape to fall back on at all then, right? Unless I present this question to people, can you tell me this? What's the what's the game that I go watch of Cameron Young? What's the game that I go and here's the game that shows you what he can do. Absent that though, if they acknowledge and they go, no, you really can't find that because he's just slanting all over the place. Okay. His testing scores, 6.33 relative athletic score. Bad. Bad tester across the board. Bad tester across the board after he lost 15 pounds of weight to try to be a good tester across the board. Meaning that if he was at 320, those scores would have been even worse. So I don't have the tape. I don't have the testing scores. The thing I presented to those folks, you know, like you've, you're intimate here with this, um, Jaboy Michael is, what is it that I do then fall back on? Where is your optimism coming from? I can be, I, I can be wrong. I'm not 100% right on everything. And I can be convinced even in moments where I've thought a certain way and, and a certain line of thought, you can convince me another way with a good argument, but present a good argument. And that's the problem I have with the Cameron Young folks that are backers of Cameron Young. What are we basing the backing on? I can't do it on the tape. I can't do it on his athletic scores. I can't do it on his PFF score. He was rated like 433 out of 560 defensive linemen last year. So his numbers there aren't good. What is it that we fall back on to get that assessment into it where we go, okay, this is the thing that you know he'll be a good player because of this. And I can't find it, man. It, it, it's to me not there. Uh, Jonah the Whale says, truth, Brandon. Those go-go gadget arms came off those 300-pound tacos like rockets. 
this was in the mid nineties. I had, but two of those to uh, this was the mid nineties, but I had two, two moves, the swim move and the rip move under those. When those didn't work, I was pancakes. Well, I will give you this. Those are good. Those are good moves to have on, on quickness, dip and bend because Jonah, the whale, if you're bringing the quickness, dip and bend, which you probably were at that size, that's already kind of like a de facto pass rush move in itself all in one. Uh, and both of those two moves work well off of quickness, dip and bend. So uh, I like that you put those paired with that. That's the right, that was the right way to roll with it. But yeah, man, it's, it's, it's those arms get really long fast on some of those big guys. You just, you're like, this guy can't move. And then he doesn't move. And then he's just like, you know, and you're getting, you're so fast off that bend and that edge. It's, it's just a glancing blow when you're going that fast um, and trying to round that arc. One little glancing blow just sends you flying. This is what hurts. We're talking about Daryl Taylor. I mean, this is the big problem with Daryl Taylor at pass rush is that why can't he go back to those counter moves? Just not strong enough, not big enough to do so. So everything's got to be with him, him humming off the edge, screaming off the edge and trying to all, and that's his only way to really beat that tackle. He can't come back to a bull rush and long arm. He doesn't have a counter step inside. Like Derek Hall's got a nasty counter step inside. Daryl Taylor doesn't have that. Tony Wright, uh, this is what those starting projections are for Anthlon, Dramont Jones, Cameron Young, and Jaron Reed. It's correct, Tony. Yeah, that's it's correct on Anthlon. Doesn't mean I like it, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, that's that is correct. Those are going to be your starters as it stands. And Tony says, "Oh no, Brandon, I agree with you." Oh, cool. Yeah, it's it's it, it was the part that caught me with it. was like, okay, I could have gotten some of those snaps wrong with the slanting stuff, and it's the thing I tried to acknowledge in the video is that you know you watch this tape. You don't know the plays. There is going to be a hole in your watching of the tape where you don't know all the plays. But look, the scouts don't know the plays either. The coaches that watch this tape don't know the plays either, right? They're still able to make assessments of guys without necessarily understanding it's zone Y, X, double slant, two on four. You know, like they, they still figure it out, right? So it could have been some of that stuff, but it wasn't all that stuff. You can't explain everything away with that, you know? The way you put it above, Tony, with the, you know, pancake by the guard, pancake by the center, pancake by the double team, like that. It's pretty much what's going on, you know? And Tony, that was, that was, I purposely chose three games to present for the film study to the audience. I watched more of Cameron Young's games, but I really wanted to choose those three games to illustrate how many snaps you saw against LSU, you know, that were bad. Where I'm not cherry picking this over the course of the year. This is why the PFF score reads this the way it is. This is why the tape is bad as it is. Here's bad snap after bad snap after bad snap. And this is just in one game. You know, and then you have two more other games that are very equivalent to that in his production and what he was showing on the field. And so, yeah, but it's, it is one that's been an oddity to me, Tony. And it's why he was the last guy I got to on my draft evaluations. Cause I knew it was going to, it was going to be a little bit of a controversial one, but I also was just so kind of thrown off by how many people were so seeing such wonderfulness in this player that I wasn't, I'm just sort of missing. <laughs> I ain't there. I, I can't get there either. Uh, Mega says, Cameron Young needs to become the second coming of Jesus before I think he'll make the practice squad. <laughs> Megan's real low on him. Uh, Daryl Taylor, uh, Jordan Brooks, inside linebacker, Chenna. So Tony, I think Daryl Taylor's not your starter. Boye Mafe, Boye Mafe and Uchenna Nwosu are going to be your day one starters. Brooks has got to rehab himself. So right now it's Devin Bush and Bobby Wagner. Brooks might eventually overtake Bush, but is Brooks going to be 100%? 
coming off that torn ACL? I don't think so. And even if he is 100%, I don't think it goes without saying, Tony, that he's better than Brooks or that Brooks is better than Bush. He might be. D-Boy, Brandon, before uh, Love came to the Seahawks, he was on uh, Reddit on one day playing for the Seahawks and you're happy about him being here? Uh, before Love came to the Seahawks, was he on your radar? Sorry. Uh, one day playing the Seahawks and are you happy about him being here? He wasn't as much on my radar, D-Boy, because we've been so set at safety. It's not had me looking at safeties as clearly and he hasn't been in the league for a really long period of time. Um, so he wasn't as much on my radar. Um, am I very happy about him being here? Yeah, I am. I think the contract, two years, $12 million is pretty good, affordable money. It sucks that you're having to pay this much money into the safety position like the Seahawks are. But in a lot of ways, what he now does, D-Boy, is free up Jamal. You you get Jamal less in roles where he might find himself in cover two situations or single high situations, as was the case a couple of years ago when he failed in that role. And now you get him up around the line of scrimmage. So part of bringing in love frees up Jamal Adams now to kind of float around that line of scrimmage and just be a nuisance and be a problem for offenses. Uh, on top of the fact that he then brings extra value then to being able to fall out to the slot if you need him to play out there. So the, the, flexibility, the flexibility, the versatility with him, uh, he was the guy that last year, D-Boy, was top 25 at the NFL in total tackles, playing from the safety position, playing from the slot. So there's a lot to like with him. He can play everywhere, all over the defense. Um, so you just, yeah, that to get that at two years and $12 million, that kind of versatility and that kind of player who is absolutely all about ball, freeing up Jamal as he is. I, I do definitely love the deal and what he brings to this defense. D-Boy says, Brandon, what are your top three breakfast cereals? Hot or cold milk or no milk? Doesn't matter. Give them to me. Uh, so let's go with... Um, I'm probably going to just go, I'm probably going to go old. No, no. Okay. So we go uh, cookie crisp, uh, cinnamon toast crunch, and uh, probably, it's probably a tie for me between Lucky Charms and Captain Crunch, but I'm old school with that D-boy, you know, I'm old school with those and milk, cold milk, hot milk. Who's, who's eating cereal with hot milk? And how, how do we get them executed stat? <laughs> it's a crime against God and mankind, both. Uh, Jordan says, team has potential. Does have potential, man. Why do I? Rundy is only, Rundy, it doesn't really matter. Running is situational. The best thing any team does to help defense is to have them play with a lead. And we see Pete Carroll, John Schneider pick up nose tackle in camp all the time, not worried. I love your confidence, brother. Why do I? And I hope you're right about that. That does seem to be, and why do I would echo, that does seem to be the, the tact the team is uh, is taking in regards to the situation. Very much so. Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation, man. Appreciate you. Says there should be Seahawks era cards with Zorn, Dan McGuire, LJ Collier, and Cam Young. You go too far, Garth. You go too far. There's no way Dan McGuire, LJ Collier, or Cam Young outside of I'm being really wrong about this kid are ever finding their way up on my back wall. Zorn's got himself, Zorn will get up there. But Dan McGuire, I'm still so bitter about that one, Garth. I hated that draft pick when I was like a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> I was like, this sucks. He's not a baseball player. What are they doing? I was so mad about that one. So angry about that one as a kid. Like, really? He's 6'10", he can't even move. Appreciate you, Garth, though. Thanks for the $5 dono. No, we only have to have, only of the illustrious ones are behind me. Only the, only the creme de la creme. 
D-Boy, Brandon, who's the best college player of all time or who's your favorite college player of all time? Mine is Reggie Bartholomew Edwards Smith Harris III Bush. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a very, very, very good one. Um, who is my favorite? Such a good question. Um, can I give you a couple D-Boy over the years? Because I don't know if I could differentiate these ones to say I like this guy over that guy. But I'll give you a couple of different eras um, within that. So uh, Napoleon Kaufman, uh, Entman with the Huskies, that na- those two guys in that national title team, you know, there was just something about them that, it, that, that was just extra special to me. Um, Kaufman, for instance, was picked in the first round. Edmund was number one overall. Um, phenomenal players. Peter Warwick, going back to the Florida State days, was nasty. Nasty. I don't think he, I think he tore up his knees and he went to the Bengals, so he was never the, the kind of pro that he was back in college. Uh, Ricky Williams with Texas. Adrian Peterson with Oklahoma. Just phenomenal, phenomenal players. So much fun. Trying to go through who else in my mind stands out. It might be my crew of guys. Garrison Hurst, the boy back in the day out of Georgia. He was a filthy back coming out of Georgia. Absolutely just filthy. Charles Woodson. The other guy they had in Michigan, the um, guy that won the Heisman, Mr. Do-It-All guy, Desmond Howard. He was ridiculous. Those would be my guys. Hard to find one, pull one from that D-boy. All those guys were so exciting though in college. Tony says, projected starting quarterbacks for Anthon, Devon Witherspoon, Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant, uh, Artie Burns, Jamal Adams. Yeah, it's it's possible with that, Tony. I mean, Devin Witherspoon might should win the starting job, but Mike Jackson just had the best mini camp of any of our guys. So Jackson's got a chance of starting too. I mean, they're kind of just doing the lazy projected, you know, there's not really anything in depth with that with Antoine on that one. Why do I says mini camp doesn't mean much? But JSN looked like a 10-year pro, read several writers saying they never saw him drop a pass all camp. Yes, he is a great slot, but can play outside without issue. Pumped. Definitely um, hope you're right on that, why do I? And there's been guys that have been told that they're only going to play slot who have been able to play a little bit on the outside. Maybe he is going to be able to be that guy. I'm a little bit skeptical. I've got a couple reasons for it, but I'm a little skeptical believing he's going to be able to make it go out there. Um, the good news is whether he can go on the outside or not, why do I? The nice thing is that we don't need him to. It's great if he can develop in that manner. It'd be fantastic if he does. But if he's just a magical slot for us, if he just does that and in, in in great for us, then that will help to take this offense into a top five range of things, if not even higher than that. But I agree with you. What we have heard, what we saw with the reports, you watch him smoke Devon Witherspoon there on that uh, Doug Baldwin Super Bowl route that he ran where he beat Champ Bailey on, basically the same exact kind of route, kind of a pick play route. 
Um, he looks so smooth on that route, so nice. And there's so many little subtle things going on in that route to make it work um, beyond it just being quickness, speed thing, showing off what he does well. But uh, yeah, JSN looks like he's ready to go. Why do I? He is ready, ready to roll. Greg Kemp, Debo ran a slow 40 time, but he had an elite 10-yard split that's almost as fast as DK's 10-yard split, so it's no easy task asking DK, DT or anybody to tackle Debo in space. I agree with you there, Greg. Um, I, I don't think that it's an easy task to do so. Um, I don't think that it's... Um, uh, I don't think that it's uh, necessarily a certainty that you take a guy down. I think, Greg, when you tend to see a fly sweep ran, I, f I run a fly sweep like this to this side of the field, okay? If I'm going to leave an unblocked defender, Greg, I'm usually going to leave the unblocked defender from where the fly sweep man is motioning away from. What the 49ers did on that play was they left the unblocked defender to the strong side of the play. And that's just not what teams tend to do, no matter whether they have Debo Samuel or anybody else. I would love to see if the Niners had any other times throughout the course of the year where they ran Debo Samuel into an unblocked edge defender. And while it's tough, the thing about that is, is that you don't have Debo necessarily anywhere near up to speed. He's just getting the handoff. And if you go and watch the still shot of where Debo's taking the handoff, Taylor's a yard and a half away from him. Um, now, if Taylor had just had that failed moment throughout the course of the year in the run game, Greg, I don't think you could just take that one play away and say, well, he's a bad run defender because of this play. But the problem comes into play here, Greg, is that it's also there on his other snaps in the run game to the point where by the end of the season, the team is just taking him off the field in situations where it's going to be run. They're just not even putting him on the field in those moments. As if they had learned over the course of the year, this guy just can't play the run. We have to move him into a rotational pass rush role. So it's, it's an extreme case with Debo. I'll give you that. But it's also a representation of his poor instincts, his poor ability to tackle in space, his poor ability to read the run game. I mean, those, those things are also um, part of it there. There's just you, to run a strong side play with an unblocked edge defender like that and just hope that he's going to miss the tackle it's pretty ballsy by an offensive coordinator to just do that blind if it isn't based on the fact that you're looking at that player in advance and going, yeah, he doesn't play, play this stuff well. We can expose him. We can attack him. You know? Tony says, hopefully your D-line coaches can, can get him to improve and coach him up. Part of what I said with that video too, Tony, was that if, if Clinton is able to get something out of this kid, especially from day one, if you're able to get productivity from Cameron Young, it is a feather in, in Hurt's cap and indicative to Hurt that should give us hope and confidence in Clint Hurt and his ability to develop other players on that line moving forward. Because he's got a big, he's got a long way to take this kid to get him to be ready day one here. Especially because he is so young. Uh, Megan says, even if Cameron Young does become the second coming of Jesus, I'm still not convinced I'll have him in the team, B. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Jonah says, I'm with you, B. Cameron Young, I'll root for, but he has to prove himself. Me and my dad watched his tape. The one that you posted, and we were just like dumbfounded how easily he got beat on the line. So I wanted to try to show so many cuts too, Jonah, to show I wasn't cherry picking or pulling from. Was like, man, this is what this looks like to me. I I just don't see, and like you say, he's just he's at times just getting wrecked easily on the tape. There's no fight. There's no there's no secondary moves. There's no you know fire. There's sometimes it's there. You can find certain snaps is there, but the majority of the plays as you go through it, it's just there's not a lot there. Other than him being big, long, and kind of strong, that's about all that there's there right now as he, as he, as he is as a player on tape. You know? But I'm glad I'm not the only one on this, Jonah, because 
on some of the comments I'd get, I'd be like, man, I feel like I must be taking crazy pills or maybe I'm just missing it on this kid. And I could be missing it. It's, I'm, I, I want to make sure I always get this across with my evaluations. I'm not always 100% right. I certainly will have those guys that I miss that I'm, I'm just missing the boat on. And, and that does happen. That happens to anybody that looks, doesn't happen just to me. That happens to scouts, front office, to other commentators, other YouTube creators. You watch all this tape, there's going to be some that you're just going to miss it on. It, it will happen. And it could be the case with them. I hope it's the case <laughs> because, because my assessment ain't good on him right now, you know? Uh, Jaboy says, I hope Bobby can mentor Bush throughout the year. Me too. Me too. Maybe that's a, a helpful step that he can help him to draw forward. Certainly the Steelers hadn't had anybody really at middle linebacker in recent years when Bush came on the scene there that was anywhere close to what they had back in the days of your Larry Foots and James Ferriers and whatnot back in the, uh, the 05 range where it was actually a pretty good group. Jonas says, I hope a lot of people forget the middle linebackers work side by side with the nose tackles. So Bobby will help Cameron Young for sure. Think of nose tackles. Uh, think of nose tacos like online, line, online linebackers. It's a good way to think about it. I definitely think it can help him in that respect. Definitely can help him in that respect. I'm just calling tackles tacos just so everybody knows I'm not misspelling. <laughs> Jonas says, my breakout player of the year on defense is going to be Daryl Taylor, and my breakout player of the year on offense is going to be Eskridge. Let's go. I like it. Bold takes. Bold takes. Let's go. I hope you're right on that. Team would be in a tremendously great shape if it's both of those two players that are taking the major steps forward on both sides of the ball. Tony, number one is Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Uh, number two is Corn Checks. Corn Checks, huh? Uh, number three is Grape Nuts with Raisins. All good stuff. Now I can eat those other two, but they're not fun. And, and grape nuts, I mean, is there any food that exists in this world that you have to chew more to get down the gullet than grape nuts? It's like you've taken gravel and put it in your mouth. I, I don't know what human thought that one up. It's still pretty good. You're right. Like raisins, I, I used to put, I used to take, you get grape nuts, uh, you would get uh, the, the grape nuts for, uh, for the healthy stuff and then you just dump a bunch of sugar on top of it. Like half a thing of sugar. Why do I says, I like Chad Brown. He was great. Jacob Green is still my all-time underrated Seahawk and needs to be in the Hall of Fame. He had 115.5 sacks, 32nd all-time and had six years in a row with nine plus sacks and four plus D, uh, with four, with 12 plus. He was a dog. Uh, definitely Jacob Green is uh, a bit of an underrated Seahawk in history. Um, and there isn't an argument to be made for how he did play that he should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, you can make an argument with that. I think with both guys, you can make an argument. And I think with Chad Brown, the tough part comes into play. And it was a bit of like what the, the point I was making in that video is that when he came to Seattle and he made that transition to more of a will linebacker role or a Sam linebacker role or at times a middle linebacker in a dime defense like he talked about when Coach Carroll came here in his first year. You know, he was put in a position now where he's not laid into a spot where he's going to get a lot of stats. But is he playing great still? Is he is he doing what he's assigned to do within the defense and excelling in that role? And for me, the the, the my opinion is yes, he was. Um, and and it comes down to just because we don't have a stack to track a guy, does that not mean he isn't effective or great as a player? And especially when it comes to those linebackers that are playing out of middle for a lot a lot of the time, they're playing Will and playing Sam like Chad was back in the day. But uh, I'm, I'm with you on the Jacob Green. I'm with you on that. Tony Wright, Bo Jackson, Peter Warwick. Those are two good ones. Bo Jackson's definitely one. He's a little almost right as I was just coming into my fandom time um, as a young kid. But Bo was, 
Bo could play in any era. Any era. Michael Vick. That was another good one. I forgot about Michael Vick. Rocket Ishmael. Yes. Yes, Rocket would definitely have to be in there too. God, you guys are bringing up some good ones. Greg Kemp says, Debo's 10-yard split actually edges out canines. It's very impressive. He's legitimately fast and quick too. I think even his 40-time, Craig, I think he's faster than the 40-time. Because like he was tested out at the Senior Bowl, I think at like 22 miles an hour with pads on. He's one of those guys when he puts pads on, he actually gets a little bit faster. Greg says, Reggie Bush, Michael Vick, Marcus Dupree, and Sean Taylor. All great names. All fantastic names. Vic was absolutely electric out of Virginia Tech. Jaboy Michael, people are already down on Witherspoon, but sometimes it takes a year for a cornerback to get used to the NFL. Yeah. I, I think people are going to be a little premature at this point if they're getting down on him. And if he's not exactly all that in a bag of chips from the jump, it's a little bit of, I think, the Tariq Woolen effect where Tariq's just so sensational. Now that becomes a bit of a standard, right? You've had guys like Sherman come in and be sensational from almost day one. So it's, there's a standard there for that, an expectation level for, there, uh, for that. But that's not fair. Um, and if he takes a little bit of time to develop, it's okay. Especially when there might be a couple guys in this cornerback room that are ready to roll this year that have had a couple of years to develop, that had a couple of years in an NFL weight room and being pros and Jackson and Trey Brown. Whitey Weiss says Napoleon Coffin was only 5'9", 185, but benched 500 pounds and squatted 600 pounds. He was like Dragon Ball Z character. Woof. Uh, he was amazing to watch on the field too. Best description of him was his legs were like watching typewriter keys hit the ground. They were so fast. He just, he moved at a different speed than everybody else. It was, it was just this moment too in the early 90s where they were winning, they're on the way to win the national title. Napoleon's a freshman that year. And then you got these great backs like Greg Lewis and a couple other guys they had running front side on that. And then here comes Napoleon Kaufman. And then he's just on like another level. And you're like, man, we're going to win national titles forever. <laughs> the future's like going to be amazing. And I'm, you know, Kaufman ended up, I think, retiring to be a preacher. But um, he, was, he was different. He was different as an athlete. Why do I says guys running around in shorts, not hitting anyone? Minicamp means little and how a guy will play in the season. I do chuckle at the usual reactionary stuff from one Twitter clip laughing out loud. Spoon's fine. Yeah, I knew I was going to see it too. Why do I when Jackson Smith got him on that route? And, uh, you know, it's, I think it's an impressive thing from Jackson Smith less than it is about, you know, um, Witherspoon not looking good on that play. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely. People are, people are in that reactionary mode a little bit with the stuff on, on the camp. And uh, I agree. When they're doing the short stuff, we can't take too much away from it. I think Michael Jackson ascending a little bit through training camp, you know, getting an interception off of Geno Smith in the seven-on-seven seven drills, you know, those things are set up for offensive success. And if you are balling out in those moments and, and looking impressive uh, from a cornerback position because it is leaning to the offensive advantage in those kind of things, I think there's something to be said for that. But you shouldn't take to, we shouldn't take anything away as an ultimate um, take away from these, uh, these mini camps either. Megan coming in with another $10 donation. Thank you, Megan, for all the donos today, including the big hundred dollar drop earlier says B just found the large in Funko. The one I have on my shelf and willing to buy it for you, but want the Zorn card first. Zorn's cards come Megan. I just got to remember. I keep, it's not that I don't want to do it. I just keep spacing it out. So I've already found the cards out there on eBay. I got it saved on my, uh, 
what wish list thing or whatever they call that on eBay, but I got it. I got it set. It's, it's a done deal. So we'll get that card coming down the track here. I'll have it up here in the next couple of weeks. 100%. Large and Funko or not? Large and Funko or not? I'll get that thing pumped up and uh, posted. You can believe it. So I, I just got to remember to do it. Maybe I'll have you, have you text me offline that remind me so I don't forget. But thank you for the $10 donation and all the donos tonight, Megan. Appreciate you. And uh, Large and Funko would be pretty cool. Pretty cool. We'll put it next to, we'll put it next to Pumpkin here. The Large and Funko. She can chill with Funko all during the stream. Uh, Megan, you're awesome though. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, girl. Jonah says, uh, the best offensive line I ever played against was Olin Krutz. He played for the St. Louis High School in Hawaii along with Chris Futama Fala Fula Fala Fala on one team. Of course, played for the Bears and Chris Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, Krutz... Kurtz is a guy that uh, is often mentioned as uh, you know tough guy of tough guys too. You know, you, there's a lot of those like Washington teams that he played on, including a guy like Bob Sapp that went on to like you know um, fight. And I think we had one other guy that was like a psycho on that team. You know, like the the guy from the program. I forget his name. There was a guy that guy in that mid '90s team that was like that too. Um, but Kurtz was considered kind of the toughest of the tough. I think he went, didn't he like break a, an opponent's jaw at one point. Um, just kind of seem like one of those kind of guys. Just you don't mess with this guy, you know. Hell of a player, hell of a pro career. Would love to have seen our Seahawks be able to get their hands on him coming out of UW because you could tell with him Jonah playing at UW that he was going to be, he was going to be a hell of a pro, hell of a pro. <coughs> Excuse me. D boy, Brandon. What happened to Marcus Vick? Why didn't his career pop? They were saying his arm and IQ was better than Mike Vick going into college, but I remember nothing about that. Uh, Marcus Vick, Michael Vick. Uh, he never really ascended in college, D-Boy. You know, he never, he was never in the same lane or, or in, even in the same stratosphere as Vick as far as a runner. Vick being, of course, one of the all-time, him and Lamar Jackson have been the all-time probably most sudden quarterbacks for the position on top of being fast, quick, just sudden. You know, stop, start. Nobody else in the field is in that same range. Um, Marcus had more size, um, but I, I don't know. I don't know if his arm was better. And maybe the IQ thing was maybe better, but I don't, he just never had the production to, to get there. You know, never did. Tony Wright, grape nuts. Ha ha ha. I used to just dump a whole thing of sugar. Like I'm going to eat healthy this morning. Thing looked like uh, looked like Christmas on top of the grape nuts when I was done with that thing. <laughs> you boy, Brandon, I know this is about the M's, uh, but I would I've been seeing online people saying the M's are trash for hanging up a banner for making the wild card. What's your feeling about it? Yeah, I I don't like hanging banners for wild cards. I I think that that's cheesy. I think it's cheesy and that that's corny. Um. I would, I mean, it's fine. They want to put it up. I ain't going to get all, all over it. I'm more upset at this point, D-Boy, about the fact that I have to question whether or not this ownership really wants to win or whether they want to give the appearance of trying to win. And I think there's a lot of sports, I've seen this over the years, where ownerships will try to give you the impression they're trying to win, but they don't really, when the rubber meets the road, they're not really committed to it. 
They're committed to their process. They're committed to their profit margins. They're committed to everything else but winning. And uh, the Mariners ownership is going to have to take a strong step forward here sooner or later and decide what message they want to get across to the fans. You've got an organization that spent the majority of its time over 40 years now, 45, what is it, 77? So, you know, 50-some years. You made the playoffs a couple of times. You've had bad teams throughout. And you keep asking us to be patient. You know, at what point do we, what, what point are we allowed to be impatient? At what point are we, uh, you know, kind of saying, hey, we helped to make you the most profitable franchise in all of baseball last year, Mariners. We've done our part here as a fandom. You weren't at the top of division all last year. You didn't play great baseball from start to finish, but we gave you that support. When you just started to get a little bit better than average, we gave you that support and we were all in with you. Now, what are you going to do as your next steps forward to reward that? Not spend any money, talk to you about our process, slow roll it. Okay. Well, then if that's going to be the case, then, you know, you're going to have a harder sell on these fans, you know, D-Boy. So it's, I, I'm a little bit annoyed by that myself at this point. And uh, <clears throat> they got to start telling me, let me know when they're going to actually decide to start really trying to go for it. I understand patience, but Mariners had a long time here to be patient. Uh, Greg Camp says, Brandon, I agree with you on defensive tackles run defense, and it was a work in progress for him coming out of college at 267. I was saying it's uh, a bad matchup for uh, Daryl Taylor's skill set either way. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I, wouldn't, and I want to make sure too, Greg, I'm not just trying to kill him on just that play. It's um, more of its indicative nature for me just on that, him just not being a guy we can trust in the run. Doesn't mean he doesn't then have value as a player. He does. Um, and he could maybe get better as a run defender. Um, but even as a rotational guy, knowing you have two years of really cheap club control with him, and a guy that can give you almost 10 plus sacks a year in that rotational role, there's some good value to the team for that kind of guy. Especially when you've kind of augmented it now with Derek Hall and Boye Mafe and Uchenna Nwosu. You know, it all kind of works together for me as like a, you know, like a, a soup a little bit there, Greg. You know, and the combination of the rotation of snaps and how you can kind of mix them in a bit there. And I can see how the plan could work with that. But yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm not trying to ra- rake him too hard with the Debo stuff, just... It was, it was that one moment, certain plays with certain players that just sort of kind of capture, encapsulate for me a little bit of what a struggle is for a player in a moment. That kind of was for me in that moment. Uh, Greg Knight, th- uh, Garth Knight, thank you for another $5 donation. I appreciate all the support tonight and always all the support. It says, Grape Nuts is the cereal you eat when you turn 50, but want to hold off on the colonoscopy for another decade. It is inexplicably tasty, though. It is. It has no business being as good as it is. For as much work as it causes on the jaw, you know? How many people have lost teeth to grape nuts over the years? How many teeth? A million? Probably, probably much, right? At least, at least 100,000. Grape, grape nuts in all of its length of being around for all these years is at least cost... 100,000 American teeth and 20,000 abroad. <laughs> but I like inexplicably tasty, Garth. That's so true. Mom, my mom always used to get it. And I'd complain, but I always eat my bowl. So, you know. And if it came down to that or Chex or Life Cereal or, uh, shoot, there's a lot. I'd pick, I'd pick Grape Nuts over. Thank you, Garth. Appreciate you. D-Boy, Brandon, what's your dream car or just a car you really want? 
I am the uh, antithesis. Anti- I can't say any long, big words tonight. I couldn't say colonoscopy and I can't say antithesis. Uh, I'm really the opposite of a car guy, D-Boy. I'm, all, I'm one of those guys that's like, just get me from point A to point B. Let me have a, let me have a stereo system in it that's decent that I can listen to music. And I'm kind of good. I don't really like the ostentatious, really expensive cars to me. Like I would feel weird about driving around in some super expensive, flashy, you know, like, I don't know. I, it just doesn't appeal to me. I don't like the looks of things with it, you know? Um, I'll go with something kind of general, D-Boy, you know, convertible, like a, a Jeep with the top down or, uh, you know, like a, a Mustang, like a stick shift Mustang that could take the top down. It'd be fun to drive out in the open road. I kind of dig something like that, but I, I couldn't do them like Mercedes, Ferrari. All that stuff would just be, uh, I couldn't do it. I don't know why. It's just too much, too garish. Megan says, do not lie to me, B. You want the Funko? You get the card. Oh, by the way, Garth will be happy to know that I have two, fun- two new Funkos added to the collection as of today. Hannibal Lecter and Pinhead from Hellraiser. Ooh, Pinhead, that's a good one. That's a good one. I know, Megan. It's got to be creepy. They turn the lights off in your house. You get the shadows hitting weird and wrong. You know, is that moving? Is that statue moving? Too many movies about statues and little dolls moving, Megan, for me. You know what I mean? I'd be like, I think that thing just moved thing just moved <laughs> no lie though no uh just do me a favor megan text me offline remind me so i i it's I, I literally space it out it's easy enough to get the card i'm, I'm down to get a zorn card up 100 percent. funko or no funko here megan no funko no funko in you i'm not funko in you <laughs> nothing but truth uh pumpkin drop down d-boy She's stuffing her face right now. She's a really hungry girl. She had to, all that na- all that napping, D boy, just made her starved. Starved. Jonas says, "I hated the damn damn McGuire, as we call it. Funny thing is, Hawaii played them that year, and uh, he was at San Diego, and we sucked, and we kicked their butt." Yeah, this is the thing about that I I knew as a as a young kid at that time. This is obviously late '80s. This is before internet. This is before much advanced scouting stuff. But you could just see on the tape of watching him at San Diego coming out. Even as a young kid, it was just I think barely a teenager at the time. It was like not even teenager. I'm like ten or eleven. But you just watched him. And he looked awkward and big. It was like Brock Osweiler. Y'all ever watch Brock Osweiler and go, "There's a guy that should be taken in the first round." There's a guy that's going to be a franchise quarterback. No, you looked at him, he goes, he's all, he's all just elbows and knees and flailing limbs and non-athlete looking type. Yeah, that one just, I, I, that was one of my original ones that just, just pissed me off. I just went, why? And it was at a time too where we'd gone through some quarterbacks. It's just, ugh. Jonas says, my favorite player of all time is Steve Edmon. Edmon was a beast in, in college. He was the best player on that UW national title team. One of the best defensive linemen ever play in college football, bar none. Kid would have, guy would have been a monster in the pros if he, he had a little bit of what happened to Kurt Warner where he just shredded his knee. Maybe even worse than Warner. Space, what's up, man? How you doing, bro? It's good to see you in the house. Greg Kemp says, uh, I forgot Marcus Vick also had attitude problems like Sue and was seen as a dirty player. 
Oh, I forgot about that too. I think that sounds somewhat familiar. Kind of forgot about that as well though. Yeah, he just, he didn't get into, he never even got even to being really a pro, uh, pro prospect. He was kind of all on paper there with that one. Jonas says, let's not forget though, last year we had a couple of safeties be the best player in camp and nobody heard hide nor hair of them come the season. It's true. It's true. It can work that way too. Grain of salt. Grain of salt. Jonas says, I'm rooting for Eskridge. I've seen many interviews with him since he was drafted. He seems like a straight up legit player. Uh, they're just having a hard time. I'm uh, American rooting for him. I'm rooting for him too. I'd love to see him take steps forward and find a finally find a way to stay healthy. It's tough for those players that just can't stay healthy. Feel like this with Jamal too. You know, it's not always their fault. Sometimes you just get snake bit. Just can't get the luck moving in the right direction. Jeffrey A. Thistle, thank you for the $5 donation. I do appreciate you so much. He says, I tried to warn you about the M's, Brando. I never brought, I never bought it. They always let you down. Couldn't even win a World Series with six Hall of Fame players in the 90s. No, indeed you couldn't at that time. Um, and ownership is a, is a sparkling big part of the problem here at play. And uh, it's, not, it's not a good look. It's, it's one that needs to get corrected. Um, or maybe they don't. I mean, they're, they're printing money right now without having to show that commitment to the fan base. So why change their ways if fans are still going to come out there and watch games um, and support the team in the way that they have? Um, but yeah, you did try to warn me. And I was a little bit more optimistic that this, about the plan and how this was going to develop. Um, so I've got to admit that I saw that wrong in that respect that these guys will be able to come forward. It's been a bit odd to me that every hitter they bring in here suddenly falls off the shelf and how they hit. They have this career average. They have this prior year they hit at, and then they just fall off the shelf completely. They become a shell of themselves in that stadium. But, um, you know, the thing that comes down to at this point, Jeffrey, is that they can be good. I don't think that they're just necessarily have some curse hanging over the head of them and that this team can never be good. The, the common denominator between the 90s teams and this Mariner team is that you don't have an ownership that's willing to drop their purse strings down on the table. You have an ownership group that seems to be concerned with making a yearly profit. You have an ownership group which is concerned with, you know, showing things in broad strokes rather than showing things with bottom line results. Um, and the time is getting, time's getting old for me on that one. And to be watching a team that I don't think the ownership has that commitment level. And when it comes to me following this Mariner team, I want to do it. I want to be back in on it. But you've given me throughout the majority of my lifetime as a Mariner fan, crappy ass baseball every single year. And you've asked me as an ownership group year after year after year to be patient in that process, to wait on that process, to keep watching bad baseball as I wait that process out. There's going to come a time as a fan then on that. I'm just going to go, I don't really want to watch bad baseball all the time. Why don't you, why don't you, and it's not being a bandwagon fan at that point. It's being, hey, Four decades. You ain't done jack diddly squat. Four decades. At what point are you going to have a fire lit under your butt to, to try to have a bit of a sense of urgency here? And uh, I don't see it from them. I don't see it from them right now this year. I hope they find a way to, to, to find their ground here, Jeffrey, but it is what it is with it. It sucks. It does suck. And hopefully there's a wake-up call at some point or another. I don't know. <laughs> Jonah says Jacob Green is the third greatest defensive lineman of all time on the Seattle Seahawks. Before him is Cortez Kennedy and Cliff, and right after Green is Big Red. You've got Cliff Averill ahead of Cortez, ahead of Jacob Green. 
or him. It's Cortez. And I can't put Cliff Averill ahead of Jacob Green. I would have Jacob Green as your second best defensive lineman in Seahawks history myself. Cliff was only here for like four years. Uh, Megan says, not a car guy. We can no longer be friends. You know, my family owns a car dealership, right? B and has for a hundred years. I do. I do. It's one of those things. I'm, I'm one of those weird guys that I just, I I've been around car guys. I got friends that are car guys. I, I you'd think that it would eventually infect me, but I uh, just couldn't, just couldn't. It's just a, it's just a machine to get you from point A to point B, but hopefully a good sound system to rock out when I get to my given location. Uh, Megan says, oh, I will be reminding you. Trust me, B. I know you will. I know you will. Greg says, yeah, Mark B. Uh, yeah, Brandon, Marcus Fix stomped on players. It does sound familiar, Greg. My old brain on some of this stuff can get a little bit, uh, a little latent on some of it where it's like, it vaguely sounds familiar. But uh, it definitely, that sounds right. That sounds right with Marcus. He just didn't do a whole lot in college either. That's, that's also the kind of the bottom line. I think, D-Boy, we just got to get you with an alt account subbed up in here. And then it'll click in. That's all we got to do, man. I bet you it happens like the next time we get a gifted donation, I bet you get the, you catch the next one if we did that. We just got to get a D-Boy 2 channel. D-Boy 206 2 channel. Uh, or YouTube account. Not channel, but YouTube account. Ski Nation says, I had to go two hours and come back to a live stream ongoing. Laugh my ass off. Awesome. You know how I roll out here, Ski Nation. I got to go strong. I got to go strong with it. Especially, I missed yesterday. It's Sunday. I kind of had to make a little late ground up to you guys on that one. Donnie Pearson. Nope. Sorry. Jonas says, yeah, Brendan Olin was a major tough guy. Laughing out loud. Let's not forget Chris uh, was a halfback that weighed 300 pounds in high school. Yeah, that would not have been fun to tackle. We had a couple of those in our, and even just back going back, remember in junior high, and just some of those guys that are like twice as big as everybody on the field and you're trying to tackle them. It's just a lot of pain in those attempted tackles. It hurts. It hurts tackling a guy that's going to run over you, especially when you're really trying to get him down. Amazing. So many reasons not to be friends yet. One of my best friends. How's that work? That's the way it goes sometimes, Megan, you know? You don't want to just be surrounded with a bunch of people that like the same exact stuff as you. That's no fun. I think Alex Brandon, not a car guy. Next, you're going to say you're not a classic rock guy. You could have been a contender. No, I'm a classic rock guy. When it comes to music, I'm different. But when it comes to cars, I just go, it's a car. Point A, point B. Point A, point B. You know what I mean? Give me where I got to go. That's all. Uh, Garth, thank you for another $5 donation. He says, the pinhead Funko at Megan is, uh, has, the, the pinko Funko Megan has is awesome. I wonder if there's a crocodile Dundee Funko. Dundee deserves a Funko for being Australia's ambassador. 
<laughs> yes, they do. I would think there probably is a, a Crocodile Dundee Funko. Actually, I, I now need to look that up. Crocodile Dundee Funko. Oh my God, there is. No, it's a Steve Irwin one. No, no, they do have one. They do have a Crocodile Dundee Funko. What? He's even got the knife. <laughs> He's even got the knife. That's awesome. And they're making all of those. They're not leaving any, they're not leaving any money on the ground on this one. Anybody that could be a Funko is going to be a Funko. <laughs> He's got a big knife though on the, the one I Googled, Garth. <laughs> like the little Funko characters like this big, the knife's like this. <laughs> and yeah, there's a Steve Irwin there one too. They they got them all covered, Megan. Jonah says, yeah, it is kind of cheesy. We hang that banner from the Mariners laughing out loud, but I like it better than the banner hanging on the White House. Okay, I won't get political anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's it we got true there um yeah it's just it's a little bit of the you know aren't you guys happy we got you to the playoffs see look at the banner we're gonna celebrate getting to the playoffs Ugh. is that is that our standard i mean i like if you get a division win then that's that's okay for me but wild card your 2022 mariner wild card team Ugh. we're gonna be celebrating that team 20 years down the line no I don't think so. Maybe the only way we'll remain friends be if you join the crack and dark side. I may eventually on that. I'm working my way around on that one. May says, yes, there's a Dundee and a Steve Irwin Funko. Haven't gotten them yet. Well, they look pretty tight. I'm impressed. They're, they're actually very selective. Is Funko? Okay. I think you just create as many as you could, right? You just can make them as they're ordered. You probably just 3D print them as they order them. Megan says Funkos were created and have their HQ in Everett. Ooh, nice. I did not know that as well. Crazy. I gotta get a couple Funkos right for the background. That'd be that'd be pretty cool. Well, they're pretty cool. The TikTok cheese of I'm old. What is a Funko? What the hell is a Funko? Getting old sucks. It's like a little doll thing that, uh, you know, has a little like, it's like a, um, it's a, like a, an emoji. It's almost, it's kind of like an emoji of a person, but in doll form a little bit. Is that the right way to put it? Megan says, no names have been rejected due to reputation. Oh, okay. Got to toe that line if you want to get your Funko. I told that line. Jonas says, yeah, Joe is another level of collectible. That one is another level. Especially you got them in the original packaging and the box and all that. Um, well, we are four and a half hours on in here, folks. Let's uh, go ahead and kind of put a button on this one. I think we've had another great show here and I'd like to try to bounce back in on Wednesday if I can so that we're only, only gone for about two days here before I'm bouncing back on and going live with you guys. Um, Brandon and his dolls. <laughs> it's always a problem. Me and my doll issue. 
Uh, Space, can you eat a Funko? You cannot eat a Funko unless it's the end of the world and the food supply has been cut off and you have nothing else. Then you can get a little bit of nourishment from it. Joseph says, I do both Marshawn Lynch Funkos with helmet and with the baseball hat. Nice. That'd be a cool Funko to get to. Megan says, I have to... He's made to made my image made at the Hollywood Funko store. Oh, you can do your own Funko? That's cool. I like it. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, let's get the last uh, couple questions in. We'll go ahead and put that button here on this show today. But we'll be bouncing back on Wednesday. Megan Gock Roger was nice enough to sub up a few, few people and uh, gift a few subs out there to folks. So if you are members of the channel, we've got a pretty good wide range. In fact, we're as big and deep as a uh, membership crew as we've had up until this point. I will continue to be doing shows on Thursday. So we're going to come back this Wednesday, do a show. We'll be doing a show also on Thursday for the members of the channel. I'm going to keep that going on through the month here. I want to kind of keep this month going strong as I'm looking at taking a week at the end of the month off. So I want to get while the getting's good here as we're, uh, as we're kind of just about to lead up into training camp here. Uh, Lou says, just saw that you were live. Looking forward to watching the live stream from the start. Quick, do we have trade ammo in the secondary to get more beef on the defensive line? Uh, you can do that through that method, Lou. Mike Jackson's balling out for you. Is there a team out there that um, looks at Mike Jackson and sees some value within him? If you feel good about Trey Brown, then backing up Witherspoon. Um, there's certainly a potential, if I look at any kind of trade, be it Kobe Bryant, or I don't think they're going to try to trade Kobe Bryant. I don't think they're going to try to trade Mike Jackson. I don't think they're going to try to trade Trey Brown. But I think, Lou, all three of those names are guys that could be value you could build together. I don't think you're going to try to move a corner itself, Lou, for just an, uh, an interior defensive lineman like we kind of need, like you're mentioning, and I agree we do need it. What I think you can do is start to package things together. So how to get to the best guy, how to get, for instance, Lou, to a guy like DeForest Buckner. And the Colts come back to you and they say, okay, well, we want... Uh, a first round pick for Buckner. And you say, well, no, we don't want to give you a first round pick for Buckner. Instead, what we'll do is we'll give you a second round pick for Buckner and then we'll throw in Trey Brown. Something like that, right? Where you're able to get around a little bit of that that cost and reduce it down by what you have as a as the, the girth of that position that you kind of possess. Or Lou, let's say that the team feels great about Tyreek Smith out of Ohio State and he's bouncing back this year. And they've got themselves a chip in either Shannon Nwosu or in Daryl Taylor. And they're like, hey, let's package these guys with a pick. Um, the other thing is, remember, Lou, you have two third-round picks. And that third-round pick could be pretty pretty uh, valuable, especially if it's being packaged with the player, to then drive out a little bit more value. So I think there's a couple ways, Lou, you can be creative in finding that trade, be it through the secondary guy, be it through maybe one of the extra edges that you have. But there is a, there is a trade to maybe be had here to find help on that defensive line. You have the extra picks having that extra pick in next year's draft for that extra third rounder um, on top of the fact that, you know, you might feel a little bit better about where the roster is to move. A, let's say you want to put a second and a third round pick together, right, Lou? Let's say that's the cost for Buckner. Now you don't even have to rob your secondary or rob your edge to then go and deal with the position. So there's a lot of creative ways to address this. I don't think it's just by that way, but those three guys in the, in the secondary, Bryant, Trey Brown, or Mike Jackson are all three guys that you could theoretically maybe move and, and, and get some value back on. Kind of like what we did with Witherspoon a couple years ago where we got a fifth round pick back for him. You're not getting a lot from any of those just on trade alone, but there's a little bit of value if you're putting it together. Megan says, my pleasure, B. Happy to finally spare the money to do it. And you're awesome for doing that, Megan. Thank you for all your donations and all your support on the channel. You know, this is uh, what helps me able to keep going. Before I got on the stream today, I was hard at work on a couple of different little videos I'm putting together for the channel. 
It's just wonderful to be able to just get up on this and just roll with the 24-7 with the support and just stay on this. Even as we're in right now, our darkest time of the off season as far as viewership and people watching and all that type of stuff. So uh, it's absolutely tremendous. We're going to be able to continue to keep this all the way through the off season. No, uh, no having to break away and uh, get on all the extra sub jobs and stuff like that and kind of shut the channel down. Everything keeps going for us here. And it's just, uh, it's just wonderful with that support. That's right where the stuff's going. 100%. 100%. Uh, Lou says, B, thanks, thanks B for the answer. Uh, my pleasure, Lou. You have yourself a great night, man. I do think there's going to be a move. You saw me in that, in my breakdown, Lou, of the four live stream episodes that we did after the off season, this off season, uh, top, top five scoring offense, top 15 scoring defense, top three special teams unit. And at some point you've got to make the trade for a defensive lineman. However, that comes about, we're going to have to reinforce these ranks just a little bit more. Maybe it's the, the final cuts at the end of preseason. Maybe that's where they get it. Maybe it's right at the trade deadline. But there's going to need to be a move made at some point or another to be able to address this if we're hoping to turn this team into a, a potentially elite team moving into next year. Uh, Space says, you made a Brandon good job. Thank you, man. <laughs> uh, oh, Space says, I remember you saying that years ago. I did, yeah. This was the goal, and I thought it was going to take us a lot more longer to get here i've been very surprised we've been able to maintain this through the off season and uh, it was like the draft we had one point in the draft where we were seeing the channel almost get up to six seven percent of growth in 28 days um and that kind of support that was coming through was just unbelievable but it's been able to sustain me now through this off season and be able to just keep my head down on the channel which is what i most want to do i just want to be able to my head gets up off the pillow every day I get in my front on my computer. I get that first half cup of coffee in me and then bam, we're rolling. I'm editing videos. I'm putting scripts together. I'm getting resources put together. I'm just trying to roll with it. So uh, we're, we're, we're in a really good place right now as far as our momentum goes, folks. And we haven't even started to turn the corner towards the season. So um, it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a very, very good year in more ways than one. That's the hope. Uh, Megan says, just sent the, the Rinder and the two new Funko pictures. Thank you, Megan, for reminding me of that. And I will get that Zorin card, I promise you. Debo says, I don't know why every time B ends this live, I feel like it's my bedtime and it's time to go to bed. <laughs> I wish I could. I'm usually so amped up after the streams, D-Boy, that it's hard for me to get to bed like till 2.33 in the morning. You know, I'm just cooking. I'm amped up. You know, it's a lot of why I do these streams so long is that, you know, if I just turn it off, like the energy level is still there. I don't just turn on a video and, you know, the foot's tapping and I'm, you know, still kind of ready to roll a little bit at times. So I got to make sure I exhaust myself to a degree so that I can eventually wind down to get to bed. Space is, uh, how'd you love to do this full time? You made it. Uh, how'd you love to do this full time? You made it. I did. And we've absolutely made it. I mean, this is really the hardest part because the channel is only going to grow from here. And once we go, get, once we click into the season, we're going to be on the new high water marks as far as what this channel is bringing in. And then that just means that I'm going to be able to stay with this into the future and never have to move off of it. Never have to make it as just a sub sub side thing. I got a job. It's, it's rough when, and this is the tough thing for those folks that do these YouTube channels and you've got to, you have to sign up to this and it's people, I have done so much, um, consulting with folks and starting YouTube channels and getting stuff going. And, uh, it's the thing that they just don't quite understand with this, which is that you'll have a full-time job. You'll start in and do this. You can do all your full-time work. And then you're going to probably put another 20, 30, 40 hours of work into this thing. And, and how much you work, you extra work you put into it is how fast you can get the channel to grow. And it's the part where people kind of think, I think at times they turn these things on like, Oh, they'll just go, I'll just be super popular and awesome right from the jump. And it's like, no, it takes more than that. It's a slow, slow process. 
but you guys have helped speed this up for me in a way that is, I've said, there's nobody at my level, you know, able to sit at this place that I'm at at, at 12 and a half, 12,500 subscribers and be able to do this full time. It's, it's your guys' unf unfailing support that allows that to occur. Guys like Byron D, who's been a member for 14 months as a Hawks Nest Ring of Honor member. He says, hey, hit me, Brendo. What are your expectations for Mafe, Eskridge, and Bush? Uh, Mafe, I think, is going to take the next step forward in his development, and he's going to be every bit the run defender he was last year, if not better. And now he starts to have more of an impact as a pass rusher. I don't think he gets to double digits this year. I quite honestly just don't think he's going to get enough pass rush reps to get to double digits. But six, seven, eight sacks this year, along with being a top-level edge run defender in this league, that's what he gives you next year, in my opinion, Byron. Eskridge is a little bit harder to pinpoint. You like, I'm sure you, like I, have been hearing from every Seahawk player that's been interviewed, especially on the offensive side of the ball this offseason, that Eskridge looks explosive, than, more explosive than ever, that you know the light bulb's going on, that he's ready to roll, that he looks just great. Uh, I'm hopeful. He hasn't shown it on the field. I don't know if he's going to hold up health-wise. I have no expectations for Eskridge. From my standpoint, Byron D., the coaching staff has to look at like whatever he gives us is extra. Be great if he develops. It'd be great if he now becomes the player we thought he was when we took him in the second round, but we can't count on it. We got to hope it happens, but can't count on it. So I can't put much expectation on Eskridge considering the injury history and, and where he's been up until this point. But it's encouraging he's having the offseason he's having versus Byron, him being back in injury situation this offseason and just fighting through it. And we don't know when he'll get back on the field. And he hasn't even really training. He's just rehabbing right now. Nope, he's been on the field. He's been playing. He's been working hard with Geno Smith off the field and or, or working out on their own uh, in private situations that Geno referenced. I'm hopeful. Bush, uh, again, a little bit uncertain there. He was never good with the Steelers, Byron. Is he good now coming here? Uh, hard to say on that. Hard to say. Um, so he's never quite rounded into shape of what made him a top 10 pick. He wasn't last year good for the Steelers. They were more than happy to let him go out the door. You didn't sign him for a big lot amount of money. I, I think you're just hoping that he can be a league average player for you out there. I don't have, I think it'll be, my expectation level is he'd be, probably gives you something close to Probably close to what Brooks gave you last year from the position, quite honestly. It's probably pretty close as far as their bottom line and what they bring. So you're not getting a lot from either of those two guys. Mafe, yes. The other two, I'm a little bit reticent to think they give me a lot there with that. Thank you, though, man, for being a member of the channel for 14 long months. You're awesome for doing so. I appreciate it. Have yourself a good night, Mr. Kane. Appreciate you hanging on in there, bro. And uh, thank you again for reading that book on the deal, man. I don't know if you heard my comment last week. Uh, I saw you post. I haven't responded to you yet on the on the comments on YouTube. But uh, thank you for posting that review, man. You're awesome for doing that. Those reviews are like gold on Amazon. When you have a young book like this, just get published up. The more reviews I get posted up and pushed up, um, the better it the better it does help out the book um, as far as it's showing out there to other people and whatnot. So thank you for doing that, uh, Mr. Kane. You're awesome, man. I do appreciate you on that. I do indeed. Do folks, as Debo says, hit that like button on your way out. I'll turn the light off if you hit that like button for me. I would really appreciate that. Well, I broke down what our NFC West was doing tonight. I think uh, we've got a good feel for what these teams are. I think it's nice to see that this team is going to have a couple teams that can maybe beat up on that are kind of the weak weaklings a little bit of the NFC. I know that there are some people out there that love the iron sharpens iron approach to things, but it's my contention that when you tend to find teams that are elite in a given NFL season, teams that take the first round by, teams that get to the Super Bowl, they get to operate off of what I call the feast 
factor. And the feast factor is that you get to have a couple of teams within your own division that are freebies. Four easy wins, right? Wins that you can get while still resting players that might be a little bit beat up and injured a little bit. So having that within our division this year is a good harbinger for us to be able to look at this team to turn itself into an elite status. It will help not hinder this team to becoming an elite team. And the Niners, they're not going anywhere. Nothing you can do about that. We're going to be fighting them out step for step. Maybe this is just the way it is for all time. 2013, 2023, 2033. Maybe it's just us going mano a mano, center of the ring, throwing haymakers one after the other, taking it right on the chin, just seeing who can stand up the longest, the latest. It does appear that that's going to be this, the, the way that this upcoming season certainly does play out. Jonas says, true, Brandon, we didn't tackle Chris. We jumped on a leg and hopefully the Lord helped to drag him down. That's it. That's it. You just went for the leg. And there was a lot of praying to God, Jonah. A lot of praying to God on those big guys that are around the rock. Just, just let me, let me just kind of knock him over here. Yeah. Just knock him over. Uh, thank you, Megan. I appreciate you on that. I do. Um, Jonas says, it's okay, Brandon. I feel Marshawn feels the same way about cars as you do. After seeing him sitting in a Bugatti, missing wheels, calling the cops to let him sleep. <laughs> Very, very true. I'm with Marshawn on this one, man. I'm with Marshawn. Well, I appreciate you guys as ever. Thank you to everyone for all the support. Megan, dropping the, 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 for the subscriptions and for, not subscriptions, but the memberships that you dropped, the $100, all the extra money on top of the donations, Garth and Randall McDaniel and everyone else out there. Uh, Jeffrey Thistle, thank you guys so much for all of your guys' support. Thanks for watching here throughout this offseason as well and remaining, you know, connected here to the Seahawk process, not just checking out, going on your summer vacations. And I'll be back, Brandon, in September. No, you guys have been riding with me through this whole offseason. I really appreciate that in you guys. And uh, we've always had a great turnout, even now in this time when we're June 12th in the middle of the deadest period on the football calendar. So it does not... Uh, does not miss me by. I really do appreciate you guys checking out the channel as you guys have. I'll be back on Wednesday, back on Thursday. But until that time, it's a short couple days, but I hope in that couple days span, I don't have to remind you, but I'm going to do it anyway because you might forget. Don't you guys ever, ever, ever forget. Go Hawks! <laughs>